How's it going today, Slow Man? It's going really well, Nick. The problem is, I don't like doing this chit chat business. So, I mean, can you bring a few more people? Up? I know, but but you got a big be- you got a big <laughs> guest coming up. About it. You got... Yeah, yeah, just uh, boring, yeah, but, uh, isn't it? Congressman but... Matt Gates coming in here in a couple of minutes, um, like three or four minutes. That should be interesting. Um, uh, let's see here. Yeah, so we had that space last night. That was kind of a marathon space. That was. Uh, that was ridiculous. That uh, space entire, I mean, was just... immense. Like, just think about it. Like, I, I mean, look, we all, I do think that DeSantis didn't do a great job, right? But irrespective of that, it was a massive, massive win for Twitter to just to look at the level of viewership, both on that uh, other stream as well as our stream and combine it together. What is it? It was just those two streams are about nine points from a million. If you add the Phil State stream, you got basically like almost 11 million people. That's immense. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely crazy. Uh, so very quickly here, right in the beginning, we have Congressman Matt Gates. Thank you so much for joining the panel, uh, Congressman. Oh, thank you. I thought I'd begin with a boring 20-minute speech of a warmed over uh, stump remarks and then have you ask me a bunch of uh, pre-screened questions from my existing supporters only. <laughs> I understood those. That's, those well, are now the rules of spaces, that only your friends will ask you questions, and you can start with a 20-minute sedative monologue. Is that, is that what we're doing? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The sedative monologue, that was great. You know, we had a lot of people that were like, oh, my God, you know, we tuned out of that space, you know, so quickly. Just because, I mean, so it was supposed yeah. to be. Decline is a choice. Nick. People were decline is a choice. <laughs> Don't make it in this space. <laughs> yeah, I thought there were going to be audience questions, right? I thought it was going to be, you know, people would be able to come up on stage and ask some, you know, maybe some tougher questions. Uh, but it, it really seemed like it was almost just, you know, maybe DeSantis, uh, you know, making a campaign ad. Uh, so I was, I was a little disappointed in that, but. Um, but yeah, no, I, I want to say for the audience, like you came in on the fly here. This wasn't pre-planned. I think it was like 10 minutes ago, maybe when you agreed to, uh, to jump in here. Um, That's what makes so it fun. We haven't had, right. Absolutely. But so, so I want to, I'll jump in here a little bit. I want to ask you, what are your initial thoughts here? You have Ron DeSantis jumping in against president Trump. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't really, know. like, what, what is his, is this like a backstabbing move? I know we've heard that a lot. Uh, you know, w- w- what's going on here? I think when someone decides that they believe that they need to be president of the United States, like loyalty is a very diminished part of the calculus. And that's not just in the 2024 presidential contest. I think back to even when Rubio and Jeb were both eyeing the presidency. Jeb Bush went down to Biscayne Bay and molded Marco Rubio out of clay in the early portion of his political career. He was Marco's benefactor in every conceivable way and mentor. And then, you know, when Marco decided that he thought he had the skills to be president, it didn't matter that that Jeb was running too. And I see a lot of corollaries here. The one thing I didn't expect was that the universe would actually give Donald Trump two different Jebs to run against in different election cycles. Yeah, so so we we actually saw uh, Ron DeSantis came out 
uh, and started attacking uh, Trump today, especially. I, I believe he did an interview where he was saying that Trump actually handed the country to, to Dr. Fauci in March of 2020. I mean, is that is that a fair criticism? Well, how would you respond to that? At the time, the first you know Surgeon General in the DeSantis administration, it was someone who was largely parroting Dr. Fauci. So, you know, if there were people in the Trump administration saying things that we didn't like, there were also people in the DeSantis administration saying things we didn't like. But I think the fact that this is the opening salvo against Trump fundamentally misunderstands the race on the part of the DeSantis camp. He's not running against Trump in 2021 or 2020, where lockdowns are the principal feature of our politics. This is going to be an election about who, who can get the economy moving again. And in Florida, you know, I, I don't want to come across as a DeSantis critic in this space. I actually think highly of the governor. I've worked closely with him for many years, and I, I wish him only uh, you know, safety and happiness on the trail, though I'm su- supporting Trump. But like DeSantis inherited a Florida that was on a meteoric economic rise and had benefited from unified Republican control of the government in Florida for an entire political generation. Like they, there hasn't been a Democrat legislative leader in Florida since I was like 14. So that gave DeSantis that that tailwind. Uh, and I think that as we evaluate who can bring us out of the morass and malaise that we're in now, Trump has proven that he can do that before. And that, that's why a lot of people who think highly of Governor DeSantis are steadfast for President Trump. I would also observe that like those who have seen both up close know who is particularly cut out for this job, and it's Trump. Like When Ron DeSantis first announced for governor of Florida in 2018. He could have had any American introduce him that was supporting his candidacy, and he chose Brian Mast. And then when he was elected governor, he could have chosen anyone to lead the transition and help him build out his government, and he chose me. I was his transition chairman. And then even after it was pretty clear that he was going to run against Trump for the presidency, he chose uh, Byron Donalds to introduce him following his reelection. And like, so DeSantis chose Gates, Donalds, and Mast, and we all chose Trump. And it's not in any way a negative commentary on DeSantis so much as it is a clear and universal understanding between these two men that for this time, Trump presents the unique skill set to be able to get the job done, to finish the job. You you alluded to um, the fact that you weren't very much impressed with DeSantis's uh, uh, what, what happened yesterday. So essentially what, I mean, if you want to just elaborate on what your thoughts were in terms of his announcement. Well, I mean, what did you think of it? Well, I thought, I th- my, well, my thoughts were it was horrendous. He was quite robotic, uh, but it was a win for Twitter in the sense of the number of people who, uh, who tuned in. So a lot of people tuned into that space. And then our concurrent space, there was a lot of debate about what happened. And so it was an open dialogue. And so I thought from that perspective, Twitter won. But I'd love to hear your thoughts, Matt. Well, yeah, Twitter, I think, did well there. I mean, if if Twitter had had a space with Tucker Carlson, would it have done better or worse? I don't know. If they'd have had, you know, a, a one with just Elon, would it have done better or worse? I don't know. What, what I can say is that Ron DeSantis approached that experience uh, as more of an oral book report than a Twitter space. Uh, you know, what I've enjoyed about this platform is, 
it's dynamic. There's a certain like kind of way that it's democratized where people get to offer their feedback. It can be fun and like sua sponte, like, like this has been right out of the blue. But for DeSantis, he wasn't really talking with people. He was just talking at them. And it was, it was like if you told the AI chatbot to build you a Twitter space from a you know, Republican candidate for president of the Heritage Foundation. Yeah, so I, I want to encourage the audience here. Uh, leave your questions for Matt Gates. He'll be, he'll be with us here for, uh, for a little bit. Uh, if you have questions for him, put them down in the bottom right-hand corner, and uh, we'll have the team going through them, and we'll, uh, we'll try to, to blast as many as we possibly can. Uh, 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 Congressman, so one of the arguments that the DeSantis camp makes is that he is uh, more likely to win against Joe Biden than Donald Trump. I'm not necessarily saying I agree with that, but I mean, is, is that a is that a fair argument? Is that is that true? I mean, if we took, you know, shiny face Glenn Youngkin and gave him some you know, AI generated campaign slogans and, you know, uh, warmed over speeches about American greatness and he'd said nothing of great substance and all Republicans unified behind him and there was no primary, like he'd probably get about 60 percent of the vote against Joe Biden in the national election. But then what would we have really won anyway? Like, I'm tired of these Republicans that we get into positions of power that don't actually fight. And I see them every day in Washington already. What was exciting about the Trump era is that you could actually break through the wall. You could do things differently. That, that he, was, he was willing to take input from such a wide array of people uh, and process that, that it, it generated about it its own cool, innovative meritocracy. And that's not what you get in DeSantis world. It's certainly not what you got from that Twitter space the other night. Yeah. And, and so we have seen, uh, actually, oh, is that yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm up. Uh, Governor, how are you? Governor, it's Congress. the Congressman. Sorry. How are you? I like where you're. I like. Where you're <laughs> no, I just. I, I literally just woke up. I'm a bit late for the space. Um, Congressman, my question for you is: People don't like Trump's personal attacks, and, and there's people talking about Trump fatigue. Is that is that a reason why some people might go with DeSantis, even though they might not agree with his uh, policies? Well, some call it Trump fatigue. I call it Trump nostalgia. Yeah. Some people, some people don't like the mean tweets. I miss them. So maybe I'm the wrong guy to ask uh, for that question. But here's one thing I've learned about politics. You have to win one election at a time. And I don't really, you know, other than maybe the election of Joe Biden, frankly, in the last Democratic primary, there's not a whole lot of strategic voting. Usually people vote for who inspires them, not like, well, I'm going to vote for this person, even though they're not my favorite in this election, but because in an upcoming election, I think they've got greater prospects. You know, that's somehow um, going to define that decision. I, I, I get that, you know, Trump's different, but he's a, uh, you know, he's a 78 year old man. He's going to be who he's going to be. And I think it's the best option we got. Congressman, um, one major issue that I believe that voters really, really care about is the Ukraine and Russia war. And Trump's been very clear that he wants a, he'll make a deal within 24 hours, he said, and he'll ensure that there's peace. People have concerns about that there's going to be a world war. 
We've seen DeSantis kind of change his position quite a bit. He wasn't even asked the question yesterday. I mean, what does that tell you about DeSantis? Have we got any any idea what his position is going to be? And your thoughts generally on that would be brilliant. Well, I am not a supporter of the United States' entanglement in the war in Ukraine. I've been pretty vocal about that, pretty consistent about it. Where I think this is most illustrative with DeSantis is not on the substance, where I think he's been on both sides. It's how he makes decisions. And I actually think DeSantis's heart is probably where I am and, frankly, where Trump is. But if you get the right billionaire donor to call, the right super PAC benefactor, I think you find DeSantis more malleable. And that's concerning to me beyond Ukraine. Uh, I do have to uh, conduct another interview, so I've got to hop off, but may uh, may jump back yeah, on. Matt, uh, Congressman, one quick, quick, Congressman, one last quick question. I'll ask every special guest when they come on. Your thoughts on Twitter spaces as a new form of journalism. Just a quick few seconds, if you don't mind. As a form of journalism, I hate it. As a form of communication and collaboration, I love it. But my least favorite thing about all of this is that it results in new stories and clips and, uh, and, and follow-on content. I, I appreciate it for what it is in the moment, and I loathe the fact that Twitter spaces have a life beyond uh, the actual words spoken on the platform. I appreciate it, Congressman. Thanks a lot for joining. Congressman, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank Hope to you. Have you back soon. All right. Thank you. Getting the panel up. Let's get all the speakers up. Justin. Yeah, that was good. Now, look, I, I'm on to ask him a question, but we'll, we'll have plenty of time for that. Uh, you know, what, was was your, what was question. your question? And my question was, you know, President wow. Trump came up. What? No, President Trump came out pretty strong today, and he lambasted uh, Governor DeSantis for doing worse than Cuomo during the pandemic in Florida. And I wanted to know, as a representative of Florida, did he think the same thing? I'm going to guess he didn't. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, 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 because, you know, here was Trump accusing Florida of being the third worst states performance wise during COVID, which is complete fabrication and lie. And it's an attack from the left. And it's one more example on how I'm completely frustrated with the Trump campaign and their gaslighting that could power the entire country for a year on the issue of COVID. I mean, I think a lot of this would probably be wrapped up. He could probably find some some great credence if he just would own up to the issues that he caused during the pandemic and the things he still ignores. And that's that's where I'm at. I just it is frustrating, super frustrating. It's my, my core issue. And uh, I, I I love that we can get uh, the congressman on here. I'm trying to get a couple other people. Uh, see if I can get uh, Steve DC out here from last night's show. Well, Justin, uh, I know you're a major, major Trump fan, so I'd like to know what were your thoughts, generally speaking. I'm not sure if we got you on stage yesterday on this. Well, wait, so, so what was, what wait, can the... someone tell me, what were the attacks? So this is getting interesting. Finally, we're seeing DeSantis attack. What were those attacks like, Slayman, Nick? Like, just give me a quick overview. What did we see before you go to the panel? So, so what, well, it, it kind of happened the way that we expected. We saw these kind of attacks coming uh, where uh, DeSantis is essentially ta attacking Trump. I think the line from today was that Trump in March of 2020 handed the country over to Dr. Fauci. And Dr. Fauci was the one that was, you know, shutting down the country and uh, and implementing these draconian COVID uh, 
policies, uh, which seems to be a yeah. Well, you remember for Ron DeSantis because Ron DeSantis. Yeah, well, you remember Congressman Congressman. Yeah, Congressman Getz alluded to the fact that his Surgeon General in Florida had the same policies as Dr. Fauci. And what did DeSantis do? He fired him. He fired him in the middle of a conference where the general, the Surgeon General of Florida was saying, we are absolutely going to stay shut down. He had one of his aides come in, tap the guy on the shoulder, pull him aside. He didn't walk off the stage. The aide came back in again, tapped the guy on the shoulder, and he next day was fired. So that's exactly what you do with leadership. It's what Fauci should. It's what Doctor. It's so, what, so Justin, what Trump should have done with Doctor Fauci. So, so you're talking. You talk, he's using COVID as one one form, uh, one thing to use to attack Trump. Anything else that he's using, or not yet? Just now focusing on COVID policy. Well, a lot of it was the back and forth with some of the videos. Uh, this is the this is the Twitter video war. Uh, I think this is really going to be the election of that. So there's lots of videos going back and forth from previous. Uh, months and years and everything else there. So the, it's, it's on various topics, but a lot of it was COVID-centric today. Mario, can I just chime in here for a second? Um, I, I'm Chris Nelson, Reopen Chris, and my name's Reopen Chris for a reason, because I started the group Reopen South Florida, which uh, was fighting against these local mayors and these local tyrants uh, with their mask mandates and stuff. And I just can't believe Matt Gates would come on here. And he sounded a little deflated. Maybe it's because his candidate put out a whole bunch of nasty things about Florida on the same day that he endorsed him. But Justin is absolutely right. When Scott Rivkes was the Surgeon General here in Florida, he started spouting Fauci nonsense. And DeSantis had a an aide come out and yank him off the stage, basically. He should have given her a cane to pull him off the stage with. And he replaced him with an America's frontline doctor, Joe Latipo. And to say that all the people are coming to Florida um, uh, with, regardless of DeSantis, I don't know how Matt Gates can say that with a straight face. Everybody knows the reason why people are flocking to Florida from places like New York, from places like California, was because of the freedom that was offered here to come here and not have to wear a mask and to operate your business. And uh, for Trump to be uh, singing Cuomo's praises when Cuomo was making people have vaccine passports, that's what they were doing. You had to show medical papers to go into a restaurant. We would have absolutely had that here in Miami and Fort Lauderdale down here, they would have done that. But DeSantis saw that that's what was on the horizon and signed a law preventing it. And uh, for, for Trump to be going out at, at him on this, and, and this is what I predicted too, by the way, was this would be the first thing. And, you know, the Trump people, they all want to say, oh, let's. this isn't about the past. Uh, we need to move on. Dude, this was like last year, okay? This isn't like 20 years ago when, when Trump was having affairs and stuff like that. This is like last year. And this matters because here in Florida, we've put things in place that will protect people's livelihoods. No mandates are going to happen here in Florida if a magical virus escapes from Wuhan again. And that is thanks to Governor Ron DeSantis. I don't know how the rest of the country will be, but we, as, as the reopen movement down here in South Florida, I chased DeSantis all over the place. Anytime you had a press conference, I was there saying, rein in these local mayors, rein them in. And you know what? He listened 
to the people and he became um, our, our ally. He was an ally of the people against these uh, these little bureaucrats that we had all over the state, by the way. In Palm Beach, it was a really bad one. Here in Broward, you had all these little mini Fauci's all over Florida. And they were they were t- given DeSantis the finger the whole time. And he actually legally and uh, through the law reined them in and stripped them of their power and freed Florida. And it, it, it did become an oasis of freedom and he set up things in place that this will never happen again. So, you know, Matt sounded a little tired, but I'd be too if I was uh, backing Trump. And uh, uh, it, it's great to see that uh, uh, what's what's coming out of Team DeSantis today. So, um, Heather, I brought you up. What, what's your thoughts on that? <laughs> you just brought Heather. <laughs> look how obvious he makes it look like Heather. <laughs> like, that was so bad. It's like, no, Heather. No. Destroy. Uh, we need just, like, just say pass, Heather. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to say anything. <laughs> just. I mean, just want to be. Just like Heather. Look what she's. Look what he said about Trump, and then she's like, smash. Yeah, Heather, go ahead, please, please. Just real quick before smash. Heather responds, I, I do want to say that. Uh, I'll, let, I'll let Heather smash it's here really, just a like, second. Uh, but uh, I just want to let everybody know, Congressman Gates is um, uh, most likely coming back here uh, in about. 10 to 15 minutes he's currently doing another interview so i just wanted to let everybody know that so uh, i appreciate you can prepare your questions everyone uh go ahead heather i mean i just can't take anything chris chris says seriously and i i I feel like honestly it's all true no it's not dude you're you're like one of those like I feel like everybody like you, in the back of my head, I, I feel like somehow someone's paying you. Because, like, you, like nothing you say, say ever makes sense. You don't listen to evidence. Like, I, I genuinely Nobody's believe... Nobody's paying me big... except for Ron DeSantis saved my wife's career and my career by protecting us from vaccine passports. And a lot of you guys always are saying, you guys are getting paid. You're getting paid. None of these guys on Twitter here that are defending DeSantis, unless they work for his team are getting paid but a lot of us are business owners who ron desantis saved our business and i started out as well, an opponent did. of desantis but he won me well, over Chris, by Chris, I have a, okay look about the whole COVID. look i'm i'm all I had, I had let me let, let me, let me yeah. do i want yeah. i want to say something about covid because that that is constantly used to debate um chris I, I want to get your thoughts on this do you think that you know if you remember during covid there was a lot of confusion everyone was getting advice from fauci um, and, you know, I don't know why we keep using that as a reason to support or attack any candidate because. Well, it matters like, a lot. It, it does matter a lot. It does matter a lot. But I'm saying like back then it, it was just everything was so new that now we're, ma- we're, we're, we're judging them based on hindsight. But I don't think well, they well, had the information to make decisions back then. Like, I the, think it's... it's no, it's, we, I, I knew in March, Mario. You knew, Justin. Justin, Justin, you knew in March, but not everyone else did. Yeah, DeSantis knew. They all had the same information. Trump had the same information as DeSantis had. And they were all using, remember, Fauci and the CDC and what they were saying became science. And after, once we got first through the first two weeks to slow the spread, where I was like, okay, I trust Trump. This is a little weird, but, you know, let, let's see where he's going with this. There's no way he's going to go along with this. We love Trump. He's a freedom guy. Then he comes out and signs this CARES Act, which just is the reason why we have our inflation today, by the way, and then does 60 days to slow the spread. 
once we got to that point, there was a, a um, there were other doctors that were coming out. Joe Latipo was one of them um, putting out op-eds in the Wall Street Journal saying, you know, look, th there is no science behind this. Unless we are ready to do a China-style lockdown, there is not going to be um, any preventing of this virus going around by lockdowns, by doing these kind of semi-lockdowns. Um, and, and everybody had this same information. And we know because DeSantis War Room is finally uh, putting this stuff out that Donald Trump made his decisions about Anthony Fauci because the media was in love with Fauci. And Trump it loves what the media says. Ron DeSantis was reading All right, so and I was just, read, read I, I, book. He I, was reading I, uh, the report Chris, that were saying otherwise. Let, let, let me go to Heather because I didn't interrupt her. Just because I, I, I just hear COVID constantly being used as either a tool to support a candidate or to attack another. And I know in this case it's Trump versus DeSantis, but it's been used multiple times over the last few months. And I just think it's – it's it, I, I, I just think we're, we're trying to judge those candidates based on hindsight. And I think we're not giving them – It's it's kind uh, of retribution, Mario, for our yeah. kids. I, I don't know who else has kids here. I have eight of them. And what they went through an experience, they can't go. They can't go to the voting booth. I can, and I can make my voice heard for them. I hope they look ten years back from now when they realize how much this damaged them, how how strong their dad fought for them to make sure this never happened to them or their kids. So the problem with this argument is right. Um, first of all, Mario, you're right. A lot of people are looking at this from hindsight. Essentially, when that was happening, we saw there was a barrage of attack against Trump by the media. We saw that significantly. Even when he was given advice about why there shouldn't be a lockdown, you saw the attacks that were happening. And let's not pretend like everyone's trying to frame this as one guy was against it, one guy was for it. But, I mean, essentially, yes, Trump did do lockdowns. I, I understand that he didn't do them. He advised them, whatever it may be. But still, his advice is going to have an impact. But on the other hand, I mean... DeSantis was literally there with a 100-year-old patient, literally putting the vaccine in him. So to pretend that he's some kind of fighter against uh, COVID or vaccine when he's literally putting it in there for a Photoshop, thinking this is going to make him look good, it's going to get him more votes. You can, you can claim that he's apologised afterwards and Justin said there was a video when he was almost crying. I'd like to see that video. I still haven't seen it. Uh, but essentially, look, he was... We saw what he, what they did, and to make it look like they did that is uh, I just yeah. Let me, let, me, let me guys guys yeah. let me, no, me guys no, yeah, yeah. I, I want, I want guys guys just two and, seconds. Uh, I want I want I want Gabe to respond to this. Heather, I'll give you the mic right after Gabe. I promise. I know I interrupted you, but Gabe, I want you to respond to this to the the COVID narrative being used. And I think it's going to be used uh, in 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 the presidential debates. Can you give me your thoughts on the argument being made by both sides before I go to Heather? Keep arguing. I love it. It is amazing. The amount of back and forth bitching and moaning about COVID. You've got Donald Trump today releasing a video saying how Ron DeSantis didn't know what he was doing. And then if you look back at this a compilation of videos, probably like 20 different appearances of Trump in 2020 singing praise to DeSantis. So the fact that both parties are attacking each other. Oh, please. Keep it going. I love it. Um, uh, I mean, uh, Gabe, is your party going to allow RFK even an opportunity to attack? Is he even going to get a chance? Does he have enough support? He does seem to have a lot of support, Robots yeah. Based good. on what? Based, based on what? Based on the polls. What, what's the polls showing now? The, his polls numbers are very similar to DeSantis, aren't they? 
I don't believe so. I didn't see that. Well, DeSantis broke the internet last night, so I'd say that's a pretty good poll. And I think he did a damn good job, too. Broke the internet? Hey, let- what are you talking about? Broke That's the right, Gabe. That's, That's right, Gabe. We so bro- he broke. Because Twitter Spaces is the best. So That's right. right. Hear, Twitter Spaces Trump. is the best, Chris. Yeah. Say it, Chris. Let's, let's hear Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I, vote, I vote Twitter Spaces as well. I'm glad, Chris. We're on the same boat there, Gabe. Don't dog. You got a great space here, man. Mario, I love your space. That that announcement was the most boring shit I've ever heard. You had the one guy who doesn't know. Don't hate on spaces, Gabe. Don't hate on spaces for me, bro. Come on. Look, I'm not hate on spaces. Telling you about Let Gabe speak, guys. Come on, he's giving an unbiased. Go ahead, Gabe. What else is this? I'm not hating on spaces. a stand-up comedian, all right? But he knows how to do policy and get policy done. I mean, I don't know. I thought his thinking is how to put in for DeSantis is as much of an android as Elon Musk. You got two people who don't know human interactions. They're super awkward. You've got one guy trying to moderate a, a panel. DeSantis had to bring in a fucking team of people to even have a discussion. The fact that he had to announce that he was announcing he was going to run for president, that's so fucking dumb. Give me a break. I mean, well, I, gotta have I won't the internet I'm not, I'm not, I'm not shitting on spaces because I appreciate spaces. I am kind of shitting on Elon Musk for not having the bandwidth and the support that would be necessary to support something like this. But also, if you're going to announce that you're running for president, the fact that you announced you were doing a Twitter space already took the fanfare out of announcing. And the fact that he's having a, 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 a scripted, despite Elon Musk saying it's not scripted, you're having a conversation where you're, you're basically just coming in with prepared uh, uh, talking points and you have to bring people in to support you. He made his pitch. I mean, he was announcing for president. He made his pitch, you know? Now what pitch? What was his pitch? How many times did he say the word fucking woke? I don't think he, he doesn't <laughs> drop F-bombs. What are you talking about? Oh, woke? He, okay. How many times did he drop woke? Woke is a big deal, man, because guess what? It's yeah, it's a deal that's going to cost him the election. I guarantee the it. And how I guarantee these uh, people are, are the forced more... to use diversity, equity, inclusion... Um, or, or, or use these, uh, the, not DI, but these, uh, these criteria. Chris, in, uh, let, me, let, me, let me do you a favor. Chris, no one on. cares, dude. Chris, Chris, let me. No one cares. He's going he's gonna to talk more about woke ideology Chris, and how, you know, woke goes to die in Florida and DI and, and CRT and all this stuff. Regular people in America do not care about that. He's going to spend all of his time and effort talking about woke this and woke that. And you know what? Go for it. He's going to waste his time running on that platform, and it's going to cost Chris, him. Chris, Not Chris. that he had a chance against Chris, Let me do it. Hold on. Let me, let me do you a favor. Chris, Chris. I'm going to do you a favor, Chris. Now listen to this. Gabe doesn't like Trump or DeSantis. So instead of arguing with Gabe, yeah, so what you should do is you should skip your turn, give Heather the mic. She'll talk positively about Trump, and then get, Gabe will go wild on Heather. And now you got Gabe on your side. That's how I would oh, play the that's politics. that's a great idea. All you right, got to play it, politics. Don't, don't use Mario's manipulative tactics. Go after everybody. Suplex oh, everybody Heather. who attacks your, your guy. Gabe, you, you, Gabe I, did che- I did check the um, polls, and um, on May the 19th, CNN Paul Kennedy was polling at 20% similar to DeSantis. Which so is pretty, that's did. pretty surprising. Uh, I, 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 I caught me by surprise how quickly uh, RFK, uh, you know, 
scored a pretty high number. Yeah, the but these guys are not going to give him a chance. At least, the, at least the GOP are giving the both sides a chance to have. Well, it's, it's very, have, it's very common there. for it's very common because the the Biden is the incumbent, so it's very common to support the incumbent um, when it comes to an election. But I, I, well, not really. They did it. And they he's got. It, and they, he's, they, went against, they went against Bernie. They went against uh, Bernie twice. It wasn't because the incumbent. They have the establishment people. They want in there, and they don't want it. They don't. Anyone else gets. Basically wiped out. I no forgot chance. about the whole establishment. All right, Heather. Heather, Heather, would, Heather would go ahead. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> oh, hold on. I just want to say about the whole COVID point. I mean, the the thing about DeSantis and Trump saying that oh, one was bad on COVID, other was bad on COVID. Let's be quite frank about DeSantis. Uh, I know personally, for trying to apply to jobs in Florida, they still require the, the jab, they still require the mask, and I was considering going to Florida. Not, not entirely because of DeSantis, but because of the state being a bit more right-wing. And, of course, more so importantly for me, it was by a beach. But um, they still require masks and jabs over there. They did lock down. And to say that uh, DeSantis was perfect on COVID is inaccurate. Both Trump and DeSantis, and I'm a Trump supporter, both of them could have done better. And we're looking at this you know, years, years into the future. We're not really <laughs> looking at it as of that time. So... I mean, you can say bash Trump or bash DeSantis about the COVID problem, but let's be quite honest. Every, pretty much all forms of government had problems with. Yeah, COVID but this is this is the of- the leadership issue that we're getting to. This is something I'm sure Lev would agree with, which is that Trump will never acknowledge his faults, and therefore he will never grow as a leader. And it's going to be very challenging when you look down the terrible list of people that he put in there. And Suleiman, just you can see up there in the nest, I put two videos. Uh, the last one I posted. Uh, this is from September 2020, where DeSantis is doing a sort of reflection back on the lockdowns. See, I would love to have a moment where Trump says, you know what, that uh, that whole uh, vaccine rush to, to, to market that we did, I think that was wrong. You know what, the lockdowns are wrong. You know what, I should have fired Fauci. He has never, ever even alluded to his regret around anything pertaining to the COVID policies. I would love to come Fire out and say you know, that PPP was a huge fraud, and I regret Fauci it. did nothing in 2020. He gave Fauci an fired. award. He gave Fauci a presidential commendation on his way out the door. That tells me. Yeah, his last day of office. If that was in 2020. In 2020, it was in January of 2021. Yeah, it was January 2021. Let's let's not let's not forget Trump was the guy that was telling people to shoot. Need a calendar. Wait, 2020 calendar. You really do. It happened in 2021 on his way out the door after being president. He gave him a presidential commendation. Look it up. Burks was on there. His son-in-law, Kushner, all the people involved in Operation Warp Speed, he gave a commendation to. You know what that tells me? That tells me he thinks and still probably thinks, thought at that time for sure, that it was the right thing to do. And how many people have been injured by this vaccine? And the lies to the who? I know. Seriously. Let me... Sorry, guys. Too many people talking. Just start, just start start Chris, Chris, Chris. I like it. I like you on here because you do smash people, right? But just uh, it's sometimes you over t- t- talk yeah. over too much as well. But uh, Justin, I've got a question for you. Let me just ask Justin. Justin, you've got the video on the on from the first of September. When? What does that? What does he? Obviously, I haven't got time to watch it right now. But if you can just tell us specifically, what what does he say in there? Yeah, I'll have to go back and read it. I watched about two weeks ago, and I can't remember verbatim, but. Basically, what, what he was talking about, someone asked him about the lockdowns again. He took a moment. He paused. He looked down. And he said, I, you know, to think that 
we had these lockdowns and that those may have contributed to these deaths. And he shook his head. He's just like, yeah, I mean, and, and there's another video I have there, a second one where he talks about we will never, ever do that again. That's what I want Trump to do. I want Trump to go up there and say, yeah, if I never yeah, will do so, these so, lockdowns so Justin, again, but I can't get that from him. Just, Justin, so, yeah, so Justin, if he said the first one isn't an apology, but the second one, if he said that, that is an apology. If he said, I'll never do it again. So I'd like to I think is, we is should that, say if, if, like, let's see the receipts and the videos before we give any, you know, yeah, yeah, credibility to, to what so which one, which one does he say? Because we still I, haven't I, seen I, the video of DeSantis I'm, I'm on my phone. I'm, I'm not at my desktop for, for broadcast. I just posted it, and DeSantis so, also right. felt really bad so, when he wait, pardoned my friend. So, Mike so one second, one second. He said he was sorry. Chris, 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 Chris. Yeah. Right, Chris. Uh, Chris or Justin, uh, you know know that famous video of him putting the vaccine in that old patient? And again, people could use the emotional argument and say, you know what, that that could have been your granddad and we want to save him. But what what was the date for that? Do we know? I don't know. The the date for that was was unclear. But can I just, because Chris seems... No, no, so when was it? Was it it around September? Basically, the reason I'm asking the question is, is it after these videos that Justin is uh, giving us? Yeah, it's after it the videos uh, because the vaccines didn't come out until the end of 2020. And so these are probably some of the first vaccines. And then all of a sudden the uh, data started coming in. We now know from CDC FOIAs that came out just this last week that they already had signals of myocarditis early in the spring of 2021 and they hit it. They redacted that. And, and uh, every, a study was just confirmed today it. on this thing. Every agency denied it. They they demigrate, they demigrate VAERS, they said anybody can put a report of an injury in VAERS. They totally undermined all of our reporting systems to hide it. But you think Trump, the real estate agent, should have divined it in 2020. It's ridiculous. No, not the vaccines. The lockdowns for sure, though. The lockdowns, absolutely. The lockdowns are what's starting this whole thing. Justin, Justin, I just want to get your argument right. So are you saying that he did the lockdowns, he then apologized, maybe cried about it, and then or got emotional. And then after that, he still put the vaccine in that hundred uh, year old guy. Or am I getting the timeline wrong? <laughs> I'm not sure. We'll go. No, look, no, we'll we'll get the timeline for you. Knew knew how dangerous they were. It, you, you no, because if, re- if it is, then the, the reason I'm book. asking Chris, Chris or Justin, the reason I'm asking the question, if you guys can clarify that, is because if he's apologizing and getting emotional, but then he's still putting this vaccine in look, in that guy, then I, I don't see your argument. Justice then, Gorsuch, Justice Gorsuch, appointed by Trump. He came out with one of the most powerful statements in uh, a ruling the other day. And he just basically said, this was the most egregious infringement on our rights in a generation, perhaps in the entire history of the United States, as far as, you know, since slavery type of thing. And, and basically, you know, he lambasted people left and right. I think in the end, when you boil it up, whatever the timeline was, this was all about the right thing to do is to uphold the Constitution and uphold our constitutional rights. When they shut down churches, when they shut down your business, Chris, and they denied you your business, that's Justin, what it's Justin, if there's a video or, or, or a statement from Trump saying that he'll never lock down again, would that change your opinion? I, I don't it think there is would, that. I don't think he's ever said that. But no, I can he's never said that. So if, Justin, if, let, if he did that, answer, if so he someone did just that. sent me an article, so someone just sent me an article, and in it, in it says, Trump says... No, no new lockdowns under this administration. So he's basically saying that there won't be any What anymore. action did he take? He didn't take any action. He just sat back and washed his hands of it and gave it to the to the governor. It's because and, it was a uh, states' rights issue, just like well, abortion. Well, you know what? DeSantis Read the is different with this. Learn this about federalism. 
This is something that's very different between DeSantis and Trump. DeSantis governs no, because with because you want it to be different. The, it's not different, can I, Chris. Can I finish? He, 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 he governs with energy in the executive. DeSantis wasn't okay. But he dies and falls asleep on Twitter. He wasn't. I so what? I mean, I, I, he bored you. I don't really care about that. He, he, he does action and he gets things done. Trump is exciting, but Trump doesn't get anything done. Trump is all talk yeah, okay, and no so, action. All right, all right, all right. I've listened. Guys, you guys. Uh, I've Chris, listened to Chris enough. I know, Can Chris, I please weigh in a little bit? Yeah, here? go for it. Go for it, Heather. And he okay, Chris, so Chris, try your someone, best not to interrupt, please. And let her yeah, finish, and then I'll go Chris. to you. Go ahead. Take go a ahead, seat. <laughs> Everyone interrupts me. So, um, so like, okay, so during COVID, one of my things that I was actually reporting on were Trump's task force, like COVID task force briefings. So, like, when the lockdowns or the virus first started coming, right, and states, he left it up to the states, certain states closed, other states didn't. When that happened, he would do these, like, weekly briefings with Dr. Burks and all of these other people. This was long before the vaccine was even in existence. And I, I, when I first got COVID, was probably in, like, June of 2020. There was no vaccine, and it spread rapidly through everybody that we worked with. And what what Trump's task force and the doctors were pushing at the time was hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. So like a Z pack. Right. And on Facebook in what was it? Probably like March of 2020 going into April of 2020. This was when like the virus was first spreading. There was a Facebook group called COVID-19 survivors and all of these people, it started mass multiplying in numbers of all of these people, not just that had COVID, but that wanted to know what was working because there was that element of fear in people. Like, is it as bad as they say it is? Um, so everybody in that group was posting that hydroxychloroquine was working. And I actually screen grabbed and recorded a bunch of stuff and archived it. People that had diabetes, one woman had one lung, and they were attributing hydroxychloroquine when given prophylactically actually saved them. Right. And, and, and was working. And this was something Trump heavily promoted. So everyone's focused on the vaccines, but they're not focused on these um, treatments like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, budesonide, whatever the uh, the inhaler that the um, one of the former doctors there in Texas was pushing. All of these things, if they hadn't been censored by the media, would have made it so that we didn't need a vaccine because there were so many early treatments that could fix COVID and it would basically make it like a common cold, like treating it with Tylenol. But yet there was this mass push by the media to censor those treatments and only heavily focus on the vaccine, which right around the same time that Facebook group started exploding with all these real life testimonies of what was working, the group was removed, right? And this same time is when a uh, Reuters partnered with Facebook to fact check medical misinformation. And one of the people on that board was the former president of uh, Pfizer. Right. So there was like this this huge sort of like effort now to censor all medical information on social media that one made the vaccines like basically not needed. Right. So all the early treatments, they were censoring that. And then once the vaccines did get rolled out, all the adverse reactions to the vaccines were being censored. So if we really want to give Trump credit, let's give him credit for hydroxychloroquine, which saved lives. And if it weren't for the media that has waged a war on him, 
also waging a war on those early effective treatments, we never would have needed the vaccines in the first place. Heather, but Who's Heather, watching? but wait a second. But so Trump, let me just Trump, go to Trump, one second, listen. guys. Lev, but, Lev, yeah. Lev, I want to go to Lev anyway. So Lev, go ahead and say what you want. And then my question to you is, there's been some reports from the mainstream media about your interactions with DeSantis and some text messages, and you, you, do, you don't seem very fond of him. So I'd love to hear that. Go ahead, Lev. Well, first of all, I'm not a Trump fan or the Santa. You're not fan. a fan, Lev. Lev, you're not a uh, so, Lev, Lev. You've never been a fan of anyone since you came on the show. We'll make it clear. Other than exactly, just, just, okay, just, I want to make it clear. Space. I try to say it like I just try. Exactly, I love the space. I love you guys here, Mario, Suleiman, Nick. You guys do great. So, but I just want to say one thing. First of all, Heather, there's a lot of things Trump said, and one of the things Trump promoted was shooting up chlorine in people's veins. No, you're taking also, that out of no, context. No, that wasn't out of context. That exactly true. That's false. Even I agree that's false. That's false. Come on. Yeah, you agree. Alright, guys. I'll have you correct anything that Lev says that's false. I'll let you correct it right after. Go ahead, Lev. It was on live TV. Everybody could make their own judgments. I will say this, that uh, I think that everything Trump did when it came to COVID was uh, completely wrong. He tried to follow any suggestion that he can. He listened to anybody who would tell him anything. I'm not a DeSantis fan, but I do agree that Ron at, at least did act a lot quicker than, than Trump and opened up the state and made it a lot more powerful than and, and made a lot more business here and active. And that's why one of the reasons why a lot of people started moving down to Florida. But whatever Trump did, he first told people not to take vaccines. Then he took the vaccine then he tried to hide it. Then he tried to take credit for the vaccine. So whatever Trump did was just to try to take credit for whatever good and whatever was bad. He tried to pretend that it never happened. As far as Ron goes, I mean, uh, I'm not a fan of his either. I think that uh, this whole COVID conversation, I don't think it's something that is going to win either one of them the presidency. I think this is just too much conversation going back and forth. They both locked down the states. Trump locked down the country. DeSantis locked down the state. Yes, DeSantis opened it up earlier, but it's a minor conversation. There's a lot more uh, to uh, problems with our country and with the world that the president's going to have to deal with within just what happened with COVID. Um, Lev, what's your thoughts about, to move away from the COVID uh, discussion now, what is your thoughts about DeSantis himself, both as a leader as well as a possible, uh, as a governor of, New, uh, of Florida and then as a possible presidential uh, candidate and president? The difference, well, I'll tell you this much. Uh, the difference between Trump and DeSantis is with Trump is what you see is what you get. DeSantis is like that snake that lays in the weeds and they will come out and uh, bite you when you're not looking. He, uh, he's a chameleon. And one thing I'll agree with Matt Gates, which I usually don't do, but he will uh, go for where the money is. If a big donor gives him enough money, he will support that policy. He's not out there making his own policies. He's mostly just going after policies that the money's flowing into him and telling him to do. He also, uh, knowing Ron the way I know Ron, is he had ambitions of the presidency from the day one. Florida was just a stomping ground for him. It was just a step to get to where he wanted to get to. What screwed him up was that Trump didn't win 2020 because in his perfect world, uh, he thought Trump was going to get 2020 and then hand over the reins in 24. And now he's going to go after, have to go after and battle Trump, which I think he's going to have a very hard difficulty because at the end of the day, uh, I made that wedding between Trump and DeSantis, and I was one of the biggest uh, uh, supporters of DeSantis that convinced Trump with Rudy to have him go out there and uh, stop grounds for him and support him and uh, give him his uh, endorsement for DeSantis to win. 
So uh, I don't think DeSantis has what it takes to be the president of our st uh, country. I don't think he would do very well on the world stage. I don't think he has a personality and uh, he listens too much to people around him and doesn't have his opinion that much where he agrees on something and stays with it. You said you mentioned you, you said that you were the cause of their union essentially. What were the specific things you did to bring them together? Um, um, well, um, how did you get involved yeah. in the first place as well? Well, basically in 2018 in May, uh, Ron approached me when he was still congressman. He approached me when I was at the Trump International Hotel, came up to me and basically said, you know, I'm the guy. He was told that I'm the guy to speak to, to be able to, you know, get uh, Trump to support him because of my relationship with Trump and Giuliani. At that time, uh, Trump just sent out a tweet about, I think, maybe several months ago supporting Ron, but didn't endorse him. There was a big push for Adam Putnam, and I was a big Adam Putnam guy at the time because of my relationship with Brian Ballard and everybody in Florida. And I was actually donating to Putnam at the time. And I basically told Ron that, you know, I don't think that he's somebody I would support because of I was also a cannabis guy, and I didn't think Ron was, a, you know, a hardcore cannabis guy and wasn't leaning towards that. Ron started, you know, coming to the hotel for the next couple of days and basically spending time with me and pitching me and telling me how, you know, he would be a cannabis guy, that he would be uh, great, that, you know, I would have a friend in the state the office and, you know, that our relationship would be a lot better than mine and Putnam's and that he's a Trump supporter and started showing me because he was at the time every day on Fox touting, uh, supporting Trump against the Russian hoax and all of that. And uh, basically at, at some point uh, we started becoming closer and I approached Rudy and I told Rudy my opinions and I told him that because Rudy and Ron didn't know each other at the time, I introduced them and told him that basically Ron would be a, our guy, a Trumper, somebody that would be a loyal to Trump, a, har a hardcore Trumper and would support him and basically do what, you know, win Florida for us, which Florida would be a big state for us for the 2020 elections. And then at some point, Rudy went to the office. And at that time, it was just like a perfect storm because uh, at the same time, there was also reports coming out that Trump started seeing about Adam Putnam because Putnam was a Jeb Bush guy when in, in 2016. And he made some uh, rhetoric remarks about Trump. And Trump saw the somebody showed him the uh, articles and Trump started uh, hating on Putnam. And there was basically nobody else at the time. So Ron, he was lucky at the time. And we convinced Trump to go uh, do the rally for him. And after he did that rally, that's when DeSantis went up uh, over Adam Putnam. And not only that, but then we, you know, I continued not only raising money for him. You got to understand, Ron, me and Ron had such a relationship, he would call me 12 o'clock in the midnight on almost every other night to talk about what we're going to do the other day. I flew with him to all over the country, to Colorado to fundraise for him. I, I held three fundraisers for him. I've spoken to most of his supporters that gave him big money and pitched him to give him more money. I helped him get the Cuban vote down in Miami. I mean, I and I brought Giuliani down here to stomp in November 4th, 3rd and 4th. We went to rallies right before the election. I was the first person Ron gave a hug to when he got off the stage. And I really believed that Ron was true to his face. And, you know, he and he promised me a lot of things. But as soon as Ron won, I mean, Ron started showing his true, his true colors and basically uh, getting rid of everybody that, you know, he, you know, that he didn't want. He started leaning towards people that started giving him the big money, even though they were against him in the beginning. But once they started giving him the big checks and big money, he started listening to them and forgetting who his true friends are. So Ron doesn't have the loyalty and he's showing it right now because, like I said, I don't believe I don't like Trump or him. But if it wasn't for Trump, Ron, Ron would never be a governor of the state of Florida. 
And, you know, he's just not a loyal guy. So how much is Billy Corbin paying you to do this uh, this uh, documentary with him against Trump and DeSantis? First of all, it's zero, and it's not about Trump or DeSantis. It's about my four years in Trump world. It's going to be a lot more than just Trump and DeSantis, and you should watch it, Chris, because it's going to be. there's lots of stuff about Pompeo, Pence, Bolton, and a lot of other people, Lindsey Graham, you know, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden. There's a lot of things that's going to be in the documentary. It's based on my four years in Trump world. I will watch it. I, and I, I like Billy Corbin's stuff. He puts out some good stuff. Hey, uh, just, just in real quick, some news, breaking news, which was uh, they've released the numbers. DeSantis uh, raised $8.2 million in the last 24 hours. Com- so the question Probably is, who gave him the money? I mean, the question, I mean, the question is there, Justin, who gave him the money so we know what his policies are, Quantum loves it. The vast majority of these came in for under $200, which are, you know, basically small do- small dollar donations. Oh, brilliant. How, oh, how many were under 200 no, I, I will it's know not, basically next month on the 15th. It's not bazillionaires doing this. This is called grassroots, and you're going to find, and I've noticed there's some never-Trumper people that are now all of a sudden Trump people and or they're never DeSantis people. It just reminds me a lot of how the dis- anti-DeSantis people are. They remind me of the anti-Trumpers back in uh, 2015. But, uh, you know, you're going to find that a lot of these donations, and I think it's going to get to $20 million, is uh, a lot of these donations are going to be just from regular people, small business owners, people that are really the backbone of this country who saw how Ron DeSantis stuck up for, stood up for them during all the COVID mania, and uh, they're grateful. There's a lot Chris, of people that are very grateful to Ron DeSantis. Chris, 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 the problem with your argument is you can use that argument against maybe people who are pro-Trump, but you can't use it against Lev. He doesn't like Trump, and he doesn't like DeSantis. Oh, and I wasn't it, using it against him. No, no, I wasn't using it against and, him. I was just saying... Yeah, I was right, right, against Chris question, yeah, yeah, Chris, let me finish, bro. I know it's hard. Uh, so essentially, uh, what his argument is is Anyone who pays DeSantis, he'll change his policy based on that position, and that's concerning. So I, I appreciate what Justin said. A lot of people are given grassroots donations, so that's not going to impact his policy. That's the majority. But then the minority of them who probably are given large donations, I mean, maybe we're going to know his policy based on those donations, according to what Lev said. I doubt Sarah, it. go ahead. Uh, you, do you have a question? I, Let me just go to Sarah. Uh, thank you. I wanted to ask Lev a couple of things. Um, first, Lev, would you say that your falling out with DeSantis was – after he became governor, did you say that he dropped all of his friends that were loyal and helped him get there and that led to your falling out with him? And then secondly, um, uh, Suleiman brought up a point about fundraising and DeSantis may or may not change his position depending on who his donors are. And I want your opinion on that as well. Thank you. And just to add to Sarah's question, Lev, if you can give a specific example as well, because anyone can make a generalization. Yes, please. There's some specific example. Thank you, Selena. Yeah, Thank you. Okay, well, uh, first question is, yes, our falling out began after he won governor because there were certain groups of people that were uh, on Adam Putnam's team and uh, basically that towards the end, even I helped uh, make a, a peace between him and DeSantis to join him. Uh, Susie Weil was one of them that joined his team, and Brian Balder was another p- person that joined his team. And then there was other people that started joining DeSantis's team once he uh, was close to the election and after he won that started talking uh, bad about me, calling me a dumpster fire because of certain articles that came out in the in the press, which DeSantis knew about already, which we discussed, which he he... I have text messages of him saying that it's fake news and don't worry about it, uh, you know, just keep your head up and stuff like that. 
But then afterwards, uh, we even had meetings, private meetings, me and Ron, when he was already uh, uh, governor, where he told me that Lev, though, you know, he gave me a private phone number, told me not to worry about it, that he wants me part of his transition team, and he sent me out paperwork and everything like that. And then slowly but surely, he stopped calling, stopped picking up phone calls, and all of a sudden uh, had his assistant start blocking me, you know, until I got too busy with Rudy and Trump in Ukraine and really, you know, stopped talking to him. So as far as that goes, the second question, I think, uh, what was it you said uh, about fundraisers? Uh, yes. Would he be swayed by who's donating to him to change his positions, maybe on things like health care, Social Security, COVID or the Ukraine? Uh, well, uh, first of all, uh, I I know for a fact uh, there was, I don't want to name certain donors, uh, I don't want to lay them out there on spaces, but there are certain billionaire donors that donated to Ron, the Jewish donors, that persuaded Ron to change his mind about certain uh, uh, things to do with the Jewish population in Florida and also like about uh, his a, visit. Could you give a specific, like what? I don't recall exactly the exact policy. I, you know, I could, I'll, let me go back to some of my records and some of my emails and double check. It's a and big I could brush come. you're painting with, Lev, and that's why I think a lot of people are concerned. I mean, I mean, look, I mean I'm, Trump, I'm Trump today is he's teeing off today. He was at the golf tournament with the LIV. LIV is probably paying his his clubs millions of dollars across the country from Saudi Arabia, and I don't fault him for that. But let's just be clear. Uh, if, if we're talking about big money changing hands and somehow influencing people, uh, I would say there's concerns there if people wanted to look at it that way as well. But I really don't – I don't have any worries about these things because I, I, I know uh, – I, I think I you don't know have worries the character. Somebody pay, well, oh, Justin, well, you don't have uh, worries that somebody can basically pay the United president of the United States and force him to change but, based on whoever pays him so most. So, if for Lev, actually, the, the following question is to Justin's point, though, Lev. Do, do you think that a, a kind of just as Justin's saying is that kind of like the Saudi money because of the Gulf? Do you think that might be a talking point within the DeSantis camp or other anti-Trump candidates saying kind of this foreign influence and foreign money into his business? Do you think that's going to become a talking point? Well, uh, put it to this way, when uh, he was running his 2018 campaign, uh, DeSantis uh, didn't care about where the money came from, uh, uh, but all he did is care about the amount of money, and he only looked at the big donors and cared about meeting with them and discussing and promising them whatever they wanted to hear. So uh, I haven't been with them at, for already several years. I don't know where who's paying him now. I haven't been with them, and I don't know who's. But just looking from the outside and looking at the way he's uh, uh, doing certain things, uh, I don't see him bringing up these policies on his own. I see that somebody's pushing him, especially like with the Disney thing. I think that there's some big money behind that that he that you know wanted him to go that route, and why he's taking it to, to such a degree. That's my opinion. I don't have any uh, fact about From that. From who? Yeah. Can who you talk? Can you talk about Christina? That is your. I mean, that is your opinion, so that is important to highlight. But Lev, specifically, I mean, you, um, I mean, you gave that example of uh, Jewish donors giving him money and and that implement uh, impact and policy, but and but you said you can't remember what the specific policy is. Is there a specific policy? that you do remember because the issue is when we're making these kind of like accusations, we do need a bit of substance to back them up because I, do, I understand it. Suleiman. I'll get, I'll get, I'll get you, I'll get you the exact, but I knew uh, he started, he did a lot of favorable stuff in which I'm for, don't get me wrong. I'm Jewish and I'm fair and I'm for, you know, he did a lot 
for the Jewish community in Florida, for the schools, for the uh, Habats, for the uh, synagogues. I mean, uh, so I'm not against it. But uh, he wasn't uh, uh, for those policy until some real money came in from South Florida, from certain synagogues, which, again, I'm not going to mention the names right now because uh, that's not my job to do. But I will look up the policies uh, and come back on here and tell you what it, what they were. I just don't – I wasn't prepared to discuss policies right now. So, so I mean, you, don't you, have you could leave it at that for now. For now, fair enough. Fair enough. For now, I don't have – For now, for for now I don't. I, I think that's the Santa's took money from yeah, – yeah. yeah. Let me just go to Chris. Chris, one second. Chris, we're going to come to you in a second. Sarah, have you got another question? Uh, yes, thank you. Um, Lev, you're doing a documentary and you said that it's not about Trump or DeSantis, that it's about your time with Trump. How could it not be about Trump if it's about your time with Trump? And when will that come out and on what oh. network? Oh, no, I didn't say it's not about Trump. I said it's not particularly about Trump. It's uh, it's a lot about Trump. It's about DeSantis, but it's a lot about, it's basically about my life in Trump world and everything. I mean, there's lots of subjects there. There's the Ukraine impeachment. There's things that went on that people don't know what happened in Venezuela with Maduro, with Guaido that I was intricate part with. There's things in Turkey and Erdogan that I was intricate parts with that people don't know about. So there's a lot of things that are going to come out. I mean, Lindsey Graham's whole role in the Ukraine stuff uh, and so on and so on. So, I mean, there it's, it's more than just Trump, to, but it, it's based off of a, a Trump's world, absolutely. And, you know, DeSantis has a lot in there and stuff like that, and Giuliani, obviously, and so on. Um, Chris, uh, have you got any questions? Have you got any thoughts? Oh, I, I look forward to seeing the documentary. And I've seen Billy Corbin's work before. Billy Corbin is very much on the left and very big about, you know, doing gotcha things with people on the right. But I'll tell you, I love Cocaine Cowboys and the uh, I think, but I, and, uh, the other one he did about Falwell, who, you know, endorsed Trump. But, uh, you know, it doesn't sound like you have any receipts uh, about uh, DeSantis doing things based on corporate donors. And I'll tell you, I, I know politicians that are beholden to their corporate donors. I know politicians that are hospital politicians. There's one of them that's a Republican congressman that just endorsed Trump. His whole um, uh, contributions are from hospital association, this and that. And guess what? He was out there stomping for Sarasota Memorial Hospital when we were uh, with the whole thing where they removed Dr. Littell and they were they were doing that. They were having the whole public hearing about the covid protocols at Ron DeSantis. I think he took money from Disney. I think didn't he take money from Disney? I think that he he, he doesn't listen to his corporate sponsors. And I'll tell you, it probably does upset them he makes decisions because and i know this because i know the man i've from watching him not personally just from watching him and he makes decisions that uh, that doesn't make much sense he's about to let this COVID hospital liability shield um you know expire and and the going against the hospitals for the uh the the mask mandates and the vaccine mandates and taking on all these people um i think he made a lot of people really unhappy and i've just watched him and watches how he makes decisions he doesn't make decisions like a guy that's beholden to corporations yes he does and i can give you two examples yeah go ahead so the first one right was during when he locked everything down and he shut down airbnbs but kept hotels open and then got a huge donation his biggest donation from a hotel tycoon owner 
right? That profited off of his decision to close Airbnbs but keep hotels open. Secondly, the whole thing with Disney, if you look back on Mario's recorded stream of his announcement yesterday or whatever, when he was talking about Disney, he actually shot himself in the foot. He actually made some sort of comment where he said it became no longer profitable for Florida to stay in business with Disney in that in that sense and to keep that deal going. For the sole fact that Americans, in the same way they tried to cancel Bud Light and Target, have been boycotting the wokeness being injected into Disney for years now. I myself canceled Disney plus subscription in our household. And that was long before DeSantis, you know, was in the picture. And so Disney itself had already been losing money, losing subscribers. And DeSantis yesterday pretty much alluded to that, that it was on its way out already. And it became not profitable to keep those negotiations in place. Then he also says, I actually helped Disney and kept them open when California closed them. So in reality, he's actually done more to benefit Disney. And Disney was one of his big donors. And he acknowledged yesterday that Disney was dying and that that arrangement was no longer working. Well, that's mainly because of Star Wars. For him to try to elude, like, all of a sudden he's this knight in shining armor in Florida coming to destroy Disney. Disney was already dying. Yeah, we're agreed. I mean, Disney... It's like sticking a dead Let me me go to... How's their stock price doing today, Heather? Let, Let me go to Doc. Doc, you got a question? Doc? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I was just curious about Christina Peshaw, you know, the very silent and stealthy uh, communications director. I think now for the campaign, her I'm curious about her history in the Ukraine, the pictures of her uh, uh, kissing Zelensky on his inauguration, her association, and now uh, disclosed association as a uh, an agent for, for uh, sorry, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm curious about Christina. That's my question. Lev, that's a question to you, I think. I mean, I don't know her personally, but she's a total joke. When I try to confront her on some of the stuff she said, she blocked me right away and never responded. So uh, she's she's definitely, uh, I think, a total joke. And to, for Ron to have her as his uh, communications director, I think, is a joke. She's pretty brilliant. Let me go to Brick. She, she drives you crazy, Brick. doesn't she? Brick, let me go to Brick. <laughs> she, no, she's just, uh, I think, yeah, a hey, joke. I've been listening for you know the last forty five minutes. And I've heard a lot of talk about COVID, uh, but going back to the question up the, the the top of the space, Trump versus DeSantis, who will win? I don't think that COVID is going to be the deciding factor. I'm not even sure it's going to be one of the top three. Uh, you know, there's a lot of Monday Monday morning quarterbacking going on when we look back at how things were handled in various months in 2020 with the response to COVID. You know, we're looking at it with the benefit of hindsight. And yeah, yeah. I mean, in retrospect, mistakes absolutely were made. But uh, I, I don't think it's possible to say that it was clearly obvious that they were mistakes at the time. So that being said, you know, I, I think the big issues, I, I, I just don't think that people are going to sit down and do some sort of mental calculus about which candidate did what on COVID, when they did it, and why they did it. I think they're going to vote on the visceral, the visceral issues that are going to they're going to be affecting them. And I think that that's you know immigration. I think that that's the war in Ukraine. If it's still happening, and if it's not the war in Ukraine, it's foreign policy in general. And I think it's also the economy. 
And I think that those are the three things that they're really going to look at. And, you know, on those, President Trump, I believe, is is better equipped. He's got a demonstrated history of not being adventurous when it comes to foreign incursions and wars. I mean, we know that uh, Bolton wanted to start a war when we had a drone shot down in the Middle East. Yeah, sure, it was a $300 million drone, but that's why we have drones. So we don't have to get into wars when they get shot down. But Brick, so, if I may, you know, but then, then the whole killing Suleimani is going to completely ignore? That's the typical Trump reporter no, no, right there. Gonna, he wants exactly you to forget. That's the right thing to do. Just the vaccines. Right it brings Operation Warp Speed. And say it was a good thing. You want to forget about this, but I'm telling you, the voters have not forgotten that they tried to strip away all of our freedoms and tell us we couldn't live our lives unless we took this stupid vaccine. And who was the father of the yeah, vaccine? Yeah, that was large. Donald that Trump. Was it's, it's no wonder you want to Who's forget this. Me but now we're, not you, see, we're not going to let you I can't see the this. answer. And the it's crap yeah. as always. Here's the, here's the, here's what I'm trying to say. The premise of my statement was: the more you try and use cudgel response, excuse me, the more you try and use COVID response as a cudgel to bash either of these candidates, it's not really going to work for you because the other one also had fault in the game. So you're really getting at like parsing the issue to like who. Pre- percentage wise might have been a little bit better i honestly do not think that when the election comes down not just the not just the general but even the primaries i think that people are going to move beyond covid now there's obviously going to be a group of people for who covid is a primary motivator i just don't think that that group is going to be significantly as large as you, the people you may be right. DeSantis just people raised a million dollars, man. He ran. But his I, I have a question. I, I can't. Well, well okay, he raised eight million dollars, but no point. He just raised eight million dollars, but nobody could donate to him before because he just announced. I understand that there's that there's a lot of pent up support. Why do you for think Ron that is, Rick, that, Why do you think there's a lot of pent up support for him? Uh, because we yeah. have a healthy because we have a healthy primary process in the Republican Party. And there are people who prefer him over Donald why Trump. Why is Ron DeSantis? But I don't why, think he why goes, is he even on the grid right now? Ron DeSantis is on the grid right now because he promoted freedom over fear during the whole COVID after, time. Let's be honest. After arresting people who were on the beach, let's be honest. He didn't arrest those I mean, people. Like I took the video. It was the local governments. That was the Miami Beach PD. And boy, were they a pain in the ass. His state. We had our his protests state. on the beach. His state. I was the one that took the video of Kimberly Falkenstein getting arrested on Miami Beach. Uh, I, that was my video. I could look, have made a lot more money look, for it, I, just, but I actually didn't make any you know, money for it. But that here's, was the here's local, the thing. That was the Miami. Beach this is, but this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. Getting down into the minutia of where and when and what the COVID response was at what time on what day in what month with what information is not a winning issue. For either candidate, I think I think you may be right. Let me speak real quick. I I gotta go here in just a minute because I gotta. Let me let me go to Justin Chris, please. I got I gotta go to uh, hop off to a radio show real quick here that I'm hosting for the next two hours. I hope to hop back on if you're still here. But I've got 22 other issues that I have with Trump, and and here they are. I can just list them real quick. Ray, Bolton, Meadows, Nunchen, Kelly, Millie, Chow. Omarosa, Cohen, Scaramucci, Sessions, Barr, Tillerson, Esper, Azar, Farah, Haley, Kushner, Adams, Fauci, Burks, and Pence. I mean, these were 
across the board, terrible, terrible, terrible decisions. And he listened to them. He hired them. And now he's later backstabbing them for he did not doing hire whatever. But those are those are those are critical issues that I don't any I don't think anyone can fault me for questioning Trump having another term with those people in his first term. I think everyone should question yeah, so Heather, say, Justin me... because Brick is right. He didn't hire Fauci. Yes, he did. He, like, he hired him to be his COVID czar. But don't bring receipts to. Yeah, with, with the exception of Fauci and Birch, he hired every single one of those people. But Justin, who would DeSantis get? I mean, I think the argument you're trying to make. I, I, I don't. I'm, let me first make make your under, understand your argument because is your argument that these guys were establishment figures, part of the swamp, etc.? I, I think the Trump camp would say. I mean, you, you, I think DeSantis, if anything, is pretty establishment, and the people who are backing him are establishment D- GOP. You know, I think that's a broad brush. I don't think you. No, nah, they're not. They're not establishment. Like, in the end, it's all about decision making. Okay, and, and I see the decisions that I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, there was an excellent colleague of mine. Uh, he has like very few credentials on an academic level, but he's one of the smartest people I know. And he was one of the main backbone people, for example, uh, helping uh, Dr. Scott Atlas when he was at the White House, just completely pro bono, which is what my team did for six months in 2020, right? Trying to right the COVID ship there. And later he showed his prowess. He demonstrated a couple of these guys even got, you know, peer reviewed studies without any major medical credentials. They just basically did great work. You know, what happened then? Governor DeSantis hired a few of these guys to help him on his COVID policy themselves. He didn't look at what college they went to and where they're from, Yale or Harvard, or what sort of people came and endorsed them. He looked at their work. He interviewed them. He They passed Monster, and I think that's what he'll bring to the White House, is common sense hiring. Were they Chinese? And not bring... Dr. J. No, not a... well, no. Dr. One of them was One of them was out of Ohio. He, 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 was, a, he was a podcast sportscaster there. And he, he had a great notion, what? just really brilliant, smart guy. And, and well, he brought well, him down there. And... the grand jury done anything with Jay Bhattacharya? Yeah. The, the, the Santos, not many people know, he said he got the Florida Supreme Court to sit a grand jury to investigate the origins yep. of COVID. He trotted out Jay Bhattacharya, who's a great, great, great professor at Stanford, you know, eminent uh, uh, epidemiologist and virologist, and nothing. They haven't gotten down to the, any origin of COVID even even concerning DeSantis's decisions are just uh, yeah, there is a there's a 22 page document that was put out by uh, I've seen it. They, the grand jury hasn't the grand jury hasn't issued any subpoenas no that, you're right anybody you know, in. I, think, I think that's that's valid I'd, lo- I'd love to see that too I'll talk to Dr. J and we'll see what uh, what the latest is there the grand Mary, I gotta run the grand jury is gonna be damning you know, talk to you guys. Cool. You need to just leave. Just leave. You don't need to like announce it, anyone. Right. Cool. Uh, we've got a few more guests coming up. We've got Tom coming up. So um, while we bring them up, Sarah, you got your hand up. Go ahead. I really don't think that any voter is. Go- We're talking about COVID. I just don't think that that's going to be on the forefront of American voters' minds. People are more concerned about immigration, the economy, and the war in Ukraine, and yet we're rehashing COVID mistakes. Um, I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm not a DeSantis supporter. But I think both of them, faced with the same decisions today, would likely make different decisions. Uh, and About that, I don't know. With Trump, I don't know. DeSantis well, Chris, no, Chris, 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 where does DeSantis, where does DeSantis stand on Ukraine? 
Chris, where does DeSantis stand in Ukraine? Um, he's not for sending any more money to Ukraine. And when, when he gets in there, things are going to change. You're going to see government operate in a way that you've never seen it operate before. We're operating with this massive surplus down here in Florida. He has just done such a phenomenal job. In, and, and by the way, who is you said uh, in, brought up immigration? Who is fighting against the Biden administration on illegal immigration? He just sent a whole bunch of uh, of, uh, the, of the Floridian Guard out to uh, the border and also is winning legal victories. Florida won a legal guys. victory. But yeah, COVID guys. And I know the Trump supporters and all and the people that were for the vaccine and thought wearing a mask and these duckbill masks and the part of where they try to make us wear two masks and force masking children and the teachers unions running amok that that was all just okay and it, gee it was just too bad it was just a mistake but you know that's the it's said you just said he's gonna stop sending money to ukraine how does that stop the war what is uh, what does that do uh, in your well, opinion I don't, Chris, don't where's the evidence? exactly Chris. on this but but you but if you google it you made a statement Chris about you chris uh, just a quick question right um i think you can't hear people when you're when you're talking uh chris specifically you made a statement that um he will not send any more money to ukraine where's the reference for that because if he said that which there no isn't there isn't a reference he did say that he's in favor of auditing more money going to ukraine but he never said that he was against more money for Ukraine. So that's just a flat out, uh, well, it's a misrepresentation. I won't say it's a lie. Well, let's see. Maybe Chris has got a quote. We know, well, we well, know, we I'm, I'm actually looking it up right now. This is something I will when I do go to another press conference. I'm going to hammer DeSantis on this because this is a very important thing. I thought at some point he said he wouldn't send any more money. But this is, the, I think he's answered this. So go ahead and Google this. But if I, um, if he doesn't trust No, me, I did. I did, Chris. I'm, I'm not going to ask him about this because this is a very no important. Topic. He he's a, he yeah, and he's avoided it, and that's the problem. He's been flip flopping on it and avoided Absolutely. the question, and, well, and well, that's we, a well, we and that's a problem. Get an answer from if he has flip flopped, which I, I don't know the flip flop at all. He doesn't flip flop. I'll Chris, tell you, but but if we do need flip flop to, to definitely get him on record anyway, talking about this. All right, Chris, 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 Chris. Okay, so but Chris is going to check the reference. I don't think that's accurate what he said, but let's see. Lev, I want to ask you though that specific point that what Chris said. Um, Obviously, we know it was inaccurate. But separate to that, um, based on your experience with Ukraine, why do you think he's flip-flopping? Because, like I said, I don't think he has an idea of what he's going to do with Ukraine. Uh, he's going to be looking to see what's going to be the most favorable thing to do for his base and for his donors and for people that are around him. And that's where he's going to go. He doesn't. Have, that's the difference between his, him and Trump. And again, that's not because I'm, I like Trump or I'm touting Trump. Trump, right or wrong, at least he has a, a way. He uh, he said he wants to do something and he tries to do it. Again, it could be wrong. It could be right with DeSantis. You don't know which way he's going to go until it's the, uh, the last second. No. So uh, that's the problem. Lev, if it's a choice between I, I, um, his base, if, Lev, if it's a choice between his base and a choice between his biggest donor, which way would he go? His base, 100%. I I think at the end of the day, he would, uh, if he already got the money from the donor, his base. If he's still trying to get money from a donor, the donor. <laughs> that's a good one right uh, Tom thanks for joining us uh, I do appreciate you coming on hey good evening we'd love to hear you Lev, I haven't seen so, you so in a Tom, long time I'm I'm sorry everything that happened to you was an outrage thank so, you Tom, Tom. thank you appreciate you, it what are you, uh, so, Tom, what are you uh, thinking did you hear the, uh, the announcement last night I don't know if you listened to the space 
you know, uh, what what are you thinking about the entire situation? I'll ask you some follow up questions after that. Yeah, I tried to listen. Um, I had to end up listening to recording, so that was frustrating. You know, I I think what's surprising about the way this campaign is shaking out is that it's it's really a it's the President Trump's campaign seems to be being run in a in a fresh in a in a, in a very professional way. And then you've got the Trump factor on top of that. So he seems to be firing on all cylinders in that regard. And and at least now, the campaign seems to be one of a president seeking his his party's nomination again. So he has this sort of incumbent protection or presidential aura about the way the race is going. Now, of course, you know, that may be that may change. Um, I don't see it changing. I don't see DeSantis being able to change it or any of the others. You know, but on the other hand, they all, I mean, you know, they all have a theory of the case, right? They all think they can become the nominee. And I would say, like, the burgeoning field in the Republican Party isn't so much about Trump's weakness, but it's about Biden's weakness. That you see the Republicans think, well, if, you know, if I can get in as the nominee, I can beat this guy. And, um, and obviously they see uh, they have to get over Trump to do that. And, I, you know, I don't see that happening. I don't think that's, you know, because I like Trump or I don't like Trump or DeSantis or whatever. I don't see a path forward given the way the polls are going. And, and in my view, the reality of the political center in the Republican Party, that Trump was abused and deprived of um, his second term in a, in a manner that was contrary to law, and the American way, and people want to. People think that he has a right to go, at least on the Republican side, and be the nominee again, given the wrong that he suffered. And so I, I don't, so, so I don't Tom, see how any any of his opponents can get overcome that. And you kind of see that in the polls. There's that huge, huge well of support, and I would say a surprising well of support, given where things stood six months ago. Tom, I want to ask you, you know, because you mentioned poll numbers. You know, now that Ron DeSantis has announced, do you expect his poll numbers to spike? I mean, we saw, uh, I believe, the haul in the past 24 hours into his campaign was $8.4 million. Uh, and the average donation, I believe, was under $200. Uh, you know, do you think those polls are going to tighten up? Yes, but he, he won't do as well as he was doing I guess whenever he was doing the best last year, whenever those numbers were, 38 or you know, 45, where he was nearly tied with Trump. I just don't see that, you know, he's going to be facing negative press, not only from Trump, but, um, you know, he's not the only person running in the in the primary. Uh, so I, I just don't see him being able to get the numbers. It doesn't, you know, you can go from 20 to 30. It doesn't get you the nomination. You go from 20 to 38, it doesn't get you the nomination. Trump has too much of yes. a loyal base that that is behind him, and that's his biggest problem, uh, DeSantis' but, biggest but, problem. But Lev, Lev, has Trump hit his ceiling? That's something that I keep hearing. It sounds like, like maybe Ron DeSantis, and I'm trying to play devil's advocate here, uh, that, that DeSantis has you know, room to grow his support, but a lot of people argue... Um, and, and this was one of the audience questions that we got, and I encourage more people to leave some audience questions because I'm going to be rapid-firing him, uh, them shortly, that Trump has hit his ceiling, that he can't garner more support. 
uh, and the, you know, well, and, I mean, in a multi-field primary, I mean, he 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 can't probably technically garner more support. He, what other support does he need if he's polling at fifty-five percent? That's what I'm saying. I mean, Trump has yeah. enough loyalty, a loyalty of his base behind him that he might not go any higher. I agree with that. But there's enough people out there, uh, right or wrong, that believe, like Tom said, that he's been unjustly prosecuted. And again, that's not my opinion. That's just what you know uh, people think out there, and they support him uh, very strongly. And that's going to be the hard. It's not going to be COVID or decisions. The biggest problem Ron DeSantis and the other field have against Trump is that he has a huge hold on the mega base that is going to support him no matter what he does. And because of that, it's going to be very difficult for them to beat him. I yeah, and you know, and let me just respond to the COVID issue. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it's important to note too, CNN didn't have to do that town hall with him. And then afterwards, um, two different hosts on CNN acknowledged that the Durham report basically like vindicated Trump in a way. So like, I'm wondering... If that, like, their coverage of those types of things, which they didn't cover favorably before, is going to influence new people and actually bring people to be like, hey, wait a minute, you know, they just said on CNN that the, the, the ba they basically lied about Trump. What else are they lying about? Like, is that kind of coverage from a network like CNN going to influence new people? No, I think that's a fair point. And, you know... Even though those folks who've kind of rejected the Russia collusion theory or discounted it, it doesn't mean it wasn't a black mark on his presidency and people thought, well, maybe there's something there. They just haven't figured it out yet. And I think it is kind of a, um, you know, a vindication for him that may allow him to reassure some Republicans who are otherwise a little bit nervous about it. But, you know, I, I think the analysis that COVID, you know, people are going to criticize Trump for things he made. Certainly, I wasn't all that happy with all of his decisions, you know, but I do recall when DeSantis and frankly, Abbott both lifted their, um, you know, their restrictions in Florida and Texas, you know, it reminded me of the Don Rickles joke about Frank Sinatra. He goes, oh, you know, Frank Sinatra, he saved my life. A bunch of guys were beating me up in the parking lot, and Frank Sinatra came over and said, "All right, boys, that's enough." You know that that was the kind of the approach some of these Republican governors were taking. They had these outrageous restrictions, and then took credit for lifting them. And so I, I don't think it's going to be much traction on either side for it. But I really do think all of it's irrelevant in what the crisis is related to the country. And you know, from Judicial Watch's perspective, I just see the Republic tottering. They're trying to jail yeah. Trump on pretexts and um, outrageous applications of the law. They're targeting our First Amendment speech. Speech. Our border is broken. It's chaotic. It's our borders are open. We have this assault on our children through mutilation, and you know they want to blow up the Supreme Court. And I want all the candidates to address that now, and not what they're going to do in two years. I want to know what we need to do about it now. And I want leadership from the candidates on that. And I think, you know, that's that's what voters should be using these primaries as an opportunity to to get, which is leadership now, not in the future, because Washington has a dearth of leadership. And I tell you, if these candidates, you know, now they're leaders and we want we should expect leadership now and not in the future. So, Tom, so, so, I have a quick uh, question Diane, for you. Real, real quick. Do you think that there's a possibility that they could like, because obviously a lot of people, myself included, think that the timing of COVID being leaked from Wuhan 
um, was sort of like the prerequisite to push the mass mail-in ballots, the drop boxes and things. And there's already been reports recently that there's been other COVID variants and stuff that they're creating. Could we see another virus the election year come out? And is that then going to bring the COVID responses back to the forefront of the Sorry, just, the just, to, understand, sorry, Heather, we, just to understand your question, are you saying are they going to leak another virus to influence the election? Well, basically, yeah. Like, could we see another virus in 2024? I mean, Fauci himself was like, oh, expect another virus. So, like, I personally think that there's a good chance that we could see some other virus unleashed upon the world in 2024. Jesus Christ. No, I I don't believe that's going to be the case. I I think we're going to have, you know, the 2024 elections in terms of the COVID impact is that the echoes of those changes made in response to to uh, the COVID mania will continue in 2024 and further continue to undermine the integrity of the elections and mostly, um, you know, mail-in balloting and such to a degree that's used and overused, uh, you know, unsupervised voting is anathema to clean and fair elections. So that's the danger in 2024. You know, and Democrats, um, you know, their approach, they've told us, you know, they want to jail Trump. Um, you know, they think he's the worst person in the world, can never win. So, But, you know, they're not that confident, which means which shows you why uh, they won him the campaign from jail. You know, that that's the way to end a republic as well. Um, and, and I and I just hope all the candidates understand uh, the threat our nation faces from this abuse of power by the Justice Department. You know, one of our guests, Lev, he saw it directly. I mean, Lev, you were on your way to Ukraine, weren't you, to do some investigations that would upset the Biden regime or the deep state? I mean, that was, and, that was the one that was... That, before we get to that, I want to... You know, but the, the, the point, be, the point being, there's theory. nothing beyond them in terms of abuse of power. Nothing. Let me tell you, I just ran into my Broward oh, sure, mayor sir. here, the Broward mayor. I just ran into... Uh, hold on, right? before, you do, be, 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 before you do that, Chris, I, I, I want to bring in Heather made... Uh, quite the uh, suggestion here that maybe uh, they'll be bringing in a uh, another virus uh, that'll be released to influence the election. All sorts. I, I want you to respond to that and kind of give a counter argument to uh, uh, to Tom's answer. No, and, I mean, no, it could I mean, happen. So, She's so right. Think... She's right. It could happen. One hundred percent. That's why. Are we so... really having this conversation? This is the most ridiculous. The, ridiculous. Thing. the most it ridiculous. Came from bats and it came from bats. You're trying to have a serious conversation. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, also. Okay. Uh, so, so, so I think before we had this conversation, it's kind of ironic, right? Before Heather, your question, we, we kind of actually almost had a consensus that the COVID debate was kind of going to be over, right? Like it's not impacting our lives as in 2022. We could go back and forth. Was it right? Was it wrong? Lockdown. Et I got it. But at least in 2022, this new thing, everybody panicked. Everybody freaked out. But let's if you're going to make an accusation of China, which right now actually ironically is going through an actual COVID wave again, they're not instituting lockdowns. They're moving on. Like life is continuing. It doesn't matter. The deaths aren't going there. I think COVID is going to be behind us. And the the main issues of this debate, depending, I think it's important from the Republican side, who is the nominee? Because I think the political debate Although there's going to be consistencies if it's Trump or DeSantis or somebody else, like the economy, if Ukraine is still going, et cetera. But I think there is going to be a fundamental difference. I think if DeSantis is the nominee, we're probably going to have a lot more cultural debate, right? The, the, the 
you know, the Disney don't say gay or however you want to say, I think that's going to be a more predominant aspect of the political debate. And if Trump is the nominee, I think there's going to be more back of the, you know, the rigged election 2020, et cetera. Uh, But I think COVID is done. The point at the moment. I'm, I'm sorry, can you say that again? You, you, I didn't hear you, Spleeman. I said you haven't refuted her point at the moment. I mean, if I, I mean, yeah, no, COVID is not going to be a political debate. It's not saying you're deflecting. No, what, no but my I think, point but, is that it's bio-warfare. It's basically like wars aren't always fought with guns. They're fought with chemical weapons. Well, They're Heather, Heather, I mean, Heather, million, Heather, million, Heather, million, 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 Who is they? I find it very hard to believe that China would launch their own biological weapon that's also killed tens of thousands, if not in some estimates, up to a million. The U.S. is going to launch it, just like they launched the last one. But who in the okay. U.S. Look at this. Heather just sent me this article. or It wasn't Heather that sent me, but this the, China just announced a new variant coming out. Heather is absolutely right. This absolutely could happen. Again. No, that variant has been existing. And I'm not saying it's that China is going to do it on purpose, but it could, something could happen China. again. No. And, no, no. Okay, Chris. Chris. Look, that the reality is this. Existed. No, no, don't talk, don't. That variant has existed. It's making an impact in China now. Like, let's get everything. If we're going to make an accusation, let's make it correct. That variant has existed around the world. It is now going into China, and they're continuing with their lives. There's no lockdowns. What, what was uh, you know, we had, we had yeah, please let me say something here. Please. Chris, let Joe speak. This sounds about as crazy as the woke left, to be honest. Pandemics have been happening for a while. Uh, they have been increasing in frequency since the early 2000. People forget because they didn't really lock down the entire world. But pandemics have been increasing due to, due to heating of the planet, whether it's climate change or natural digression of the ice age, whatever you want to call it. And because of, the, and because of deforestation, animals are getting close That's to cities. That's the coolest thing I've heard. Pandemics, That's the coolest thing I've heard. All, can can all I finish, days. Tom? You can comment after. Right. They have been in- sure. they have been increasing. Uh, the frequency has been growing. There was a pandemic response team that Trump fired four months prior to covid spreading. So this stuff, Where, was, where's stuff the information was in place. that 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 pandemics have been increasing. Uh, Where, go where's look the at study the that pandemics one, have increased? Go look increased. at the avian flu. Go look at the timeline. OK, I understand those are all pandemics. I can we give know, you, do you want that in visual or do you want that in a written timeline? I can post either one to the to the nest. Yeah, I, I, I want you to provide information mm-hmm. that pandemics have increased since 2000 based on climate change and deforestation. Yeah, I'll put it up on the timeline. I'll put it up okay. in the nest. Give me, and, give and, me ta- five and tie the pandemics to deforestation and climate change but go ahead they don't say deforestation they say animals animals encroaching on cities if you want to put that it's it's development maybe not all right yeah i you know i know you you make make up the new analysis it's not a new analysis in in a lot of places it's because of deforestation they don't have a place to live so together you know know, what happened in china was they went and grabbed they went and grabbed a virus and as judicial watch found just a few weeks ago we paid EcoHealth to have Wuhan create mutant coronaviruses out of bats to see how they might infect Tom, humanized Tom, I'm on, I'm, look, They created the mutant I, coronaviruses, did, and there's little doubt at this time, in my view, am I, am I any reasonable analysis shows that this is the result the of an engine. Hold on a second. I didn't. I don't have uh, a scan. You know, I'm, I'm, resp- I'm, I'm, John, I'm not just coming finish. up with talking points <laughs> about deforestation. I'm talking about documents that show 
that coronaviruses were mutated, literally they used the word mutated, gain of function, obviously, in Wuhan and other places in China with taxpayer funding. They knew about it. They applied for the money and they said, we want to, we want to create mutant coronaviruses back in 2014. So the question is, as, as we've heard later, is, okay, so does that mean the gain of function technique for this specific research created COVID-19? And if so, was the leak accidental or on purpose? Anyone who says it was on accidental and could never have been on purpose is just guessing and speculating. But is that what I said? Did I even mention strong information that it was engineered or the technique was... Did I even mention COVID or say... Whether it was lab or not lab. No, I, I was. Resp- I was. I wasn't responding to you. I moved pa- past your comment to talk about the idea that that the pandemic was started as a result of purposeful action, and 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 I don't think the cer- uh, certainly that's a fair question given we still don't know how the last pandemic. No, was the started. comment was made that it was purposefully released. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think no that's idea. a possibility. My point no is, idea. if it was in a lab, we don't know how it got out. Right, we, we I don't know. It if was it my was... opinion that it was released, and I said I had concern that they would do it again in order we... to push the mass mail-in ballots, the drop boxes. Heather, so you're saying it would be methods. purposefully released by your comment, and that's what I'm saying yeah, sounds as crazy as the woke left. over our country. Yes, I think that they would do that. And Donald Trump, his administration cracked down on Chinese espionage. They arrested a Harvard professor and two Chinese nationals stealing, or, or the Chinese nationals were stealing biological research and were caught at Boston Logan International Airport, right? Donald Trump was actually investigating some of their their programs, like the Thousand Talents Plan, well, where they will pay people in these research labs to steal proprietary information that taxpayer funded research and bring it back to Wuhan in China. Like they don't play by the rules. And when, when Donald Trump was cracking down on them, they, along with the corrupt Democrats like Joe Biden had a vested interest in making sure that Donald Trump didn't get reelected. So so that's why I think, but hold on, hold on. Let me just, I do want to highlight. One second. Also, let me ask Joe a question and then you can jump in as well. Cause you might want to answer the same question. So Joe, I'm not understanding how you're saying it's a crazy you, that people have been as crazy as the walk left when Tom has made and I want I want your refutation of Tom's argument because what Tom is basically saying is we know that the COVID va- va- vaccine was created in a lab. What we don't know is whether it was done intentionally or accidentally. Well, so we, both are possible. We don't so, know. So, no, wait, we wait, don't wait, know. I, 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 I didn't. I didn't it's say both. that COVID was to, created in a lab. I think there's strong evidence it was. Right, I agree with that. And if it yeah, were. Yeah. We can't presume that it was an accident. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. evidence so Joe, that it was, if, and there's if, evidence if Joe, that it was. Joe, Joe, my point is this. If there is a possibility, which there is, a decent possibility that it was leaked on purpose, or it could have been accidental, we don't know, but the possibility is there for both of them, then why is that crazy? That's the bit I don't understand. Maybe what I'm saying is crazy is to say that they, that they would unleash it, uh, unleash another virus. I mean, like, it, hold, Let me just tell you the past 20 years. So it's so, only crazy. SARS. If it's done, so it's only crazy. So is your argument, Joe? It's only crazy if it's done more than once. No, no. It's crazy that they would unleash it on purpose on the country. On the country, for what purpose? It hurts them economically. It hurts their own pocketbooks economically. If you look at the last twenty years, so two thousand two SARS outbreak, two thousand twelve MERS, two thousand nine swine flu, two 
2014, Ebola, and then we had COVID. These are the most outbreaks we've ever had in our entire history in a 20-year span. And this has been increasing decade after decade. They keep getting yeah, more well, and more this, and more. This regime, can it be this because, has the- can it be a leak that happened? A hundred percent. I don't discount that at all. Is there gain of function and loss of function research done on things on certain countries? Yes, there is. Is it typically for maniacal reasons? Maybe it could be for biowarfare or it could be for medical research to see if they can cure some diseases. I believe both are true, right? <clears throat> Do I think it's leaked on purpose? That's where I think it gets crazy that it was leaked on purpose. For what reason? I mean, I, I you know, I, I don't think you can rule it out. I mean, the Chinese government are uh, have zero regard for human life and the damage it would do to their own population. But that all being said, I think I think there's a plausible scenario that it was accidentally on purpose that the leak occurred, and they're like, well, let's see what happens. Well, you know, it's out. Let's see what happens. And that's why they were unhelpful in helping us figure out how to deal with it uh, and why why folks disappeared and uh, why they otherwise restricted our ability to figure out how to combat it. Tom, this is is because they were quote embarrassed. It was because I think they wanted to see uh, the damage it could do um, and they took but, notes and they saw that the United States was willing to act like the Chinese communists in suppressing its population. And to Heather's point, you know, the left certainly certainly took advantage of COVID uh, to scare people from voting in person and to install these radical, in my view, unlawful uh, uh, changes to the voter system that includes included unsupervised voting that basically tore the heart out of any confidence that people would have ultimately in the results but, in 2020. But, but, and it still echoes to this But Tom, day. I've never heard anyone from the right argue that it wasn't from the Wuhan lab. If it was, China had control. Why would China unleash it on their own population when they could have unleashed it we somewhere else? All right, I told, I told you why. It. I mean, and I, I was arguing that it was accidentally on purpose, mostly. I'm just saying we can't rule it out. You're just making speculation on speculation. I'm saying we don't have enough information to tell us one way or the other. But, now we can no, make but some speculation guesses. is you agreeing but, but, that they're going to do it specu- on purpose again. You agree to that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that at all. I'm just no, saying if we don't I, know how it happened the first time, how can we know what will, happen, what will happen the next time around? No, someone, someone that said, a male voice added that America will unleash it on itself. I don't know if it was yeah, Doc. No. I don't know who it was. One of one of the it guys. It was, it was Heather. No, well, Doc said America at least. I think it came from the Wuhan lab. And it, it, like to answer your question as to like why they would unleash it, well, two things. When you're creating bioweapons, right, you can also explore creating the cures, right? If you have a patented bioweapon and you're the only one that knows how to treat it and you unleash it on the world, you have a power that other people don't have. It's, it's almost as bad as having nuclear weapons, right, when you have that sort of information. So in terms of China, they have, what, like a billion people? Yeah, and would you unleash it without having the cure, Heather? Like, it it just doesn't make any sense. Maybe they did. Who knows? I mean, ivermectin treats it pretty well. And and unfortunately, a lot of people died because they were given remdesivir and other crap that we knew didn't work. 
Um, but that's besides the point, right? So think about what's happened since, right? Donald Trump, they uh-huh. like they basically got the Biden crime family back in office, who we know because of some of the dealings on the Hunter Biden laptop, we're seeing how China was in bed. Some of these Chinese companies were in bed with the Biden family. This, this to right? me, and this so to me, really like, sounds as crazy as asking eight-year-olds if they're a man or a woman. Because maybe you're not it really paying does. attention. If you me actually like do a little more listening and less talking, you'll understand. Sorry, you guys are interrupting each other, but um, just before I go to you, Heather, um, just to, anyone who's got any comments, po- comment on the bottom right-hand side. I am reading a comment here, and it says, so tired of the COVID argument, no one cares. Voters' top three issues are economy, immigration, and war. DeSantis supporters n- can never discuss these issues. Um, and so that's a comment from the comment section. So any comments you have, we are reading them. The best ones will be read out, and we'll ask them to, uh, to the panel and based on that i am going to ask a question to the panel but before we do guys subscribe to mario's page it's one dollar and we will be having exclusive subscriber only uh streams and spaces and we've got they've got some guests that they're going to plan to line up so go ahead and subscribe and that would be good um brick i mean i mean on the economy i don't know did as as DeSantis said anything about where he stands on the debt limit negotiations if the other republican candidates mentioned it well that's uh you know one way to destroy the country is through uh you know uh fiscal ruin uh which is our spending trajectories at this point and the left is fanatically opposed to what are necessary though it might be woefully insufficient cuts and, and modest changes here. Um, I don't know what DeSantis thinks about it. I think Trump has said, you know, they should stand fast. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying DeSantis hasn't said anything. I just don't know what he said about it. It'd be interesting to know. Um, Chris, I mean, I'd like to ask you that question because you generally know a lot of his position on policy. Like, what is, like, this is the problem. I'm, I'm, it's the same thing Tom said, the same thing a lot of the people in the comments are saying he doesn't seem to have any kind of like deep policies about any issues. And then it brings forth Lev's argument that essentially he's going to decide them based on whoever pays him the biggest money. So Chris, like what we know, we don't, we don't know what his position is in Ukraine, but if you want to answer Tom's question, what is his position on the economy? Well, well, if or you, debt ceiling specifically? If you look at Florida, I mean, we've got the biggest budget surplus in our history and that is from DeSantis uh, running things. He just signed a massive tax cut and if you want to look at what he's going to do on a national scale, um, he's going to do. Well, so that isn't what I was asking. Do, do you know? Do you know what he's what he said about the debt limit negotiations? He, he talked about it, and, and, uh, and I'm actually uh, looking through it a little bit to see what he talked about. I mean, I think he, he probably it, has. That's why I'm yeah, asking. There, there's got to be something. That we need to get this thing under control. I mean, DeSantis is a fiscal conservative. I mean, he's a guy that's. Going yeah, to- I'm not suggesting he isn't. I just want to know. You know, this is a politically sensitive time and topic, and the candidates all running. Trump said, "Hey, you know, stand fast, don't give in at all." Has DeSantis said anything similar? But Tom, or Tom before Chris, you get involved. I think the issue we're going to run into. So I think there's a, a, a you know, I'm, I'm not I'm for neither candidate, but DeSantis just announced he ran, right? And so I think it's going to take time, uh, and and I think the, I think the. Twitter space probably should have done. I think the problem with the Twitter space was more DeSantis saying, this is what I did in Florida and less about 
and not as much, not less, not as much as these are my policies as president, because being governor and president is completely different, different powers, different authorities, et cetera. But I think DeSantis will get there. I think DeSantis is going to start announcing more. We do like CNN is doing another town hall with Nikki Haley. I'm expecting one with DeSantis. And I think once that happened, we might have a better idea of his policies. I, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not being critical. I'm just trying to figure out if he said anything. I yet. think he has, Tom. And you do great work, by the way, Tom. And this space is just absolutely awesome. I think he did touch on it. I, somebody on he's doing a lot of radio shows right now. And somebody asked him about the debt limit. So I'm, I'm going through looking at what he said exactly about that. But I think it is important to look at a, the character of a man and then his track record. If you just and people kind of go, oh, well, we don't know what he would do here or what he would do there. Number one, he doesn't just do whatever the corporate or the media tell him to do. He doesn't listen to any of that stuff, because if he did, he would have made exact opposite decisions that he made in 2021. You got to remember, people were not happy with him in 2021. Yeah, it's popular now. Everybody wants to be an anti-lockdowner now and stuff. But in 2021, he was being called a mass murderer. And there were people telling him, you know, don't you need to go along with you need to do some um, something about the Delta variant. And he fought to keep schools open. And then um, he, he signed tax cuts. And and now we've got this massive surplus here in Florida. So yeah. well, I don't dispute that. I, I think, you know, if you the, want somebody to, to be fair, this mess out in Washington, D.C., it's going to be him. I mean, he's going to be the guy that's going to go in and get the Congress because because Congress is the Article One branch of government. They're the ones. I, I, I think I think what Trump supporters would say is a lot of what DeSantis did in Florida echoed what Trump did in his first term. And there's a lot of things you have to ignore that Trump did that were positive in 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 bolstering DeSantis. And Trump did it under much more difficult political circumstances. He certainly didn't have the friendly legislature in Congress that DeSantis had in Florida. So, you know, for instance, on tax cuts and transgenderism and all of that, you know, Trump was front and center and he, and he took significant steps, at least finally against the deep state in terms of getting his foothold or, you know, getting his legs going on, on taking on the personnel issues at the end of his term. And I kind of see DeSantis as like a continuation of the Trump policies in Florida. So, you know, I, I think um, I think DeSantis's supporters would do well to recognize that um, uh, you know Trump was, in terms of regular deregulation and policy changes, the most significant president in the post-war he era. Had, uh, certainly, for Tom, the have, you looked, have you looked at the polls in battleground states? He said he did great his first three years until he turned the country over to Tony Fauci, and that's that's really when he handed Fauci the keys instead of Jesus take the wheel. It was more like. Fauci take the wheel. And now, man, I'd hate to be somebody at Mar-a-Lago right now with him running around in a rage, all obsessed. With the run. Yeah, you know, and, and, and you know, and, 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 and you know, I think DeSantis listened to the siren song of Fauci as well. I agree. Uh, no, the, the debt limit or the, the, the spending exploded under Trump. I mean, these Democrats are pointing this out, but it's true. Yeah, so here we are back talking about COVID again, and we have already agreed that's not going to be the issue. It's going to be the issue, and I, I know you want to forget crazy. about it, but, but listen, the debt... No, I don't want to forget you should look at this possibility too chris is that yes yes no, florida did well but florida also florida also benefited from the maladministration in many blue states 
had a lot of people leaving states like New York because their taxes were out of control, because crime was out of control. They moved to places where things were being run better, Texas, Florida, things like that. So in a sense, Governor DeSantis is playing a different game in the state of Florida. It's not a it's not a zero sum game in Florida. It, as president, the economy is a zero sum game. Because if New York loses and another state gains, that's not a gain. So you can't just say, I'm going to do the same thing for the nation that I did in Florida when part of your success in Florida is because of the absolutely batshit insane crazy policies that are going on in New York and California and Illinois and all the other places that are going to be sanctuary cities and super lockdown cities and you know, uh, Randy Weingarten is successfully lobbying for no schools to be open. That's why people were moving. Yeah, they tried. I mean, that's to part of why people were moving. You're, you're that's right. part of why people are moving. I mean, you're, you're right. So what I'm saying is, so what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is that a, a large portion of the reasons that underpin the relative financial success of Florida in the last two years are attributable to the poor administration of other uh, states uh, in the uh, United Andrew States. Cuomo, and, if you become president, and if you become president, <laughs> you can't wave a magic wand and say everything's going to be like it was in Florida and that and that tide rises all boats. It is not the same game. It's not the same game. Wave a magic wand and make everything work. You know, why don't you think that that DeSantis, you know, you guys, you just can't give him credit. And you know what? All you guys, all you Trump people were singing. I just gave him credit. I just said he did well. You're saying, oh, I it just wasn't him, it was the well. other governors. What he did here in Florida was create a beacon of hope to the whole world. And why can't he take what he did in Florida and, and Tallahassee and bring it to Washington? He's just governing on a bigger scale. Well, if you don't know the difference between Tallahassee and Washington, that's a fundamental well, problem. he's been to Washington. He DeSantis has been there. He, he's been a congressman. He knows how it works up there. We, we keep talking win. about COVID, and, and COVID's not the issue. If you look at the polls, guy. and what else with with DeSantis? And this was a, an Achilles heel for Trump. Trump was a businessman, and he was used to doing like, like almost like mafia style, like kiss the ring business. That, and he tried to bring that into DC with uh, the FBI like director and everything. DeSantis knows, and and I get his his Twitter space might have not been all the fun and excitement and, and one-liners everybody was hoping for. But, you know, he knows how to work the levers of government in order to protect people's rights and create the environment. Yeah. That I, I disagree. He knows how to do that. He knows how to do that in a state where his party controls both houses of the government. That is not necessarily the same situation in Washington, D.C. Florida. Florida, to, to paraphrase Don Lemon, Florida's not Washington, Washington's not Florida. Rick, look what Rick, he did I just got to say, I just got to say that Trump had. Guys, just let Ian speak. It's going to be very hard to, for Ian and Chris uh, to back up DeSantis. Now it's going to be a competition who can speak. But go ahead, Ian. <laughs> I'll stop. Chris yeah, I just want to push back on, on Rick, you know, pointing out that, uh, yeah, DeSantis Correctly, you know, I'm, I'm going to be fair to both DeSantis and Trump. I think that there's a lot of partisanship going on, and I don't think it's fair to either candidate. And I mean, a lot of it is Trump just 
throwing shit at the wall and you know, seeing what sticks, right? But the putting thing, I'm not Trump, and so you know I don't have to play that game, right? But I want to point out that in uh, you know when Trump took office in 2017, he had control of both the House and the Senate, and he had no idea how to rein them in. He had no idea how to manage the levers of power. DeSantis has uh, the knowledge; he's got the experience to do it. He was part of uh, you know along with Thomas Massey, uh, he led a lot of the uh, crusades in the uh, in the House back then, right? Uh, on pushing conservative agendas. There's a lot of, uh, you know, attacks being flung at DeSantis for not voting for certain things, you know, when he was there. But if you actually look at his record, it will show that, yeah, the reason he didn't vote for some weak bill was because he voted for a stronger bill, right? This is something that uh, the, uh, the uh, Trump camp doesn't want you to know about, you know? And uh, if you look at uh, DeSantis's track record, when he says he's going to do something, he does it. He doesn't just uh, tweet out law and order. Uh, for instance, in Florida, when, you know, when Trump was busy tweeting out law and order, which is, uh, you know, nonsense, and he wasn't doing anything. Now, part of it is obviously he had hurdles, right? But, you know, it's it's all due to his own appointees. You know, the people he put in charge of the FBI weren't exactly uh, in line with what he wanted. DeSantis, on the other hand, if someone doesn't fall in line, he fires them. He gets rid of them, puts his own people there, gets stuff done. Uh, that's why when, when Trump was tweeting out law and order, DeSantis actually, in his state, he made it legal for, uh, you know, uh, homeowners and for the police to actually deal with these uh, Antifa protesters on their own. You know, the police had full ability to take them down, arrest people, charge them, prosecute them. This is not something that uh, Trump was even worried about. He just tweeted out law and order and hoped that the states do whatever. But like that's, you know, that doesn't show leadership to me, right? That, that shows a bit of weakness that he's just delegating. And, and you know, he thinks yeah, polls in battleground states, the polls in battleground states are showing exactly what you're saying. They don't care about COVID. Yeah. They care about what's been done for, for education. They're worried about their kids in school and are they going to get caught with well. the woke with the woke want? And they and DeSantis has fought hard against this. And if you look at the polls in battleground states, DeSantis is is beating in some polls. That is correct. Trump and I want to point in those, out in and, 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 the thing and think, because the CBDCs also yeah. because Trump says, oh, now he says he doesn't want it, but Brian Callanan, that, that was the, the the not the Secretary of the Treasury, the Secretary of Domestic Finance put the groundwork in for CBDCs under, under Trump, Trump right. which he approved, and now he says he doesn't yeah, want it. It's, it's absolutely insane. We're DeSantis well, outlawed. I, I just want to go back to one point that Ian made about 2017, and that is like, you know, would you admit that the uh, the the fake Russian collusion hysteria investigation hampered? Yes. President Absolutely. Trump's ability to get things 100%. done. 100%. He was okay, a victim so I, in all of that, right? I will defend Trump on that point. Okay. A lot of things. In fact, Trump did a lot of good, like when he banned <laughs> transgender people from serving in the military. That just makes sense. They're mentally ill. You don't want them, you know, weakening the cohesion of the military. Biden undid all of that, lets them in, and look at where the military is now. It's a mess, right? So yeah. Trump, he so was I on just the think ball. It's important, it's important to note that even though that in 2017, when he entered, the, that the Republicans controlled both houses that circumstances were kind of against them and it wasn't really like, yeah. you know, it wasn't smooth sailing. Absolutely. That's all I, I wanted I agree to point with that. out. You know, and, and, but one thing I want to point out that I don't think anyone on the stage has done so yet, you know, is like people like to point to certain polls, uh, you know, and, and polls come from a variety of sources, right? You've got Pew, you've got uh, Harvard, you've got, you know, some right-wing ones as well. Uh, and they like to point out that, you know, Trump is leading, you know, compared to DeSantis in certain areas, you know, when it comes to a national stage, right? Uh, like, uh, like countrywide. But those polls are not really good, whether it, it favors DeSantis or it favors Trump or it favors Biden. 
it doesn't really matter because what people and this is the point I'm trying to make. What people don't seem to understand is that you know elections in America they're not it's not a popular vote, right? Because if it was a popular vote, California would have been by a long mile. They got a lot of people there. Uh, elections in America are based on you know it's a state by state thing. You know it's because of the electoral college and it's there for good reason. So the the, the problem I'm having now and I have no problem with Trump being president again. You know I'm uh, like look. I think everybody has a dog in this race, no matter where you live, right? Because American policies affect everybody. But the point I'm trying to make is that Trump doesn't really have a clear shot at 270, right? He can't win all 270 electoral college votes. Like, whereas uh, DeSantis has a much better chance at doing that, especially in, uh, in battleground states and places where Trump simply doesn't poll very well. You know, like but, but, Ian, what, what okay, but Ian, for saying that, why would any Republican do better than trump in these so-called battleground states given the pop the given the numbers that trump pulled in 2020 um i mean i mean you know my view is whoever is the nominee it's a jump ball and to say that someone is more likely to win or lose because of a you know whatever debate we're having about their personal qualities or policy policies within the republican party i think you're, you're, the the election's going to go Democrat or Republican, in my view, largely irrespective of the candidate. And um, and the idea that DeSantis has some extra juice he can bring into these battleground states, especially given his stances on these uh, cutting edge cultural issues, ones which I agree with. Um, you know, I I don't think I just don't think I don't buy it. I mean, he's going to do as well as Trump did in 2020, and Trump. You know, I would I'd say he won, you know, using quotes. But in the end, it was a 75 was it? I I think from 40 to 70,000 votes among five or six states. You know, I I think think, um, given the candidates have run since then. And uh, I I just don't see any Republican necessarily, uh, especially given the uh, the the, um, desperation Democrats retain power, which is fair given that, you know, they're, they're going to be fighting for their political values, that there's going to be much difference in the outcome in the election. Okay, so the... In favor of DeSantis, that otherwise wouldn't have happened for so Trump. So the reason I think that he, Trump he, has the worst chance at winning uh, 2024 compared to, I mean, even with his numbers in 2020 when he was extremely popular, right, is, and the reason I think he can't get to 270 is because I think the mood has changed on Trump. All of Trump's nominees, except for one, I guess, lost in 2022, right? That, that's just a fact, right? The relegation of the 2022 election is about as popular as defunding the police. And, you know, when you look at polls now, you know, he's down eight points compared to DeSantis when it comes to independence. So I think that's a that's a big thing. I mean, these guys are, the, are like the, the key vote, right? You, you know, you, regardless of whether you're Trump or DeSantis, you're going to get those Republican votes. But can you get the independent vote? And DeSantis wins on independence. I want to ask you this, because Trump won in 2016 because he captured Rust Belt states, such as Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. And he's lost those, Uh, unfortunately. He's lost the blue dog Democrat vote. But, I mean, does Ron DeSantis have the uh, the ability to... And, and the reason I think that because the entire thing was the, the the reason they voted for him was because they you know he kind of he reached, he reached out, out to but them unfortunately he didn't and, deliver on yeah. his promises right Pennsylvania in particular and this is one I'm familiar with was that he did a pretty good a pretty bad job at at not preventing the closure of a lot of the coal mines so they felt betrayed I mean I've talked to a bunch of them 
more closed under him they, than exactly open. they closed under him there was a you know they felt like it was a betrayal and by the way you should get ryan james gurdusky on here he, he knows a lot more of all these statistics like you know i'm in messaging with him and uh he's good like you know you should get him up here there, there's there is one other thing to consider battleground states to virtually guarantee a favorable outcome to the democratic party and, and there's until a, the system is cleaned up no matter who is there, it's it's going to be a challenge. Tom, the polls are showing something. And, and when I say polls, look, I, I did a million dollars worth of surveys for three years every single month. Like, I understand surveys. And right now, a lot of surveys are top of mind surveys. Like, what who comes top of mind? And that's who you put in the poll. But when you get, when you get like, morning consult working on the case, and they look at battleground states, they show that the people believe DeSantis can beat Biden – but they don't believe Trump can be Biden. So there is there is polls that are showing that. more favorable to 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 DeSantis. But if you ask them the but same question, a, Trump or DeSantis, right now you're asking. That's a prognostication you're asking folks to make. Right shows that among voters who hate Trump and Biden, so they, they hate both people, they favor Biden by the three to one. So it's three to one. They 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 favor Biden over Trump. So if it comes down between who they hate more, they hate Trump more. Can, can we all accept that almost virtually every poll of note shows substantial or seemingly surprising support for Trump versus Biden, slightly better than than DeSantis. I mean, that's the reality of it. I think it's a surprising outcome. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying, oh, well, this shows that Trump's the winner. It's just that that's the reality of it. And, you know, DeSantis, you know, people thinking DeSantis is going to be Biden versus Trump being Biden. You know, the, I don't know. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. You're asking someone to guess. I don't know what that means. The question is, who's more likely to become the nominee for the Republican Party? And I go back to what I said in the beginning. The overwhelming number of majority of Republicans, based on my experience and my understanding of where things are politically, I believe that Trump was wrong in 2020 and deserves another shot. And it's and I don't see any any argument his opponents can make in the primaries currently that would overcome that. <laughs> I just like to and, and that's the, the challenge uh, for all of them. Was taken by Trump's own pollster, right, Tony Fabrizio. He uh, he's the guy who called 2020. So. Just putting it out. And, and, I, the, and the polls are showing the that they care more about education please. than about the COVID issue. And I don't yeah, know more Trump's education. record on education, but, does, but I do know DeSantis. Bygone, is. You know, like education, no one, there's not a single person out there who has been stronger on education than Ron DeSantis. I mean, that's quite clear in his, uh, you know, banning of, uh, you know, the so-called don't say gay thing. It's more, more like a parental rights and education uh, bill. And, and and as well as his uh, you know his pushing mean, like American education and colleges in Florida. Of rights, that was Trump's policy. Don't be passing it on to DeSantis. What are you what talking about? Trump, 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 Trump didn't do anything the, with it. The Parental Bill of Rights was one of the policies that Trump put out. Trump never did anything with it. Like most mean? of the stuff he talks about. Oh my God! The Digital Bill of Rights and the Parental Bill of Rights were two policies that Trump campaign has been pushing that DeSantis is trying to grift off of. Because How is that's he grifting off of it when it's benefiting? There's a difference between pushing something and doing something yeah, about like, it. You know, you say you're going to build a wall and you don't build it. Trump 
Trump didn't get it done. This, Trump put out a, a one-sheeter. Oh, yippity doo What did he do actually when he had yeah. power? I, actually, no. He, I mean, part of the pres- powers of the presidency is if Congress doesn't pass laws, the president can use executive powers. So he was the first to ban DEI, you know, federally. He was the first to ban CRT. No one had even tweeted but about it wasn't CRT. Enforced. None of prior... it was enforced because there okay, was, you know, almost, he passed I'm an executive finished. order, no, but it didn't enforced. actually do anything because May I just he didn't put in the... Uh, Ian, that's not true. Yeah, yeah, and that's Ian, not true. Yeah, yeah, Ian, can, can you yeah, can, can jump in? Okay, thanks. So he banned DEI and CRT and all federally funded agencies and the contract contractors that did business with them. He also banned trans from the military, from women's prisons, from women's shelters, and he undid, he reversed the Obama rule on um, schools using trans, using the bathrooms in schools. He also did the 1776 commission, which I think DeSantis implemented some of it in Florida, but Trump was very much the, the pioneer with regard to all of these, these social issues. Yeah. You know, if I were DeSantis, I would be running. I would be saying, look, Trump did a great job as president. I followed up on a lot of his policies and implemented them in new ways in Florida. And I think quite successfully. And, you know, I plan to do that when I go to Washington. If I was Trump, uh, I, you know, uh, but to pretend, but to pretend Trump, to pretend Trump was was was, you know, Woodrow Wilson, you know, in a coma for four years. I, I don't think it's going to get DeSantis anywhere. Um, you know, I, I think there's got to be an acknowledgement because there are many, you know, Republicans like Trump. They supported and voted for him. And to tell them that they made a mistake and that that four years was wasted and no good came out of it. Well, Tom, um, I think it belies most people's experience. That's what I would do if I was Trump. I would endorse DeSantis, drop out of the race and then beg for a uh, pardon. Oh my god! Well, oh my god! Yes. Well, Ian, I mean that's not a, that's not, I mean that's a funny response, but that's not a serious <laughs> response. If I were Trump, I would say the same. I, I would say DeSantis took my if DeSantis took my lead in Florida. He did some good things, uh, but I've been in the big chair before, and I can do it again. And by the way, um, I did it under circumstances that no president has ever faced before, and I and I still. Uh, you know, came out strong and, 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 you know, did policy X, Y, and Z. So, you know, I'm just trying to run the arguments well, one way or the other. Well, you know, well, I like DeSantis, I like Trump, but the, but the idea that DeSantis, DeSantis thinking that I, having communicated with thousands and thousands of conservatives personally, DeSantis taking this position or his supporters taking this position that Trump is a loser um, boy, uh, well, you know, I, I don't think that's going to end up with the results they hope. Well, I don't think Trump is a loser. Can I say something really ahead. quick? Why, does, yeah. why doesn't yeah, Trump yeah. talk about these things, Tom? Instead of instead of talking about the things, and I said this to Roger Stone, uh, I said, look, uh, why doesn't he talk about his victories? Why doesn't he talk about he, the he things does. he's done? Instead, he does no, them. all he does is talk about the no. sanctimonious and some I don't think any of us are about, deaf. About we some weird tweet about body. about uh, Kim Jong Un last night. His the stuff coming from True Social is just getting weirder and weirder. And instead of his, talking his about numbers the great things he's done, he just he has this obsession with Ron DeSantis, where he has just been attacking him and attacking him and attacking him. That it's made him. It, it, he has nobody to blame, like with most things, but himself. Donald Trump. He's all he's doing 
is attacking Ron DeSantis, who is somebody. Well, and if you're Trump, you're going to say, boy, it's working out well. His his poll numbers have dropped 10 points to 15 points in approval within Republican electorate. So Trump is seeing a political benefit to these attacks on DeSantis. It's saying he's seeing it in the polls. I just don't believe them because a lot of people do not like him going after DeSantis. I know. Why don't you believe the polls? Do you think that, that, that people Trump are rally in Ohio, That Trump rally in Ohio. I mean, do you, come on. Wait, wait, hold on a second. Do you think that people are afraid to express their support for DeSantis and are lying to the pollsters? I don't know who they're polling. The polls are, are, they, are indication. I mean, they may not be exact, but they're an indication of increased support for, for well, Trump, don't, don't you think? I don't know anything about these polls. Are so, they polling the pool at Mar-a-Lago? Who are they polling? Who are they polling? That's whistling past the graveyard. Yeah. Trump supporters is who they're polling. You're yeah. not talking about... It's because like, there's so many of them, project. and there's not many DeSantis p- supporters look, to poll look, 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 we're all This is going to play out, and we're all going to see how this goes down, but all I see is Trump shrieking like a lunatic on Truth Social, saying something weird about Kim Jong-un and the button. Like, what the hell is he talking about? Is this a side effect hey, of the Chris. vaccine? Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris, if DeSantis is so wildly popular and there's all of these people that love him, why when he ran for governor, right, if he's so personable that people are just going to flock to his leadership and his personality, why did he make a campaign ad, right, basically like, like, like saying how much like Trump he is, putting his kid in a MAGA onesie. And guess what? Now that he doesn't have Trump's popularity to grift off of, guess who he put in his campaign ad that he released a day ago? Oh, that's right. Elon he Musk. Put, because he he, put needs, me in it. he needs some man bigger and more popular than him. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't understand this. I want to know who do you think, who do you think, whose hands are bigger, Trump's or DeSantis's? I mean, I don't understand this attack on DeSantis's personality. He's a no, politician. It is he's he's a fine off of men more Hold on a than second. Him, whether it's Trump or Elon, and now he doesn't. Hold have on Trump, a second. So I mean, the, the thing is that you know he's a little sometimes a little bit stilted on his speeches, and he's he's all business. But he's a politician like any other politician I've met. He's personable enough. He's a nice guy. Uh, you know, he he's he's not you know incapable of socializing and talking to people. And, you know, again, to me, this is there's a straightforward argument here. And I think the and frankly, I think that's how voters in the Republican side of things are going to finally evaluate it is that Trump did some good things as president. He was unfairly maligned and abused and he deserves another shot. Um, And so I I I would caution both sides not to get too aggressive on, on going after people saying that the worst people person in the world and can never hold the keys to the kingdom. Hey, honestly, I agree with Tom. I think the, the petty just... attacks weaken both sides, right? I mean, this is like, going after uh, DeSantis' personality, it's, it's a weak argument. It doesn't say anything about his policies. And, and same thing goes for Trump. I mean, yeah, he says some crazy shit, but it's mostly him shooting himself in the foot, which I wish he didn't do. I mean, it seems but like... If he, if he shot I, I himself like, in the like foot, Trump. he wouldn't be rising in the so, polls. On, and let's remember... I, I like, listen, listen, listen. Let, let me speak first, and then I'll let you speak. I like Trump, right? But I feel like he weakens his own arguments when he goes to the pity attacks. He should just speak on the issue, speak about his victories. He's done a lot of good, not just in America, but in the whole world, right? I mean, people respect the guy. So when he goes on the pity attacks, what? it insults me. It insults everyone. Like, 
we like Trump because of what he does, not what he says, right? And so, you know, it's funny when Nikki Haley says that DeSantis is basically Trump without the drama, I'm inclined to agree. You know, the, if it comes down to that, it's like for a lot of people. I, 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 I want to really think of their life in any way. And let's not forget when Trump went on that debate stage, we don't want him to be different. He was a regular, you know, I mean, a wealthy guy, but he was just a guy, not in politics. He was, he has a New York attitude and he went on stage and he told everybody that they lied. He told Jeb that his family lied about weapons of mass destruction. He, he mentioned Epstein and the Clintons. And, and he said that the news was fake before any politician, any public figure would dare to say that. It was so refreshing that, I mean, let's be real. The people that are voting for for Trump, that voted for Trump, aren't just Republicans. People crossed over. They were tired of the Bush dynasty that gave us the Clintons, that gave us Obama. Everyone had big hopes for Obama. He let everybody down. It was a big disaster. And so there are so many people who vote for Trump because they hate Democrats. They hate Republicans. And Trump offers something different. He has world experience. He did not spend time going up the ladder from being, you know, like a mayor to a congressman to a governor and then end up in the White House. He was a magnet. He took what his father did, which is the American dream. He built on it bigger and he obtained everything he wanted. And then he said he wanted to make the country bigger, better. He was always, always critical of how the government ran the economy, about the wars, and there are people, like if you look at Rich Barris's numbers, there are 8 to 13 million people who won't vote unless it's Trump. And it's not a cult. It's because they hate the Democrats. They hate the Republicans. And Donald Trump offered something different and new. And he ran the country like you run a business where you sign the checks, you keep the lights on, and you have pride for it at the end of the day. And let's not forget, Trump do doesn't just attack people for no reason. He's attacking DeSantis because loyalty is something that's important to Trump, right? If you go to any of Trump's rallies, one thing he always does is he gives credit where, it, where it's due. There's always this VIP section where there's people that he knows, congressmen, people, judges, whatever, sitting in the row. And he'll literally like give credit where it's due and, and be like, wow, you know, uh, Michael Gableman, you did amazing work. He's well respected. I mean... Even when what was the Supreme Court justice that that died, even though she was more like to the left, he like said kind words about her. So he's not just this savage person that's just attacking people for no reason. He's attacking DeSantis because DeSantis showed his true colors and went on a national stage publicly saying, look at me, I'm a pit bull Trump defender, and then turned around and stabbed him in the back. Hey, Heather, that's did he ever have Dr. Fauci? Want... Sorry, guys, there's too many people speaking over. Gabe, I want to bring you in. By the way, I think Trump's posts are like funny. Like the trolling is hilarious, and I thought people like trolling, but it, the the top banter, in my view. Gabe, what's your thoughts? Because I know you're a liberal, uh, <coughs> and you've had your hand up for a while. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's, I think it's great, man. I, I said uh, what, like an hour and forty five minutes ago. I said, keep talking about COVID, keep arguing, keep bitching and moaning. And you guys have consistently done it for the last hour and forty five minutes that I've been listening, and you've done an amazing job. I got to tell you, I mean, like. Hands down, you guys don't do, you, like you do it better than I mean the best, obviously. But when it comes to the comparisons that are made, I mean, you guys fight over the pettiest stuff, and it's it's hilarious to watch about 
you know, who's loyal and who's backstabbing, who yeah, did this matter. and who did that. It doesn't matter to the common voter, right? A common voter only cares about what's going on in education. They care about yeah, yeah, the economy. It does, it does. I'll, care I'll, about agree. Immigration. I'll agree with, I mean, this, this is why DeSantis is stronger on these issues. That's what he talks about. That's what his whole legislative policy is. Well, I, I don't know if I would say one is stronger than the other. I mean, I, I mean, will agree with Trump Andy doesn't talk about it that enough, that right? That's the issue, right? Election. Trump just goes in with the drama and the loyalty and all that nonsense, you know, that doesn't matter. And if you talk, they're going to keep, they're going to keep fighting. 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 They're going to talk. They're going to keep fighting about the pettiest, littlest things. They're going to keep. They're going to say, "Oh, well, this person was loyal here, and he said this, and he agreed to that, and blah blah." All of this bullshit. They're going to everyone in this space that's arguing, you know, DeSantis versus Trump. It's great to watch because it's exactly how much of the narrative you guys have lost completely, and this is the exact reason why the party will be split between DeSantis and Trump. And when it comes down to election day, I'll say I'll say it right now, Trump will be the candidate of the Republican Party, despite the fact that I don't like Trump. He's going to be the candidate. And at the end of the day, the arguing and the bitching and moaning that's happening in this space right now over the littlest shit. And again, for the last hour and 45 minutes, right after I spoke last time, I said, you guys will continue to argue about COVID and please keep doing it, because as you're focused on these little things that don't matter. What's going to happen is that on election day, you guys will be split and you will make it incredibly easy for Joe Biden to be reelected. You sound like and at the Trump end of the day, it's going to be Trump. He's going to be the candidate. You sound like a Trump. So he will be the candidate. Like Ron DeSantis doesn't have a, Ron DeSantis yeah. doesn't have a fucking chance. And here's an example. Somebody asked earlier what his opinion was versus uh, Ukraine versus Russia. Last night, he was given a meatball question which was what was his position on what he would do when he was the first day in office on how to resolve this issue. And what did he do? He dodged the question and talked about gender ideologies and how the military was woke and this and that. That tells you right there, the guy has no idea what he's doing. He's not prepared. And also show you as a candidate, he's a complete joke. Well, we'll see he, about he has that. no chance. No, we'll, we'll, and okay. I don't even like any of them. Gabe, I think that's a little premature to say at this point. He announced his candidacy yesterday. To to write him off today, I think, is a little premature. And also, he didn't dodge the question, right? He talked about the ideology the first 10 seconds. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Ian, let Sarah go. We've seen a liberal civil war right now, and we've seen a republic one for a while. Go ahead, Sarah. Refute him. Thank you. Thank you. I don't interrupt anybody. So um, thank you. Um, and talking about polling today, they are going to change. They're going to flip. We can't really trust any of the polling today. We don't know what's going to happen in the upcoming weeks and months. I think that it'll be very close. But in my opinion, I think it will be Donald Trump. And I know that that's a big debate between everybody. But what I'm what I'm hearing is that everybody is so split that I don't know if Team DeSantis could get behind Team Trump. And I don't know if Team Trump people could get behind Team DeSantis. And that's where it's hurting the Republican Party. Well, you know, the difference between 2016 and this year is, in my view, that um, you don't have anti, at least with from the candidates too much of an anti-Trump factor. They're all trying to appeal to Trump supporters, uh, so they're a little bit more uh, nervous about going after him directly. Tom, and I think I as a result, 
And I, as a result, I think that will benefit Trump in the primary. And, you know, and frankly, you know, the 2016 primary was was really a Donnybrook. And, uh, you know, it turned out pretty well for the Republicans in the end uh, because of the weak candidate. And, you know, uh, uh, and as I said in the beginning, I, I think the reason someone like DeSantis is running, because he didn't really have to run this time, could have run in 2028, is because he sees that Biden is is historically weak. And so um, if I were Democrats, you know, I'd be I'd be concerned about, you know, doing whatever I could to ensure that the right candidate is there. And one, you know, if I were an honest Democrat, I'd want a candidate who isn't on the take um, and his family isn't on the take um, quite obviously corruptly uh, from um, the country we're most likely to go to war in in the next three years, China. And, and to me, there's a there's a national security crisis that both parties have to confront because of Biden's corruption. And that, to me, is going to be the issue of the election um, and, and the, the coming war with China. Uh, you know, Biden's ineptness and corruption related to it. And, um, you know, that's 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 going to go a different way if 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 if, if that turns Tom, out. Tom, to do you think do you think Trump could out raise um, DeSantis? Fundraise? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, DeSantis is going to have a lot of um, anti-Trump support within the corporate world, I think. So, I mean, I think Trump, you know, DeSantis will raise enough to be competitive. Uh, but you know, in the Republican primary system, um, it's still democratic with a small B, and so money. unless unless he's able to get, um, you know, his question is, will he be able to win in in the contest he needs to win in? Yeah, but and money, you know, remember, you know, I think Pence is going Pence is likely. To, uh, what, one more time. Money has made. If you look historically, past fifty years. Person who outraises typically wins. It didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, but there, there are, you know, right. And I predicted in 2016 he would win because of the way his marketing was working. But I also predicted in 2020. The other X factor is Pence coming in in June, and you know that's going to (laughs) further. Tom, you guys stopped it there. Pence is a total joke. Well, the point is, there's. I mean, you you say things like that, but the point is, there's going to make a difference on fundraising. I would rather they're going to be different voters who otherwise might vote for DeSantis or some of these other candidates who will go to Pence, and it and it further and it further uh, splits the anti-Trump vote in the primary. I mean, you know, to me, this is you know, is I think we should be debating: is Trump going to be uh, campaigning from jail? Uh, because of the uh, seditious coup uh, process that's underway through the Justice Department and the FBI to blow up our democracy. And that's no, that's the Tom, debate. I, There's let, no let doubt in my view he's going to be the primary candidate. I guess I can guess wrong on the politics there. But I'm guessing he's going to be indicted in three jurisdictions, and at least one of those jurisdictions are going to put him in jail during the campaign, and that's going to be undiscovered country for our democracy and republic. God help us. Can I yeah, actually say, I'll, I'll really bring in... quickly, please? Sure, sure, go ahead. Oh, so, you know what? I'm sorry, Nick. You go ahead. You're the co-host. I'll go after you if that's all right. Go ahead. Sure. I, I wanted to ask a question, and maybe I'll bring in Justin on this one. Welcome back to the panel, Justin. I, I, I want to ask you, uh, do you think that these charges hurt Trump, or do they help him in the long run? Does it really energize the base? Does it bring in more independent voters that think that he's, you know, being uh, improperly prosecuted, unfairly prosecuted? 
and to see him as a victim. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know about independent voters, but I think it makes DeSantis's, uh, it's, it's bad for DeSantis because Republicans certainly believe that um, this is an attempt to stop Trump from becoming president again. It, it basically fits his entire narrative about I'm a victim, everyone's coming for me, they're trying to stop me from being president. Um, so I think it helps Trump in the well, primary. That's true, though. That is true. That is happening. Uh, there's there's my point. Um, but what what Tom and what someone else was just saying uh, about fundraising, I actually think DeSantis will raise more money than Trump, and that will be used against DeSantis effectively. And Trump will, like he did in 2016, point to people like Ron DeSantis and say, you are bought and paid for by special interests. It will stick. And, uh, yeah, I don't think money buys presidential elections quite like it used to. Um, if you, if you can get the coverage like Trump can, um, yeah. You know, what's surprising about Trump is that the the campaign, he seems to be doing, um, you know, running a good campaign. He's got, you know, he was getting all the endorsements lined up the way traditional candidates do. Uh, it seems like they have their act together in the process side of it. So, um, you know, my, my thinking is he's going to do much better against the Democratic candidate, and I don't believe it's necessarily going to be Biden, uh, than uh, he did in 2020. I think uh, the Trump campaign uh, is much more professionally set up, and, uh, you know, and give, given the success they had in 2020, and I do think it was a successful campaign by any measure, despite the loss, and certainly compared to 2016. Especially certainly compared to 2016, um, you know, there's. I think it's 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 going to be quite the race, and it's uh, Democrats um, are reacting by trying to jail him, which tells you how politically potent they consider him. Yeah. So, Sarah, Tom, can I can I just say I'm glad you're back, even though we don't agree. I'm glad you're back on the panel. Thank you. Jump in. Thank you, uh, Nick. In listening to uh, DeSantis's speech last night, he seems to be very reluctant to even challenge Trump on his issues. At some point, he's going to have to. And I'm wondering, people that are supporting uh, DeSantis, why is he not attacking Trump on the issues at hand? Why is why does he seem to be handling it with kid gloves? Is it because he doesn't really believe he can win and that Trump will eventually be the nominee? Or is it because he's just holding his cards close to his chest and waiting for um, the debates? Well, it suggests to me that they're all running for vice president. That's the way it suggests to me. No, not a chance. No, no. He's look. You saw it in the video. You know, really look at the how savage Trump's base becomes when you dare to question anything their leader has done. I mean, they they become like very you know nasty towards you and everything. And I can handle a criticism against DeSantis, but the Trump people they they just go nuts. So you know he's he's really threading the needle uh, in a careful way and kind of letting other people take the arrows for going after Trump. You know, but but in the end, DeSantis is a respectful man and he doesn't play games. He doesn't tweet. It's actually his team that does the tweeting and stuff like that. 
Uh, he, he's a very he, he's very measured in what he says, and he's very respectful. And by the way, he does have. Do you think he should start should he start doing more of that? Though? You know what? I've encouraged I, I encourage it on Twitter. You see my post does he know on how Twitter. To, Chris? But DeSantis will do what he's going to do, and you know he's really he's a yeah, godly yeah, man, and, that, yeah. and and he's shown a lot of respect for Trump. And if you didn't know this, it was Ron DeSantis who was one of the co- few GOP congressmen, while all these other GOP congressmen were too scared to say anything. DeSantis DeSantis and the Freedom Caucus, when he was in Congress, were the ones that spoke up for Trump against the Russia collusion stuff. And he was a great defender of Donald Trump. And I don't think that ad of him with his kids saying build the wall, I think that's a really cute ad. We really like Trump. And, you know, I was at a Trump party, actually, not that long ago, not with actually Trump, but Trump people. And kind of that nostalgia came back a little bit. And, and, you know, a lot of the the Trump base are very, very... um, good people you know and uh um and i and i get it it, it sucks i still have my make america great again hats uh, uh he'll always hold but you've a... been attacking the panelists that are trump supporters all night well sir, i don't so... i don't know if i'm attacking and I, I don't i don't mean to talk over people and i hope nobody um feels like i've attacked them or anything because i know i've got a loud voice that's not my my goal but but i think that there's, there's and Chris, people, to just to back you up, but bro, no, di- no disrespect, Chris, Chris. To back you up, people I want to hear Trump say. People don't Chris, like Trump attacking DeSantis. Chris, just to back you up, I think you, sh- I think you've done, you've shown a lot of passion, uh, and you should probably give uh, DeSantis a bit of coaching lessons on that, and maybe he'll get more votes. Give him a little. The bit, reason give him a little that bit Trump. <laughs> hey, Ron DeSantis, the, the give him a bit of your this... passion, bro, because you got so much passion, and I just felt like he was a robot that day. Didn't give any kind of passion. He didn't engage very well with the public. It seemed scripted. Like when you're speaking, it doesn't seem scripted. You're ready. You're ready to speak. Thank anyone you. Who disagrees, Thank... Anyone who attacks uh, DeSantis, the problem with DeSantis is he just and and you mentioned about the text and uh, on tweeting and i was like i'm not surprised because the guy seems like he's not able to do anything unless he's got a script in front of him well you know i've watched ron DeSantis, and you know me and my wife i I get a lot of my jokes from my wife and and if you see anything funny i ever post it's not me it's for my wife and if i ever ask DeSantis a good question oh so you are you are similar to you know and he has he's a more introverted guy he's exactly the opposite personality type as me you know and i used to go to his events and and, you know, now I'm in the press corps, but, you know, I used to, to yell to him and and, fi- and he used to be kind of like uncomfortable with it and stuff. But, you know, I've watched him grow and I've watched him get more sociable mm-hmm. with people. But he, he's not the kind of guy that like likes flattery. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you went up to DeSantis and started fawning all over him and telling him how great he was, okay, he, okay. he's not, you know, there he's was not that kind of guy. But I think he's doing I think he's doing a lot better. Yeah, and, and just so you know, you know, my understanding of the reason reason that Trump really doesn't like DeSantis is that, um, you know, back when, when DeSantis was running, he had said something, and I don't remember, maybe one of you do, that where he was basically dissing Trump. Well, I don't agree with Trump and really, really kind of made it clear that he was putting distance between him and Trump. And Trump was furious and cut him off politically in the middle of the campaign. And, uh, you know, and I and I know they were desperate to get him back in and he eventually did come back in and and help DeSantis out. You know, so so Trump sees that DeSantis, um, you know, used benefited from his 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 uh, political support uh, to put himself, you know, get himself elected governor 
and he sees the fact that he ran uh he's running against him as you know just terrible um and and that's why you see this this more direct animus with the santists than you do against the other candidates you know and that's that's the background and that's that's that i think is the story um and and you know whether it 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 makes people feel better one way or another about certain things and what Trump says or not, I'll defer to them. But the reality is, you know, Trump feels that he went out on, on a limb to support DeSantis and um, what DeSantis has done in response by uh, trying to take the can't, the, the nomination away from them is unforgivable. Well, could anybody really, Tom, I think you've got a bit of background noise there. Um, just to, guys, uh, sorry, Chris, before I go to Gabe and then you, um, uh, guys, um, bottom right hand side, put your comments in. We are reading them and we will get through the comments. There's been some really good comments. Um, and same point again, a lot of people are saying that DeSantis has no personality. He reads from a script. He's not his own man. That's what a few people are saying. In addition to that, fl- oh, sorry, do you want to, yeah, uh, so the last point I was going to make no, was, um, sorry, Nick, uh, last point I was going to make, guys, is, Please subscribe to Mario. It's only $1. And essentially, we are going to have subscriber-only spaces. They're going to be exclusive spaces with the large uh, guests. So that's going to be fun. Um, so make sure you subscribe. It's the subscribe button on the page. Nick, you were going to say something? Yeah, I wanted to ask Gabe real quick as we were talking about audience questions. So I thought I'd hit one real quick. Uh, you know, th- this is a, a question that a lot of people have on their mind. Do you really believe that Joe Biden is in the proper mental state to be up against either of these candidates, either Trump or DeSantis. I mean, Will, it seems like he's going really downhill, you know, especially since, you know, the videos even from from 2016, 2020. I mean, is that a, a serious, you know, is he a serious contender with that sort of mental capacity? I think uh, I think in terms of comparing the we'll, we'll say those three candidates, but yeah, I think that where he is right now in terms of leading is fine. I think that obviously naturally over age, you know, I mean, you could say the same thing about Trump, right? Like you could talk about how Trump says nothing but visceral things online, and when he's uh, giving a speech, he goes off on crazy random tangents and attacks people. You know, to Chris's point. I would agree, uh, right? But but wait, he, is that but, even? Can you compare the two that way, though? Because it, it seems like Biden is more and more unintelligible as time goes on. They it, it, the White House doesn't like to allow Joe Biden to answer questions that aren't pre-staged, if they even allow him to answer questions at all. So, but Trump will stand there and answer questions all day long. Uh, it, it just it seems like they are hiding this mental degradation, no? I don't think that they're hiding it. I mean, keep in mind that even when we went into the 2020 election, everyone's like, oh, Sleepy Joe, he's running from the basement, blah, 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 all this stuff. And then at the same time, people are like, oh, my God, Joe Biden is this evil puppeteer who's controlling, you know, all these things from the background. So, you know, it, com- it comes to a point where it's like, which is it, right? Is it mental it, degradation I, I, and you're I, saying I, that he's I, honestly, uh, not, not someone who's taken seriously? Heard, or... Oh, it's around. literally. It's, just it look throughout like Twitter. People are, you know, that, it's anyone who's like, Joe Biden is being controlled by other people, that he is a puppet. That that's, seems to be the argument I've heard. 
No, the argument goes two ways. One is either he's not competent and he's slow and he's being hidden away. And the other one is that everything is controlled. It's Joe Biden's FBI and Joe Biden's DOJ. And he's the one who's intentionally doing this against Trump and blah, blah, all these things. So it really comes to this point of like, which is it, right? Is he not sane and competent and actually having, you know, the mental capacity to do this? Or is he this evil mastermind that's uh, pulling the strings behind the curtain in terms of how oh, it can be both. It can be both. Oh, my you can God. Have someone, oh, this is why you can have someone who has significant. You can have someone who has significant cognitive Tom, challenges. Tom, no, no, no. You're the same person who emailed Dan Scavino on October 31st saying we had an election today and I won in terms of how. No, no, no. In terms of how to tell the White House how they should approach the outcome of the election before the election even happened. So whenever I, no offense but to Tom, is, but all What does that have to do with it? What, is it, what did the email because say? Why don't you read it out loud? Because when I hear you talk- Why don't you read the email out loud? Why don't you read the email out loud? The ballots counted by the election day deadline show the American people have bestowed- Okay, well, right, read the entire email. Read the entire email. Let me get the whole email, but also- Okay, all right. So, the, you know, I, I appreciate the democratic talking point. I made the point- that Joe Biden may have cognitive challenges that makes him potentially unqualified to be remain in office or to continue for second term, and may also the cognitive challenges don't necess necessitate that he's still not making decisions and still isn't personally corrupt. I don't do this either or paper tiger argument. The, re the people see what's going on with Joe Biden. His own people see what's going on, Joe Biden. They manage his public appearances to mitigate for his cognitive challenges. And I guarantee and, the same and, thing. And his policies, his policies, really I still play, hold him accountable. No, they don't have to put blue tape on the ground for Donald Trump to stand on. I mean, he plays a round of golf and then he flies to New York. He's the same me. guy who reads off a then teleprompter gets, that airplanes were invented during the Revolutionary War. You can't argue that one person. One person's mental capacity or or uh, mental kind of uh, competency of of Donald Trump versus Biden. Like these are things. If you want to say that, then you can say the same for the other person. Right? Well, you can. And I think <laughs> I think what happened with the CNN town hall is that people had a lot of questions about whether Trump got older and they saw that he was cognitively as as sharp as he's ever been. You mean and the town I think hall that rushed, and I think that rushed the DeSantis campaign a little bit Trump because supporters. he did so well on CNN uh, to try to get him out more quickly in terms of announcing uh, that CNN hit was a significant benefit to Trump because it it was a favorable comparison in terms of mental capacity. And I would I would submit the two people who should compare in terms of mental capacity are two people of the same age who very much are in the public eye: Joe Biden. And Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, love him or hate him. There's no comparison. His mental agility for a man his age versus Biden. And the comparison is is despairing for those of us concerned about the management of our country, uh, especially in the national security sphere, given Trump, but Biden's evident cognitive problems that are so on display. Uh, but you know, that every Democrat in the country is worried about, except the folks on this panel. Well, I don't know. What are you worried, what are you worried about? An Tom. evil genius like, or an evil, uh, an evil mad I didn't say like he's Fauci. a genius. I said he's <laughs> or, corrupt or and has cognitive challenges. Well, I'm trying to make it a joke. Like, 
like okay like who would you rather have a guy that's like that uh is losing his marbles or a guy who's like an evil mad scientist who wants to do science experiments on people like fauci was so so no and it's, it's oh, gonna well, come yeah, well. this, wow you know? i did not realize fauci was 82 he, I, he was in there since 1984 ironically the same year mark zuckerberg was born and i mean i think we just all wanted to see donald trump at some point really fire Fauci. It was, it was actually me and my wife. Uh, at he that could not fire Fauci. Out. This has been talked over, yes, over, he can. And over again. Oh, please. No, he cannot. The, the yes, 1970 he can. Civil can we please, not go please stop not. with this? Stop with this. He couldn't have fired Fauci. Yeah, I mean, even Politico and Washington. Let's stop with the COVID. Guys, this tape what, what, what? Is, you know what it is when people, Chris, Chris, uh, you know what it is when too many people talk, it's very hard for the yeah. listeners well, on the stage. It's a bit more easier. Can I finish? Uh, let let Finam let Finam finish, and then you can go ahead. Yes, yeah, so I want to make two real quick points. So, I mean, it's well known the Civil Service Act, nineteen seventy-eight. He had been there since Reagan. It would just been impossible. He was in the he was in the government as looked at as a medical expert, and he had a role there regardless. So, have to set that aside. One thing that people are missing is is DeSantis did have one big win yesterday and it actually came from Elon. And it's when Elon said, oh, I didn't really know that books weren't being banned in Florida. And that was actually a big win for all conservatives because of this ridiculous talking point that somehow keeping porn away from our kids is somehow actually banning books from people of every age that want to buy any book they want in any bookstore or Amazon. So that was really the only win I saw. It came from Elon <clears throat> but I think that was a win for all conservatives. And then the second point I want to make is there's, you know, I think we have to just let go. Censorship. No, when a parent decides this is not appropriate for a child, that is not censorship. That is, that is guidance. You can still judge. It should be for a parent to decide though, right? That is what uh, the, I'm the just saying. A deciding. lot of people are ultra, ultra non anti any censorship and I continuously make you know, the argument that, is not censorship. that some censorship is good. Please let me finish. Okay. I'm, I just have the mic for a quick second here, and I'd just like to make my point. Those books are, anybody can purchase those books, even parents. But to not have them in a school where our taxes pay for it, parents don't want that. It's not appropriate. And that has nothing to do with censorship. Those books are still available at any bookseller that wants to sell them. But the, the really quick point yeah, that I so, want to make is that people have this idea that, like, people who are fervently that want Trump back in the White House, that it's a cult and that we don't have any reason why. And they forget that he's had a seven year enema, basically, by the media. We know everything about him. And then we had four years of looking at every single policy he did of every single anything he enacted, any, anything that he did, we were right there watching it. We were living under the gas prices. We were living under the better regulation. We were living under the freer energy market. And so we, this is choice. This is preference. It's not a cult. It's preference because we have, the and we criticize McCarthy. Yeah, so, well, and well, we criticize um, McCarthy. Let, we criticize Dr. Oz. We criticize. Let, let me go ahead and bring in, uh, we have uh, Congressman Matt Gates back on the panel. Welcome back, man. Thank you so much for uh, for returning here. I know you're you're, uh, you're awfully busy today doing media hits and such. Uh, I definitely so, agree with the prior speaker that a multi-year enema is a precondition to the presidency. I absolutely ascribe to that. Matt, do you really think that uh, journalism on Twitter is a bad thing like you said before? I couldn't believe when you said that. 
I was being facetious about the nature of these recorded conversations. That part of being in spaces is being able to pick up on some sense of sarcasm. Okay, I'm glad you're sarcastic. Mac, do you feel like you were betrayed by Trump when he brought all the people into uh, who endorsed him? And then he turned around and uh, Stephen Chong put out that Florida sucks memo about all these things. And and honestly, are you going to say that people would have come to Florida anyway if it wasn't for Governor Ron DeSantis' policies? I can't believe you would actually really believe that. Well, I I don't just believe it. I lived it. I've been... A lawmaker for Floridians since 2010, which well precedes Governor DeSantis, who I think very highly of, and I think he's done a great job for the state. That's I'm very proud of the work I did as his transition chairman. Like when Ron DeSantis had to decide who to trust to build out his government, I, I consider it a great honor that he trusted me, and I think he's done a good job. But I don't I don't know that this presidential contest is a referendum on the job Ron DeSantis has done as governor. I think it's a referendum on the current state of the country. And we need a drug a little more potent than Ron DeSantis right now. And that's why I support Trump. And that's not a critique of Ron. Tom. Uh, uh, Matt, uh, Tom Fitton here. Good to hear from you. It's good to talk, good to talk to someone who actually understands oversight. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you. Um, you know, and I think that's the kind of current crisis. I think this primary is a distraction from kind of the attack on the Republic with the abuse of the, you know, the Justice Department and the prosecutor's offices in New York and, and Georgia. And I've been frustrated they didn't use the debt limit to curtail those abuses. And I'm frustrated that, you know, we're all whistling past a graveyard. I don't think you're one of those whistling that they're going to try to jail Trump during the election season. And I think it's a significant risk. I mean, what, what's your thinking? What should be the approach there? I, mean, I have my own ideas, but I'd be interested to hear what you think about, you know, how do we deal with this assault on our republic um, from from the left that's weaponized? And weaponizing is is almost a, it, it, seems, it makes it seem like it can be holstered again. I don't know if those agencies can be rescued from what's been done. Yeah, it's uh, but but right now they're they're trying to jail us, and um, and there's not much concern in, from our friends in Washington about it. Yeah, I don't know if it's weaponized as much as it's gone feral, and you know once uh once something goes feral, it's kind of hard to bring it back. Uh, I think we need to hold Mark Palmer in some contempt. I think that needs to be a, a really important requisite step. We bring Pomerantz in and ask him questions like, did you commit any crimes when you were investigating Trump? Did you violate his constitutional rights? Did you uh, violate the ethical standards of an attorney in involving yourself in this case with such an obvious conflict? And to each of those questions, Mark Pomerantz pled the fifth. And that's his right, and we shouldn't even have a negative judgment about whether or not he did those things or didn't based on his assertion of his Fifth Amendment privilege. But it certainly warrants further uh, investigation. And then later, my colleague Lee Stefanik asked Pomerantz whether or not there were any lies in his book. And he said there were no lies in his book. And Tom, you know, as an attorney, you understand, once somebody says that, they've engaged in subject matter waiver. 
over. Oh, uh, well, wait, wait, wait. As a, I'm a non-lawyer oh, yeah. expert in the law. Fine, 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 fine. <laughs> but you're right. <laughs> there, there's a subject matter waiver over the Fifth Amendment privilege that I think Pomerantz engaged in. And so then we tried to go back and re-ask him those questions. Right, where right. Well, you, you can't say to one question, I take the fifth, and on a related question, answer it without opening yourself up to challenge there. Right. And so I just think that that his unwillingness now to answer those questions just that, that are pretty fundamental misuse of federal dollars and the like uh, means we ought to we ought to take that action M- more broadly. You know, there is going to have to be a reliance on the jury system at some point. That's that is a check on the abuse of the powers that we're seeing. Uh, but with some of the juries that we could be looking at in Washington, D.C., Metro Atlanta, New York City, it's hard to imagine that there'd be fair trials there. So there, this could be an odd circumstance where, like, the republic. Well, what, you know, what, what about what about what about curtailing funding to those jurisdictions, either indirectly or directly, based on their violations of civil rights? The Justice Department, there's not a dollar that's spent without the approval of Congress. We could shut down investigations there uh, if they're objectionable and designed to destroy the First Amendment, rather than. And interfere in elections. I mean, there's all sorts of checks the Congress can pursue. And, you know, I, I'm but just frustrated con- there's you, not much of a debate there. You would concede that a limit on those checks is to the, the federal entities, not necessarily the uh, the state and local entities. We can't. Right. You know, that, well, I mean, if, if money, there is money, which gives us jurisdiction to ask important questions. But I don't think that shutting off the money would be dispositive as to the pursuit of any matter. Uh, Cong- well, that is true, uh, but but it would make it politically difficult for them to justify uh, violating civil rights um, and you know losing all that funding while doing. You know, I guess in principle the federal government should have no part in this, and that means pulling funding in any way possible. But the DOJ is investigating the Republican Party in a aggressive way, investigating their fundraising attacking state legislators, attacking citizens who are volunteering as electors, all First Amendment-related activity. They're acting as a political research operation for the Democrats, and they plan to try to jail Trump in the middle of the campaign. And, you know, it's all being done with approved monies by Congress. And I I don't understand Let me concede this point. We spend more of our time focused on how the DOJ plays defense as opposed to how they play offense. It's a, that's a fair critique because actually, you know, a, a more than 50% of my day spent on these endeavors is spent on seeing how the foreign influence task force goes and designates any derogatory information about the Bidens as Russian interference and dust busts that. How at the IRS there's steering away from any of the, um, uh, concerns about the Bidens, how the suspicious activities reports are frequently withheld on some of the financial transactions at Treasury. So th- they've got this whole kind of plumbing unit throughout the government that is able to sequester negative information about them. And what we believe is if we can expose that infrastructure, that the the bad acts you know, won't be viewed as disparate events, but as part of this like grand orchestra of corruption, and, uh, and it's a fair critique to say we don't spend as much time on how they are playing offense, something I assure you yeah, I am yeah. quite familiar with. So, so um, I just want to thank Congressman for coming up. 
We appreciate you asking questions. None of these questions are pre-screened. We are going to questions uh, generally in the pub, on people on the panel, and we've got people on the panel from a variety of ideologies and political positions. You don't need to praise the congressman or Elon Musk before you ask a question. But before I go to the speaker questions, let me go to Mario first. And that was a nice well, wait, chat, hold on, so... hold on. What, what, go ahead, congressman. When I when I run for president, when I run for president, they'll be pre-screen screen though, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, but you're gonna announce here, right, Congressman? You're gonna be in this space. Any, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I think that's what you promised. Yeah, we got We got to launch a PR campaign. Any, anyone that announces their presidential campaign on Twitter Spaces without coming here, is a chicken and doesn't want to face the face the tough questions. So that's gonna be the the PR campaign we're gonna work on. But Congressman, my question to you is is bringing it back to to DeSantis and and Trump. But one thing that many are worried about is the divide that we're seeing in the Republican Party, or maybe maybe that's uh, that's that's not going to happen. But are you worried about such a divide, and and how should the party manage this divide? I do worry about it, and I I worry about it because there really should should not be the level of vitriol between the DeSantis team and the Trump team that I see. And trust me, I've shared that perspective with uh, with anyone and everyone who'll listen to me. You know, a lot of the people who are DeSantis supporters are people that are my friends, especially like look in Congress. Two of the people that I spend, three of the people I spend the most time with, Bob Good, Chip Roy, Thomas Massey, they're DeSantis supporters. But, you know, we, we they would say positive things about me and about Jim Jordan and uh, about uh, those of us who support uh, President Trump. So I think that like in the Twitter sphere, there's certainly a lot more animosity than in, in the lawmaking sphere and lawmaker sphere. And, you know, I, I don't know that uh, DeSantis and Trump will ever be on each other's Christmas card list again. Uh, but I think that it's probably helpful if at some stratosphere of this conflict, there maintains a recognition that the end we got to go beat Joe Biden's ass or Gavin Newsom's. Uh, why would we like go for the jugular and try to have fatal shots on one another? I want to just go to the panelists to get them because uh, I'm not sure how long we've got Matt for. But um, so if you uh, if because we've got a number of questions, if you guys can keep your questions quite short, that'd be brilliant. Uh, Kim, I appreciate you coming on stage. Uh, always value your opinion. Hi, Matt. The Kim.com. Uh, I admire your intellect and your robust efforts to bring the truth to life. Um, my question is in regards to the Ukraine war. It seems to be escalating. There's a real risk for humanity that this conflict gets completely out of control and that we are facing a world war involves, involved. And, you know, one of the things that I see as a beacon of, of hope is that the debt ceiling will not be increased and that mega Republicans are trying uh, to defund Biden to put pressure on him to maybe change course with the war in Ukraine. Is that a realistic scenario? Are Republicans looking into doing that or not? No, that's not realistic. And the view I hold is in the minority of the Congress by a, probably about a two-thirds to one-third perspective. And while that sounds demoralizing, when this began, the only three members of Congress who voted against these increasing hostilities toward Russia were myself and Thomas Massey and Marjorie Taylor Greene. But uh, the, the debt limit will be raised. Uh, it's just a question of how good a deal we get or don't get and then what the 
cascading political consequences of, of uh, a bad deal or a good deal or an okay deal would, would be. Uh, but, you know, there were a small group of us at the beginning who tried to make funding for Ukraine part of the debt deal, debt deal negotiations. And we were stifled by the neoconservatives who far outnumber us, frankly. And you know what the number one factor in determining kind of whether someone's a neocon or not in the Republican conference, how long they've been there. And, and that is what gives me hope. Like it, it's hard to win a Republican primary for an open seat as a neocon, or I should say it's harder than it was two cycles ago or four cycles ago, but it's really not that hard for the neocons to keep their jobs. And so in a way we've, we've just sort of got to age past them a, a good amount. And my hope is that we'll get, Millennial. I mean, if you look at the millennials in Congress, they lean far more my way, but we've got more people over the age of 70 in Congress than at any other time in America's history right now. And um, guys, if you've got any comments, please comment in the bottom right hand side and we will ask the congressman any questions you've got. But let me just go to Sarah. Um, go ahead with your question. Uh, thank you. Congressman Gates, you said some very positive and favorable things about Ron DeSantis when you joined the space initially. Um, I'm wondering why would you support Donald Trump over Ron DeSantis? Is it policy? Is it personality? And my second question would be, you made a sort of a flippant joke that you would run for president. Will, will that be something we'll see in 2028 or beyond? No, that was truly a flippant joke. Uh, but I, am most concerned about how the donor class influences Ron. And as governor of Florida, it's just a different landscape in that regard. Like the, the, the big uh, interests are like Disney and sugar. And to Ron's credit, he took those entities on. And I stand with him in both of those fights still to this day. But with what we are facing in Washington, a Ron DeSantis presidency provides insufficient oomph for change. And I don't know that there's a person on the planet Earth who knows Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump better than I do. I've spent a tremendous amount of time with both of them. I've actually spent hours and hours and hours with both of them together. And while I think Ron DeSantis might make a great president one day, for this moment, with these challenges we face that Tom Fitton outlined so brilliantly earlier, I think only Donald Trump is in the position to kind of cut through a lot of that. And I actually think his second term will be better than his first. And I think the major advantage of his second term will be the absence of any pressure toward a reelect. I mean, any human being who's the sitting president uh, thinks towards a reelect and it will be liberating. And I think uh, really exhilarating in a lot of ways for us to have a president who, who doesn't think in those terms, uh, like, you know, like, like Trump will. Congressman, let me, before we go to Joe, I've got another question for you. We've had, I've had a few sources tell me that Trump, <clears throat> unsurprisingly, is coming back to Twitter and he's looking at leveraging Twitter spaces as well. Um, I, know, I know you've got some concerns in Twitter spaces and, and that's really all media about things being taken out of context. But I'm, I'm curious as to how you think Trump would leverage this new, I'm going to call it a movement, moving away from mainstream media, which has been his narrative and he's kind of you know, accelerated that narrative. Um, how do you, have you spoken to his team? Do you know anything about his strategy when it comes to Twitter? <clears throat> Benny Johnson yesterday talked about saying, guys, 
He will be coming back to Twitter. He will be leveraging Twitter spaces. How would he leverage that platform? How would you leverage that platform in comparison to how uh, DeSantis has and how he did it yesterday with pre-scripted questions and a very well-controlled um, Twitter space? Um, we'd love to see if you've got any thoughts on this or any insight you can give us um, and if you've spoken about Trump's team about this. And then we'll go to Joe next. Yeah, no, great question. I, I think what we got yesterday was very high-volume boredom. You know, I, I don't know <laughs> yeah. that anyone came out of that Twitter space and was like, oh, my gosh. Like, th there was a sizzling moment, right? It was a warmed-over stump speech followed by some, like, highly processed uh, pre-screened questions. I mean, and, and that doesn't mean that there weren't interesting policy nuggets that were discussed, and an interesting insight into how Governor DeSantis thinks about problems, but like fun, it was not. I think the most telling feeling we all got during the DeSantis town hall was at the end where he was like, let's do this again. Like who was out there thinking, well, I've got to set my calendar for that. You know, I, I don't want to miss the highlights of the next one of these things, right? So I, I think that, that that's how he approaches it. How I approach it, is typically when my wife is doing work late night for her job and I have a few extra moments uh, to be able to expend energy where I can't give her attention. So that is my personal approach. And Congressman, just for, I don't um, give you credit as well. Like half the panel right now is liberal and you don't know what questions are being asked. You didn't pre-vet the panel. You didn't pre-vet the questions. Uh, so I want to give you credit. You, you mentioned Congressman uh, Massey, Thomas Massey earlier, who's been on stage a couple of times as well. Same thing, never pre-vetted the question. Lauren as well, never pre-vetted the question. So uh, I think anyone that does- Pre-vet the question? I didn't even prevent that. Exactly. You've been watching us for a while. I think Joel's been watching us for a while to make sure you didn't get some crooked host putting you on the spot. Totally and trying to get it. Nick trying to get it. Faces <laughs> yeah. on Twitter. Totally. Yeah. Oh, I, I appreciate that. There's no gotcha moment here, uh, Congressman. So, so I hope you... you... No, but I want to I I answer the question as to Trump because... Trump would be like the LeBron James of Twitter spaces because he's an extreme extrovert and he can like talk for hours and hours and hours. So if instead of just like calling his buddies at night and talking about his views on things and what happened that day and, uh, you know, his uh, vision, he could do that on Twitter spaces. Yep. I, I think it would be it would be can't miss content and, you know. Who doesn't miss that? Love him or hate him. I think, a Congressman, I think Trump will dominate Twitter spaces because you could just like in the middle of the night open up Twitter spaces. So let's say uh, DeSantis is doing an interview on Fox. No, you can tell this to his team. Imagine DeSantis is doing some interview somewhere. Trump could just open a Twitter space and start berating him and take over the limelight. And he could do this time and time again. I think Trump and Twitter space, the raw nature of Twitter spaces just fits his personality. You don't have to like him. But I think from a market, from a, from a, Narrative perspective, um, he's gonna dominate. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch. Uh, well, well, like what the man you, could what literally say to more. Fifi on. <laughs> well, like, but he won't. Fifi on Twitter stuff. and get one hundred fifty thousand like, retweets. Are if there are two spaces open and one is like Ron DeSantis giving his one hundred point plan for America's future, and the other is like Trump listing the one hundred women who are not his type. Like, which which is gonna get more followers? Exactly. Exactly. It's going to be fun. It's going to be an interesting uh, presidential run. Uh, Joa, Mike is yours. 
Hi, Congressman. I had a I had two questions for you. One, you kind of mentioned the, about the fundraising, and that's a question I asked a, a couple people who've been on panel before. I, just my gut feeling is DeSantis could outraise Trump, and money does play a big part in who wins. And just your thoughts on on who would outraise uh, who who would outraise who really. I don't even think that reasonable people disagree on this point. Ron DeSantis is going to outrace Trump. He's going to have more money. But we are at a level of politics with the presidency in 2024 and in an era of politics where after a certain dollar amount, it is such diminishing returns. Now, Trump's got to make sure it's not stolen by grifters and consultants and vendors and list shares. And, you know, in the past, People have been susceptible to that type of grifting. I mean, hell, even Newt Gingrich, who was the Speaker of the House, saw his own 2016 presidential campaign ravaged by those features. Um, and with DeSantis, you know, there's going to be a, a, sort of an Obama era, an Obama campaign mentality towards spending, where they're not going to have to make choices about which things to do because they're going to have the money to do all of it. But at the end of the day, like if, you know, if you're selling dog food and one can's got the best slogan and the cutest kid on the front, but then like when you open it up, like the dogs just don't like the food as much. I, I don't know like to what extent the slickest marketing strategy becomes the revolutionary component of the campaign. Yeah. I mean, so, hist so, so, historically, the money you, does matter. But the, the second question, Nick, well, let but, me just ask the second one. And then the mic's yours. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, if the people, like what I'm seeing in some of the polls in the battleground states, the issues that are coming up are not the war and it's not COVID. It's about education. It's about CBDCs. So like what Tom outlined, I agree with you. Trump probably would be the better candidate. But from what I'm seeing in the polls, those aren't going to be the issues that American people care about the most. They care about how their children are going to be educated. Do they have to deal with the wokeness and what's going to happen to their wallets with, with the CBDCs. And this to me, DeSantis has been a stronger player on than, than Trump has. So if that was the case, do you still think Trump is the right candidate? Well, I would, I would ask you to source evidence for the claim that, evasion of wokeness is higher on, on the list of important issues for voters than the economy. Cause that would, I've not seen that. Matt, let me, let me ask you real quick on that topic of money. Uh, and, and we did hear, uh, you know, as you said, that it, it's probably pretty obvious that Ron DeSantis is going to raise more money. Uh, first I'll make, I'll just tell the audience here that Trump raised only half as much as Hillary raised in 2016 and still managed to pull it out. But what I want to ask you, Matt, is why do you think that is? Why is Ron DeSantis going to bring in more money? Are we talking big dollar donors? Do they think that these big dollar yes. donors maybe have more control over DeSantis than Trump? Yeah, I mean, Trump is like very unpopular with like the third wives of billionaires. <laughs> Actually, I love that answer. Heather, jump in. Hey, thanks, Congressman. Um, and this is so refreshing that 
this is why I think people love President Trump and love you as a congressman, because you guys are so authentic, unscripted, and you're willing to answer any questions. So I appreciate that. Um, my question is, I recently covered a story on some of these illegal migrants being bused to hotels in New York. And when I went there to try to cover the story, nobody from these NGOs, these organizations that are distributing them would talk to the media. And they actually told me to leave and wanted me like arrested for trespassing if I returned. And so what was interesting about this is when I had walked a little ways away from the hotel, I started talking with one of the illegal immigrants. And he had a phone where we could communicate through the app. And then these people from the NGO that wouldn't identify themselves came out and I, I filmed it all and told the immigrants that they weren't allowed to talk to us, which for me was just like, well, if they're coming here to be liberated, why can't they talk to the press essentially? And so my question to you is how much do we know about these people being brought in, these organizations bringing them in, like, is anyone in Congress really digging into what's going on here? Because all of them were grown men. There were no women. There were no children at this hotel. And the whole thing was super, super sketchy. So that's sort of my question for you. Well, first of all, good on you for doing a, a more thorough reporting and uh, being gritty about it. Second, the reaction you got from the people who work at these entities, like, it is the signal, right? Because they're showcasing that this is a highly sophisticated operation. You're not dealing with some group of Catholic nuns just trying to be do-gooders for desperate people. Uh, you're dealing with operatives, trained operatives, and it is a human supply chain that the left has orchestrated to, one, lie to people in other parts of the country, two, create a financial pathway for the cartels to get bought off, to move them into the country. And then three, to get them into often, you know, very uh, coercive labor situations and also into social programs uh, and also into uh, jurisdictions where you can vote with a note from your mom. And different groups are responsible for different features of that human supply chain all you know, I, I think set up to empower the left. The problem in, in Congress is that we're so focused on just the gaping wound at the border that we probably do less than we should to pull the thread all the way into the interior of the country to expose some of these expansive networks. And what really pisses some of us off is that it ain't like these NGOs are just out there getting money from George Soros or Tom Steyer or you know whoever your uh, your villain billionaire is for the moment. They get money from the U.S. taxpayer. They got a shit ton of money in the Inflation Reduction Act, in the American Rescue Plan, under the guise of some do-gooder work that they provide. But largely, it is a a, a loop of payoffs that requires continuous cash to be fed in, which is why we're trying to put some down pressure on the increase of the debt limit. I view those things as fundamentally connected. So just Matt, one quick follow-up. Uh, no, one second, one second. One second, Heather, Heather, Heather. Uh, Nick, you're going to announce something? Go ahead. Oh, sorry, okay. So right. I'm well, going to go well, to Phenom. In the meantime, guys, drop your comments in. Yep, okay. 
Guys, yeah, go ahead. I'm just going to go to Phenom. Guys, try and keep your questions short uh, because then we can get more people to ask questions. So go ahead, Phenom. In the meantime, Nick is checking audience questions and he is going to read them out. So, Thanks. Yeah, Thanks, Suleiman. Hi, Congressman Gates. Thanks. I was the one that um, said President Trump had gotten a seven-year enema from the media. Um, so my question to you is, um, CENTCOM had reported to Congress a little while ago that Afghanistan or ISIS is going to be capable of foreign attacks in six months. And I'm wondering if you see this playing like becoming more of an issue as we go into the election. And then my second question is, what are the chances of having like a church style committee, the way the January 6th committee was done under Nancy Pelosi, where it's like broadcast somewhere on like Newsmax or even Twitter or in, in the media? And thanks for your time and for everything you're fighting for. Yeah, no problem. I am somewhat skeptical of the claims of ISIS's capability, uh, particularly ISIS-K uh, out of Afghanistan. What my perception is that their goals are largely internal to Afghanistan. They are sort of in a battle with the Taliban and, oh, the tangled web we weave, right? Now the U.S. government, through a lot of the decisions we're making about access to bank accounts and capital and weapons, is supporting the Taliban against ISIS when we were just fighting against the Taliban with some of the people who've now joined ISIS-K. So, uh, you know, all the more reason for us to not view ourselves as the magic wand of Central Asia. Uh, your, your, uh, what was your other question, Pina? Well, thank you. Um, with regard to like how Pelosi did the January 6th committee and broadcast it as if it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you think there's a chance that it, something like that could happen? So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm currently watching the uh, Eastern Conference semifinals. My Miami Heat are losing to the Boston Celtics. And, and I can only imagine how much easier the game would be if there was no defense when you tried to score. And that's sort of what Pelosi and the January 6th committee had. They were just going up and down the court scoring uncontested layups because they didn't want someone like me or Jim Banks or Jim Jordan on the committee to offer clash and pushback and critique. Uh, Newsmax did cover end-to-end uh, -end the last weaponization uh, committee that we had where we put forward the whistleblowers with some pretty stunning claims about how stats had been manipulated, how Americans had been targeted based on their faith or like posting the Betsy Ross flag or maybe even being in this Twitter space with me. Who knows? Uh, but uh, we are not going to get the type of media lather for our oversight work that the January 6th committee got, or frankly, the Democrats ever get. And to sit around complaining about it, I think is counterproductive. Uh, what, you know, Joel can tell you, my comms director, who's, uh, who's on the stage right now, is that I spend most of, most of my days in depositions and interviews, talking to folks from you know FBI, CIA, Joint Terrorism Task Force, Homeland Security, Meta, Google, to try to map out this censorship industrial complex and, and some of the election interference and corrupt influence of these entities. And we probably won't get the showcase of a January 6th committee but I'm going to do my best to get it all out to the public all the same. Uh, Congressman, we saw the news. Uh, Congressman, we saw the news earlier today, and, and Charles, I'll go to you right after, uh, regarding the the leader of the Oath Keepers getting 18 years sentence. Uh, we saw Rhodes get 18 years, Schwartz get 14 years, Webster got 10 years. 
Um, those sentences are you know, significantly shorter than what the Department of Justice um, initially sought. Uh, but I want to get your thoughts on this. Is that, is that just justice in, in, in motion? Um, or is that, um, is that, you know, the sentences are, are an extreme, uh, extreme relative to what the crime is? Look, if the Oath, Keeper, the Oath Keepers stood before a jury, they uh, had every constitutional privilege afforded our defendants. They were found to be guilty of seditious conspiracy. And if they were trying to literally overthrow the government, one, they're idiots. Two, they had no chance. And three, they probably deserve some punishment. Uh, I thought that the sentences would be less than they were. So I was a bit surprised by their duration, but I, I wasn't particularly aggrieved by them. That's a good response. Nick, did you want to go Charles. with the question? No, no, jump, jump in, Charles. Hey, thanks, Congressman. We appreciate you being here. We met at CPAC, and uh, this is Charles from New York. I appreciate the time you give us then and, you know, the really time you give us now. So in regards to the primary, I don't really think CBDCs or any of these things are polling as issues in the GOP primary, but rogue DOJ and subversive three-letter agencies are. So in the wake of the Durham report, you said that FBI agents that participated in Crossfire Hurricane, you know, should be indicted. But we also saw in 2022, after Devin Nunes sent out 14 criminal referrals to Durham, you know, we sort of heard the same thing. So if Donald Trump becomes the president, what would be different now? And how would that vary from a Ron DeSantis presidency when it comes to enforcing actions against these rogue agencies? Well, I would really like to think that both Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis would make me attorney general, but it, it might be only Donald Trump that would be willing to do that. By the way, Congressman, I've, I've got, uh, uh, hold on. So, so let me, uh, let me ask Congressman. Let me, let me jump in we will, we yes. will do worse. I know that we will do worse. Uh, Congressman, let me, let me ask you another question, Nick, by the way, you're, you're lagging. Let me ask you this because you, oh, you were can't hear me. grilling uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, who is the Homeland Security Secretary uh, the other day in a committee hearing what is he doing about the whole border crisis? Does he deserve to be removed from his position? And what would you do differently down there at the Southern border? If you, you know, say if you were in his position. Well, I think that my is largely laughing at us for having not impeached him. I know for a fact that my Mayorkas believed that by now he would be impeached. And the fact that he hasn't yet, uh, he, he wakes up every day thrilled that he's breathing fresh air. What I would do differently is just reenact the Trump policies. This isn't rocket science. If you have safe third country, remain in Mexico. Uh, if you don't parole people into the interior here, then you're able to you know, deal with a, a lot of these issues. I, I think Chip Roy's legislation uh, to get to provide some Title 42 authorities uh, is pretty essential to solve the problem. I would get that enacted. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we're in the situation now in Arizona where they're literally taking down some of the like physical barriers at Morales Dam and other places that were working. So I would still look to erect physical barriers. Those have worked. Uh, Tom, uh, uh, Tom, yeah, jump in. But let, let me ask you, to, uh, Congressman, did you see the did you see the video that um, I don't know if I'm the only one that finds it extremely Tom, funny? Uh, oh, Nick can't hear me. Hold on, let me fix Nick. On you, bottom left hand corner. No, here you go. Took off, Nick. So Nick couldn't hear me, so I just removed him. I'll bring him back up. But Congressman, did you see that video? That, that probably the funniest video I've seen in months. That uh, Trump 
uh, reposted on Truth Social. I tweeted about it yesterday as well. Uh, with uh, it was is trying to pin it at the top for anyone that hasn't seen it. Is is it was a space between Elon, DeSantis, um, uh, Hitler, <laughs> Hitler, the devil. Um, who else was there? Um, the Soros. Soros was there. Yes, Soros, <laughs> uh, Dick Cheney, and uh, uh, Schwab was there as well. Did you see that video, Congressman? Yeah, I would say hardest hit in that video was the devil. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then and then Hitler just goes off in German. They took a little segment from the uh, from the movie The Downfall. Uh, but I just, again, I go back. Trump, oh, you don't have to like him, but Trump on Twitter, Twitter and Twitter Spaces. It's probably going to be the, one of the most entertaining things we've seen in a in a long time. Um, but that wasn't really a question. Just wanted. To... I'm not sure he's coming back. I'm not sure he's coming back. Uh... I think that he's going to be real sensitive to any potential derivative suit at Truth if, if he comes back to Twitter. Mm. I'm not sure. Look, I've had a few people, and, and Benny was on the space yesterday, said 100% he's coming back. He's had sources say it. You know, he said it publicly. I've never said it publicly. <clears throat> I've heard it a few times. But it's interesting. So have you has have you spoken to, to his team about it directly or never brought it up? Or to Trump directly? No, I've talked to him. I've talked. I've talked to him about it. And I, I've talked to members of his team about. It. I think his team really wants him on Twitter because um, you know he can reach a very large audience there. And if you're a political consultant, you can reach an audience for free and push message and raise money and drive narrative. You want to do that. And uh, I, I've always found President Trump to be a you know about uh, two and a half steps behind some of his advisors on that. I don't say behind as a criticism. I just think he's he's been more cognizant of of what that would mean for truth if he was posting content. So you might get a world in which Twitter is like the stuff that was posted a few days ago, that it's, that it's almost a, an aggregator of some of his truth content or some of his content that's elsewhere. But I don't know that you're going to be ever getting back the hot fresh takes on twitter that that we all uh became accustomed to previously uh congressman uh an audience question that we have is your position or your view on the restrict act uh so i'd love to hear i wanted to ask that same question i just think it's uh it's not being talked about enough um, I'm not sure what your stance is on it, uh, Congressman. Well, um, let, let's be clear. This is referring to the TikTok. That, that is the major portion of this bill. It's not. Yeah, and what, what's concerning and what's concerning about let, Let's get Congressman's thoughts on it because, Congressman, the, the overreach of, of, of the, 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 let's say the, I think, what of, I think I can't remember, it's, it's the, um, what was the committee that would have a lot of overreach on censorship as well as a crackdown on crypto? I can't remember the details. Um, which was kind of the the Trojan horse being, you know, kind of painted as a as a ban on TikTok, and we've talked a lot about it in this space. Are you talking about the Restrict Act? Yeah, we're talking about the Restrict Act, correct? Yeah, if, if the only tool we have to ban TikTok is the Restrict Act, then we're pretty fucked. And you just better tell your kids and grandkids to learn Mandarin. Uh, I think that there are a lot better ways uh, to deal with the threat of TikTok, which I think is real, rather than this like orgy of government expansion of power. Yeah, there are plenty of powers already, and Biden doesn't want to exercise them. Uh, Congressman Tom here again. I, I like uh, any, any report you have on the status of the uh, debt negotiations. And I would think, you know, my view on this impeachment is 
it, it's politically difficult, whether it be Mayorkas or no one knows who Mayorkas is, so I would focus on Biden. Uh, you know, but but I, I think it's necessary in light of everything that's happened. And I would just recommend in the least a broad-based impeachment inquiry uh, that would not only escalate the uh, oversight in terms of public attention, provide some legal, you know, I think it would legally strengthen some of the oversight. And I think it's necessary in light of the constitutional abominations and, and corruption associated with Biden and his gang. But in the least, we need to cut the spending. So I was hoping you, uh, McCarthy, is McCarthy holding the line? Well, on impeachment, uh, I agree with your position. I've co-authored articles of impeachment against Biden on the border and against Mayorkas on the border. And the border is on purpose. And that's why. Like, I don't agree with my colleagues who think that Biden deserves impeachment over Afghanistan because that's just a fuck up, a royal fuck up. But I don't think he did it on purpose. I think that they literally are that incompetent. On the border, this is not incompetence. Any mid-level security manager of a casino knows how to keep a space secure with modern-day technology. We are a, com- a country that relies on the ring door camera, and yet we leave the border to our nation wide open. So that's on purpose, and it's why I support it. But the sad reality, Tom, is we couldn't get impeachment out of the House Judiciary Committee today. And that's one of the most based committees in Congress. And so we'd have no well, that, that's a leadership. That's a leadership issue, isn't it? Well, you know, at the end of the day, or maybe not. Maybe it's broader. Maybe it's broader. Yeah. Listen, here, here's where I'll defend McCarthy on that. You, I, I took some pride in stripping from McCarthy many of the powers of the speakership because we didn't trust him with those powers at the time. And you can't take someone's tools to solve problems away from them. And then run to them and say, go solve my problems. Like, you know, we, we converted the role of the speakership to one that did not have the ability to dictate the, you know, positive or negative effects of everyone's legislation and everyone's lives. And so now you can't, you can't ask him to be like the, uh, the wizard of problem solving. Uh, on the debt limit, here's, here's the deal I think we're going to get. Uh, I think you're going to get a spending level that is not 2022 spending levels. Certainly that is not the pre-COVID 2019 spending levels that I wanted, uh, but that is something that Kevin McCarthy can call a cut and something that Joe Biden can call a freeze. I think that is what you get on the spending level. I think you get work requirements, not on Medicaid, which is actually where you save money, but on either TANF or SNAP, but in a way that allows Joe Biden to waive a lot of those work requirements uh, if, if he so choose, chooses. I think you're going to get none of the repeals of the Inflation Reduction Act that we've sought. You may get some guardrails on the new IRS agents. I think you'll get some features of permitting reform in H.R. 1 that Joe Biden will claim as an extension of his infrastructure agenda. Uh, and his Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, and I think for that, you'll get about a $4 trillion increase in the debt limit. Uh, Congressman, will... Is that sufficient? You think that will pass? And is it sufficient for McCarthy to keep his speakership? So, Tom, right after this, we'll, well, here, we'll give the final... That, Congressman, will give you that one more question after that, so I know it's getting late for you as well. 
my wife's still working. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 okay, we'll keep, we'll keep going. Also, and, and, and the Heat are losing. Time, so. The Heat are losing to the Celtics terribly. Um, so uh, I think that it will pass with about eighty to hundred Democrat votes and between one hundred and forty and one hundred and sixty Republican votes. I think the coalition opposed to this will be like the Squad and the Freedom Caucus, uh, and it will uh, it will rocket through the Senate after it passes the House. And I think that there is no serious threat to McCarthy's speakership. Doc, do you want to go with the next question? Yes, thank you. Uh, nice to talk to you again, Congressman. Have you had eyes on the Carrie Lake uh, situation? Any opinion on her prospects or path for an appeal? And the second question is, Do you have you also seen uh, two cases from Georgia returned by the uh, uh, Georgia Supreme Court to trial on uh, 2020 election claims? And finally, as to those situations, what would your expectation be about any prospect for federal intervention to help election integrity? And thank you. Uh, I believe that the road of federal involvement in the election is a road to perdition. Uh, I think that we have to do what Holder and Obama did. I mean, after Holder and Obama left power, they decided they were going to go fight out in these states, one secretary of state at a time, one election board appointment at a time, one supervisor of elections at a time. And they built an election infrastructure that allowed them to make unilateral changes in the law. That's not really a controversial position. That's what they did. And that that is the terrain we have to fight on, not believing that what what the Mitch McConnell, John Thune, or like John Cornyn led Senate is gonna help us intervene in, in these matters when people don't check IDs for voting. I, I just don't buy it. I, I so that's my perspective there. I'm not familiar with the Georgia litigation. I found some of the evidence in the Arizona cases quite persuasive. And I really like Carrie Lake as a person. I find her to be a, a warm and caring person. I think she would have made a phenomenal governor. But we, we lost in Arizona because of an election turnout strategy that, that baffles my mind. As someone who's been on the ballot almost every year since 20 or every election cycle since 2010, you know when I'm willing to take someone's vote? Anytime they're willing to give it to me by any means that they are willing to provide it, whether that is in the mail or early or on election day. And to depress your own pre-election day vote makes you vulnerable to election day shenanigans. And, and to not see that is not sign that Carrie Lake is uh, is a bad candidate. I actually think she was a really, a really, uh, really uh, special candidate in a lot of ways, but it, but it shows a lack of sophistication about the electioneering process that I think uh, really left her vulnerable. Right. Let me go to Sarah. Sarah, you got a question? Thank you so much. Um, Congressman Gates, um, both Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis have indicated uh, regarding the January 6th defendants that they may pardon, but neither has said definitively if they would pardon uh, what are your thoughts? Should they be pardoned? And do you think either Trump or DeSantis will uh, follow through and pardon the January 6th defendants? 
I think if either Trump or DeSantis were elected, there would be some class of the January 6th defendants that would be pardoned. I believe the class would likely be larger under Trump than under DeSantis. Uh, and I think the class would certainly not include every person that has been charged with a federal crime. Can I under ask either. you just as a quick follow up, um, what class, in your opinion, should not be pardoned? Well, easily, I could say that people that engaged in direct physical assaults against law enforcement should not be pardoned. Uh, so, uh, Congressman, let me ask you this real quick. So you have actually helped lead debate prep for both Trump and DeSantis. Uh, so you have a little bit of an inside view of how they you know, act behind the scenes. And you know, so how do you think they would do in a debate? I mean, do you think you know, Trump would crush him or would you know DeSantis be able to, to counter some of the attacks from Trump uh, I think that they they would both need to have a good night to beat the other uh, I mean I think that they're both incredibly bright and nimble and uh, you know Trump is probably more interesting uh, and so he would probably have the edge he's got more gravitas he's got more size uh, I think he's he's a little bit more well, he's not a little bit he's considerably more charming, but I have said to the president and everyone around him that I would not take Ron DeSantis lightly in any debate. Uh, I know how hard Ron prepares. One thing I can tell you about both of them they're a little surly about prep. Neither one of them is like real excited when it's debate prep day or you know prep for for a major event. Uh, I always tend to like it when it's debate prep day for me. I like to get with my advisors and spar with them a little bit. These guys acted like it was uh, it was like uh, really kind of a, a pain to have to joust about various things. I don't I don't know what that says. So Jennifer, I'll bring you in because uh, I believe you have been following uh, pretty close when you have been active in the education space, uh, talking about SEL and DEI in K through twelve schools. Uh, so, yeah, I'd, lo I'd love to bring you in. So go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Nick. And thank you, Congressman. Um, so just going back a little bit to a few questions ago, um, you know, someone had asked about, you know, the culture war that's going on. And you had said that, you know, it wasn't really the top priority that you saw for people that, you know, the economics and education, which I fully agree. Like Nick said, I, I live in this education space, so I agree with that completely. Um, is really the top issues or some of them. So, so my question is though, you know, this, this woke cult culture, you know, for equity and in, in education, mental health is absolutely devastating both issues, economics and education. So I'm just, you know, curious on your thoughts on that and how you can separate those, because as I see it, they are directly correlated. Thank you for my, taking my question. I don't separate them. And actually, as you know, I'm a government employee on a fixed income. So to me personally, I probably vote, you know, as much on the woke culture as anything. I think I challenged a, private, a previous speaker when they said, well, the most important thing in the Midwest to voters is who is a is a culture warrior. And my pushback on that is that I didn't believe it was supported by data. I thought that was a, a statement largely, largely driven by one's personal emotion. By the way, an emotion that I that I share, um, I, I think those things are linked. But I think that there is a there is a class of voters that we have to win, who uh, throw their hands up in the air about the culture wars on all sides, and all they care about is at my job, 
Are they laying people off or hiring more people? Are they shipping more? Are, are they telling me about all of the new global assets that we have in, you know, India and Jamaica and, and where else? Or are they opening new branches here in our country? And I think there are voters to whom uh, that is more significant than at school, whether or not they tell your six-year-old that he's an oppressor. And, and that's not, again, I want to be clear, that's not a reflection of my views, but it's how I assess the data about the electorate. Let me, let me, yeah, go ahead, Jennifer. Just, just one follow-up. Thank you. Thank you for answering, Congressman. Um, so also, you know, in education right now, it's all about mental health. And I'm just wondering your thoughts on that, um, because as I see it and, and what I know, it is being weaponized against people. And I'm just wondering, you know, your thoughts on how mental health should be handled in education. Thank you. I think we overindulge Big Pharma's uh, solution set on mental health. Uh, the solution set for mental health when I was young was my mom told me to join the baseball team. And uh, my you know, solution to mental health when I didn't win as much in debate tournaments was my dad told me to spend more time in the library and have better arguments. So I just don't buy that every challenge in life that an adolescent encounters has to result in a different prescription drug or a different struggle session or therapy group. Uh, Congressman, Congressman. Let me, uh, I want to ask a general question, uh, if you don't mind, Nick, and I'll give you the mic. Uh, Congressman, what would you say is the biggest threat the U.S. faces over the next decade? And, and moving away from politics, I, I, I've got three categories personally, the Ukraine war being an obvious one, uh, the tensions with China and, uh, and Taiwan being in the middle is another, and, and obviously another one that Elon's very vocal about is uh, the risks that AI brings to, to humanity. But what is one thing that keeps you up at night, uh, not as Congressman Matt, Matt Gates, but as Matt on a personal level? Uh, I am increasingly concerned about transhumanism, uh, the notion that we, that we lack the real interactions and experiences and emotions and that we digitize and, and socialize everything. Like, I, I am of the zenial micro generation that did not grow up digitally. And so like when Facebook first arrived, when the internet first arrived, like the things that happened in those spaces weren't even real. If, if, you, if you told a parent or a friend that someone bullied you online, they would laugh at you and tell you to turn off your computer. Now cops might show up at your door. And, and I think that if you follow that logical progression to the point where you know, we all just become orbs that plug in, in the long term, that worries me about the, the state of humanity gravely. And, and the second will sound like some warmed over Reagan bullshit, but I really do worry about the national debt and the status of the US dollar and how the entitlement programs that we've set up are, are going to themselves function as a threat to the Republic and what that means and what it's always meant for societies and the unidirectional nature of it. The fact that we never seem to ever be able to undergo responsible austerity when it's called for. I mean, you know, I, I struggle with my weight sometimes and I know that you know, after a few too many margaritas and queso nights, like I have to have some austerity. I've got to use the stairs instead of the elevator. And 
we just don't do that as a country and it, it is not sustainable. And, and I know how mid that sounds, but you, you asked the question. Congressman, uh, I, I want to ask you this. So we do have uh, Congresswoman Boebert coming in here in about, uh, hopefully about 10 minutes. Uh, but but I want to ask you, so you were a holdout uh, 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 with the McCarthy vote when he was becoming Speaker of the House uh, in uh, January. And it seems like you guys were able to negotiate. You were a huge part of this, being able to negotiate some terms that seem to be uh, really effective even now in, in terms of holding McCarthy accountable and making sure that uh, that the the agenda uh, is is being properly followed for the, the Republican Party platform is being properly followed. Can you go over that a little bit? Like, w- what kind of differences do you see now? What what did you force into place uh, to make sure that McCarthy would be held accountable? That's it's probably a, a longer list that I'm going to go through now. I, I know I've talked about it on spaces before, and many here have listened. But what's interesting is that during that battle in January, no less than AOC went on Alex Wagner's program and she said that the things that we were fighting for were admirable. Single subject for legislation, amendments that related to the underlying bill, uh, ideological diversity on the committees, uh, you know, the 72 hours to read legislation. And yet now, when Kevin McCarthy has functionally adopted the Freedom Caucus fiscal position, when he's put people like Thomas Massey and Chip Roy on the Rules Committee, when he's put people like Andrew Clyde on the Appropriations Committee, when, when we've got the ability to put a rudder down into the water and steer the vessel, the very same people go out on television who were praising us to say, now Kevin McCarthy is... Matt Gates is hostage. Kevin McCarthy is beholden to the ultra MAGA extremists. And the reason I think we're winning right now is because McCarthy is the best version of himself. Like I even do interviews now where folks on the right are like, oh, well, you know, isn't it true that McCarthy's on a leash? And, and the answer is we are seeing in Kevin McCarthy more servant leadership as speaker than we ever saw from him as minority leader or as whip or in any of the roles he's had because he understands what his limits are and that is important for him for me for all of us and i am grateful for it congressman what what do you think right now about this debt ceiling debate do do you believe that you know is there going to be a deal is it going to favor uh yeah there's going to be a deal and it's going to be a deal that i don't vote for And it's going to be a deal that probably like the stuff that would have to be in this deal for me to vote for it at a baseline would have to be the repeal of all the Green New Deal shit that was in uh, the Biden legislation previously. And that's not going to be in there. That's not even currently being negotiated. So I'm not a a yes on this legislation. But people's obvious next question is, well, then are you going to throw the bum out? Now, just because you disagree with someone on legislation or even disagree with their tactics, that is not a basis for removal. A violation of a commitment would be a basis for removal. And, you know, you can't, you, you can't force Kevin McCarthy to deliver an outcome or deliver his head when he is not in sole control of that outcome. And here we control one half of one third of the government. Look at what McCarthy's done. He's gotten us more, we will get more of a downward pressure on spending 
than we have gotten in any deal on the debt limit in my lifetime. He will get us more on work requirements than we've ever gotten since Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich. And he'll get us more on energy than you know certainly anyone ever would have expected during the Biden presidency. So there, there's like, that's the positive. Now, the negative is we're, we're gaslighting like $70 trillion in debt over the next 10 years, probably. And that gets back to one of my core concerns. about. So I want to remind the audience here. So we are having Congresswoman Boebert join here very shortly. Um, and I want to remind everybody, put your questions down in the bottom right hand corner. We've been asking several uh, countless, actually, audience questions here because Congressman Getz has been here uh, for quite a while now uh, answering, you know, totally unvetted questions, and we really appreciate him doing that. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and yield to uh, Slayman here. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, let me just go to Chief and then uh, Mr. Patrick, and then I will, I've got a few questions myself. So go ahead, Chief. Hi, Matt Gates, huge fan. Um, I guess the question I would have would be about Biden's DOJ and the rampant efforts we've seen suppressing conservative speech and labeling conservatives as domestic terrorists and even worse. We've seen this shadow campaign from them, and I'm wondering how on a uh, national level and on a state level we can fight back against that and stop this because it gets worse every year. And we're not really seeing anyone get fired or uh, removed from their position. It seems like it's getting worse. And I really do uh, thank you, at least, for fighting for uh, a little bit to get more ground on McCarthy. I do hope that he follows through with all of your promises. Um, but um, that was my question about how we can possibly um, stop Biden's DOJ and other law enforcement agencies from labeling us as domestic terrorists, extremists, whatever you want to call it. So. Well, I, I think that the tool that we developed in January to deal with this is the Holman rule, which allows us to force a vote on the salary of any particular bureaucrat. And there are a few we've identified, not only at DOJ, but DOD, Department of Education, who've pushed some of this really egregious race ideology and gender ideology. And we'll probably... Uh, isolate their salary for a specific vote. And I, I predict we'll probably do pretty well in, in defunding those, at least in the House appropriations process. The second thing I would say, and I, I know it sounds a little cheesy, but, but you've got to expose it and you've got to put it on blast in these committee hearings. And I will tell you that does work. Here's my evidence for how that works. Like I showed how certain authors in the Department of Defense's education entity were pushing critical race theory and when I asked Millie and Austin about it and they clammed up and couldn't answer, within 48 hours, they had disbanded the entire DEI unit at the at Dodoa. And thereafter, when I asked tough questions about the snipe hunt for white supremacy that seems to be going on at the Department of Defense, where they label anyone an extremist who forward a, a, an impolitic joke seven years ago, uh, they put the guy in charge of that in a box, limited his authorities, and on background told even CNN that the reason they were doing so is that they couldn't defend some of the actions they had taken and the content they had created before the House Armed Services Committee where I asked tough, tough questions. So when you're not in power, and we're not, sometimes you have to browbeat the worst features of the government in order to shame them into curtailing their behavior 
but that's not a substitute for then utilizing the power of the purse and some of the tools that we built in the speakers race to be able to defund and defang, as I often say. Uh, Congressman, uh, before I go to Mr. Patrick, um, one of the issues that was discussed yesterday in the interview with DeSantis was the issue of Disney, Disney pulling out of Florida. Now, an important skill that one needs as a president, both from a foreign perspective and, and also with internal U.S. politics, is the ability to negotiate. Now, the fact that Disney are pulling out, maybe they lose. there's going to be a loss of a billion dollars. There's going to be loss of two to four thousand jobs. I mean, what does that say? I mean, is it, does it show that he's not a great negotiator or does that show that he stands his ground for his ethics and policies? Well, it shows that Disney has converted an investment decision into a PR campaign, because as I think DeSantis correctly pointed out, if if they were acting against their own financial interests in the Lake Nona deal, then they would be subject to a derivative suit from their investors. And so they've, trust me, Disney has made a financial choice, not based on politics, but based on the bottom line. Uh, and as it relates to the mouse's overall impact on Florida, it hasn't always been positive. Like, let me lay some stuff out for you. Disney has been one of the most powerful corporate entities in the state of Florida over the last half century. And it ain't always apple pie that, and, and Mother's Day that they're lobbying for. It's shit like, you know, limiting the ability of people to sue on their parks when they're injured. It's been getting special carve-outs and benefits in law that even their own competitors aren't entitled to. It's getting uh, uh, tax, uh, corporate tax credits and loopholes when Florida decides not to be a combined reporting state when it comes to corporate income. So when somebody buys mouse ears in Orlando, they can act as though it's the purchase of some intellectual property in Delaware. And the, the consequence of all that hasn't been uniformly positive for the people of Florida. So I think that posted up on the mouse a little bit will inure to our long-term benefit, even if one particular development didn't get done. Let me go to uh, Mr. Patrick, go ahead, and then I've got a few questions. Uh, thank you, and a pleasure speaking to you, Congressman. Um, I keep it short. I uh, What I want to know if... I mean, I, I'm based in, in Florida, living in Miami, and uh, we all know that uh, Governor DeSantis really won Florida by, by a landslide. Um, but I, but based here and listening to people, I mean, it's still Trump land, right? So, and I cannot speak for the whole US, but in my opinion, in my personal opinion, I think that uh, Trump definitely will beat uh, DeSantis in, in, in the primary. So my question is, what what do you think will, if, if, if DeSantis will lose this primary vote, what, what will his career look like? What will that mean to Florida? And uh, an additional question, do you think that... Uh, Trump DeSantis as a VP ticket is possible with the big egos they both have? Thank you very much. I do not believe that uh, they will run together in, in no small part because they're both Floridians. And I think there's some question as to whether or not electors of the same state can serve as, as president and vice president. I also think that you know, the bad blood that has developed 
uh, over the lead up to this contest uh, is unlikely to be quelled between now and when the vice presidential selection is, is made. And I agree with you that it's going to be made by Trump. I think that it's not as if Trump has like a double digit lead. He has a two to one lead. And the element of Trump politically that we know is he's got a really, really, really high floor. Folks aren't going to leave him over the news of the day like they might over someone that they're just getting to know or just getting to like or, or don't have the depth of connection with. Uh, and, you know, when DeSantis is not successful in the primary, uh, he'll return to be the governor of America's third largest state, the best state, in my opinion. Uh, I think he'll still probably be very well liked in Florida. And I don't think he'll be done with politics, whether it's sitting out for a few years, making some money, which, by the way, he's never done. Uh, you know, and I don't say that as a as a negative. I've never made any money either. I, I think that you know, he might want to take a few years to go into the private sector and think about the presidency later in life. Or if he's well thought of in Florida after two years as the governor, he may make the decision to run for the U.S. Senate. He, he's run for the U.S. Senate before. Uh, he ultimately got out of that race when Marco Rubio returned to it after his own failed presidential conquest. So I think Ron DeSantis will have a long history in Florida politics and in national politics, uh, and he may have to lick his wounds a little bit after the, the loss I predict is around the corner. Um, so I'm just before I go to you, Doc, guys, um, we are reading the questions. So put down any questions you have for congressmen. Uh, and we will get, get to those questions and read them out. But, while, but just before we do, Doc, go ahead, uh, give us whatever question you want. Yes, Congressman, given the uh, the sort of lawfare that's being prosecuted you know, across the board, uh, mentioning the uh, earlier convictions of the J6ers, um, but but the, I see the, the prosecution, the potential prosecution in Georgia, of course, the indictment in, in um, New York, and the, uh, the whatever the special counsel returns on the uh, Mar-a-Lago raid and the documents there, right? And sort of disappointingly heard you say and understand now why Joe Biden has not been impeached. It's just because there's no uh, there's no not enough votes there for it. So as a practical matter, I guess your calculation is why do it? I, I would suggest one reason why it should be done is number one, it's the right thing to do. He's completely a traitor. And, you know, I could go through that why I think that is guilty of treason. That's that's why I accuse him of being a traitor. Why not effort that even though you may lose as a as a sort of return lawfare against, you know, just bring that the personal attacks that he's perpetrated on the Trump family and others to his door? Why should why should he go and challenge that way, at least, in the, you know, from the effort? Thanks. Yeah, the way I've efforted uh, that belief of mine is by introducing articles of impeachment against Joe Biden as it relates to the border and, and Mayorkas uh, the same. It's not just that we don't have the votes to impeach Joe Biden off the floor. And it's not just that we don't have the votes to impeach Mayorkas off the floor. We don't even have the votes to impeach Mayorkas out of the Judiciary Committee. There is a sense among many of my Republican colleagues maybe even close to a majority of them, that, you know, what the Democrats did with impeachment is gauche and probably backfired against them. And that if we were to impeach Biden uh, or if we were to open an impeachment inquiry that didn't result in an impeachment, that it would uh, distract from 
the factual development of our existing oversight. I don't share those views. I think he deserves impeachment. We should impeach him. And I'd love to be one of the impeachment managers on trial in the Senate. Uh, but it's, you know, I'm just, I'm not, I'm describing to you and presenting the argument of my colleagues, one of whom said to me, you know, Matt, we can do anything we want in the majority. We just can't startle the horses and impeachment would do just that. Hope you guys have had fun chatting with me. I do have to go. My wife is done with work and uh, I'm going to depart. Okay. So awesome. have a great evening. Have a great chat. Enjoy my, my good friend, the Lauren Bobert, who's a, uh, a few time zones to the west of me. Thank Thanks, you, Congressman. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much. For Thank coming. you, Matt. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate uh, it. Uh, Congresswoman, Congresswoman Boebert is now up on stage, so that was perfect timing. Um, Congresswoman, great to have you. Thank you so much for coming. Hello. It's great to be here. I was able to catch the end there of uh, Congressman Gates speaking. Um, you know, proud to, to work with him and alongside of him in Washington, D.C. There's very few um, who can really stick it through to the end and um, have the American people in mind as, as they're fighting and, and being um, pushed, pushed back against. So he's a great friend, and I'm really glad to serve with him. Uh, so, Congresswoman Boebert, the topic of the day is obviously uh, – DeSantis announced yesterday that he's running for president, not really a shock to anybody, uh, right. against against Donald Trump. What are your initial thoughts? And we're going to have plenty of questions about that for you. Sure. Um, well, I, I was on the Twitter space um, yesterday, and um, gosh, I thought the, the fielded questions, you know, most of them were more directed towards praising Elon, um, which I think the the praise is, is certainly deserved, uh, but they were more excited just to be on there with Elon Musk than, uh, than this presidential um, announcement. Um, we knew that he was going to run for president. I have endorsed President Trump. I'm supporting President Trump. And, uh, you know, I think Governor DeSantis has done a fantastic job in Florida, and I think he needs to continue uh, doing what he was elected to do and govern Florida. Administratively, he's done phenomenally there, and uh, he needs to keep Florida great uh, rather than uh, just trying to jump in this. Um, President Trump, I, I see him winning the primary uh, and the general and, um, and getting back in the White House and finishing the job that he started, which was um, a, a heck of a thing that he did the, the four years that he was there. Congresswoman, I want what, Vice what, President Lauren Boebert. Can we get Trump? No, 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 no. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Joel. Go ahead. Uh, I'm just saying I would totally vote for Trump Boebert. We need that ticket. Vice President Lauren Boebert sounds great. <laughs> I'm supposed to be unbiased up here, but, you know, that would be that would be an interesting ticket. That's for sure. Um, but but I do want to uh, ask you, Congresswoman, uh, you, you know, does this hurt based on what you just said, you know, talking about the fact that that Ron DeSantis is doing a great job as governor of Florida. Um, you know, does it hurt him to run now against President Trump? Should he have waited until 2028? And, you know, w would you say that this actually hurts his chances of, of even winning in 2028? Should he run again? And Congresswoman, your mic is muted. you got to unmute bottom left corner. Thank you. Perfect. Thank, Thank you. you. Sorry, I'm driving, y'all. I'm uh, trying to get home. <laughs> Actually, I got a bone to pick with Mayor Pete because this is the third time I've had to drive from Denver instead of getting my connecting flight. So, uh, <laughs> thanks, Petey. Um, so, anyhow, um, with uh, 
as far as him announcing now, I, I was certainly hoping that he would wait until 2028 because, I mean, I, there would be no one who could challenge him at that point. And um, I, I don't I don't know if this hurts him. It really depends on the debates and and how much President Trump goes after him. If um, President Trump keeps a top level and, you know, this is what I'm going to um go to the White House and do and finish the job that I started. Um, maybe it doesn't hurt DeSantis too bad, but I mean, we, we see how those blows uh, from President Trump affect people um, for quite some time afterwards. So uh, I do think that there is, um, there's a potential for reconciliation after the primary. I would hope that everybody could come together. Uh, you look at Senator Cruz and, and President Trump, you know, they they get along now. Uh, so there's still hope there. Uh, but I do want to see DeSantis run in 28. Yeah, I'm, not, and, and, I'm not one of the DeSantis haters here. I'm not I'm not one of the DeSantis is a rhino and what the heck is he doing? I think he's done a really great job. He's a member of the Freedom Caucus, founding member. Um, but not right now. This is not the time. Um, America is still in love with President Trump and um, mourning the loss of 2020. And, you know, they're really owed four more years. Yeah. Do you think Trump's attacks on uh, Governor DeSantis are, are, are working thus far? Uh, I know Trump has, you know, hit him on the uh, his performance down there in Florida, saying that he's pretty much right along there, you know, the average Republican governor. Do you think that is resonating with the American voter? I guess I guess we'll find out. Um, I, I just think that there's room enough in the Republican. more of that. And that that's just part of it. That's what these primaries are for, to give people an option and um, to debate out the issues. But yeah, I think um, President Trump is pretty effective when he highlights um, something that uh, is going on in, in someone else's life and in their policies and um, how they're actually performing. Uh, Congresswoman, uh, you're, you're cutting in and out, but I know you're driving, so it's all good. Can you hear me okay? Or is it uh, cutting out for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry about that. No, all good. Oh, it's all good. I think we'll just give it a few seconds. Uh, you're back with us now, so it'll, it'll be in and out. So it should be fine since you're driving. Congresswoman, I'll take this opportunity to ask you a question. I should have asked you last time you were on, on the space. I, I want to get your thoughts. You know, we saw DeSantis announced on a separate space, and, and we were streaming it here as well. Um, his run for, for presidency. And you've seen us cover a lot of topics. Uh, you're with us now. You're answering questions by a panel that's liberal and conservative. The questions are unscripted. I want to get your thoughts on, on what we're doing here with spa spaces in general and the, the concept of citizen journalism and what we're doing on this space. I didn't ask you last time. We asked Congressman uh, Gates earlier. would love to get your thoughts, uh, Congresswoman, before we go to other questions from the panel. Yeah, I think this is great. Um, this is the public square, and um, we could come on here and uh, ask tough questions and, and hopefully uh, get the answers to them. Uh, I, I love being able to communicate um, here with, with your audience. I mean, gosh, when I when I first joined, we, we had 11,000 people. I'm not sure what we're at now. Um, but, I mean, where, where else can you go and just get an audience like Almost that? Almost 12,000. Um, you know, just a, there you go. Um, and so, I mean, you guys had do a really great job um, with your Twitter spaces and you have a um, 
loyal listenership. Um, I have people sending me messages all the time, you know, asking me to get on and um, you know, it doesn't always work out, but um, I think this is fantastic. And credit to anyone that comes on because the questions are unscripted. And talking about a liberal panel, let's go to a liberal question before we go to Doc. Uh, Joa, you've uh, got a question for Congresswoman? Yeah. <clears throat> Hi, thanks for coming on. Um, yeah. I I'm I'm not as familiar with a lot of your stances, so excuse any mistake I might make. Just correct me. But I've seen you're really passionate about small business. I see you also have passion about crypto. Um, and so I'm confused why why backing Trump with, tho with because of those two, Ron DeSantis wouldn't be a better choice. That's all. Um, yeah, no, well, I, I heard of... Uh Governor DeSantis's um, stance on crypto um, last night during his announcement, and I mean, it, it sounded it sounded lovely. Um, there's there's certainly things that I'll disagree with President Trump about, um, but President Trump, um, for the most part, his policies are right on, and they had our um, country in just such a solid place. You know, there were no wars. We had peace through strength. Our economy was amazing. We had energy independence, energy security. Uh, we had, uh, you know, our, our service members in our military were proud to serve under President Trump. And now we have recruitment rates that are just uh, declining because of all of this wokeism that is in there. And, and everywhere that you go, I mean, President Trump did such a phenomenal, phenomenal job on a national um, scale, including with small businesses. I owned a small business while he was president and um, it did great. You know, I mean, it's unfortunate that um, some governors decided to shut us down over um, you know, the China virus, that, that was pretty frustrating. And I, I kind of, um, I, I don't like the COVID amnesia that a lot of people have from these uh, overreaching tyrannical governors. I'm getting a little off tra uh, track here, but kind of hit a nerve. Um, there's a lot of COVID amnesia where they're like, oh, it wasn't that bad, or it, well, it's okay, we got over it. Look, we got our freedom back. It should have never been taken from you in the first place. And, um, you know, and there, there were some things even with President Trump that I disagreed um, on the stance with COVID, but it was new. We didn't know. You know, you can make all the excuses. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, just all of this impacts small businesses and the economy. And um, that's, I, I think President Trump will do an even better job in the next four years. Uh, Joe, I want to go to Doc before I go to Tom. Doc, uh, the mic is yours. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Slayman. Uh, Congresswoman, thank you for your passionate service. And I, I wanted you, uh, if you could, address the narrative that I hear from the left uh, frequently in this room, that one of the reasons Trump should not be selected as either the nominee of the party or as president is because of his poor management personnel choices uh, mm. in support of certain candidates. I, I do take note that uh, there's a New York Times article out at the time of the speaker elections, I watched you and others with great glee uh, from the from the Freedom Caucus. Uh, I noted that New York Times article mentioned that 17 of the 20 uh, that were with you that day and those in those days were all endorsed by President Trump. So yeah. that's that's question one. And the follow up is of the policy agendas that were set in those meetings to to, to support finally uh, Kevin McCarthy for speaker. Which of those policy agendas do you see moving forward? Which of them do you think uh, will bear fruit at the end of the day? Thank you. Yes, thank you. Uh, so, uh, yes, President Trump, um, you know, he's got 
some great endorsements under his belt. Um, but yeah, PR hasn't always been his um, his greatest attribute. Um, he's had a lot of people who have um, failed him and failed our, our country in positions that they were placed in. And I mean, we can we could go down a list here with this sessions and bar and I mean, we could just go on and on um, and then even just candidate endorsements. Um, but it's really hard in uh, Washington, D.C. to know the content of someone's character. And oftentimes you just don't know what you don't know. And there's a lot of manipulation that goes on um, in, in meetings that take place and people, um, you know, sell their soul really quick and will flip the script and um, suddenly abandoned what they said that they would they would stand for uh, and unfortunately i see that all too often we see it in the senate all the time i saw it in the senate when uh in the last congress when it came to our second amendment rights and, and uh red flag laws and all of this i mean these are republicans voting for this nonsense uh so i mean that that's a really um tough thing to navigate and um actually you know i, I think it's really bold of president trump to um to go out on a limb and and support some of the people that he he does he trusts the people around around them and tries to make the best assessment and unfortunately you just can't get it right all the time but uh us house freedom caucus members um for for the most part we we are all supporting president trump and he supports us and has supported us in the past um we like his policies and we're the ones who go to bat for him um, and, and make sure that um, his positions are being defended. And then as far as the speaker's race with all the policy issues that we had, um, Matt listed some of them off. Um, I heard that. Um, but I think the single subject legislation and being able to amend legislation on the on the House floor is uh, one of the most powerful things that we were able to accomplish uh, before. If you wanted an amendment to a bill it had to be done in the committee of jurisdiction we don't serve on every committee as members um, and so it was really hard to have input on individual pieces of legislation um, if you didn't serve on a particular committee and now we can go to the house floor I've passed uh, 10 amendments now on the house floor and um, but what makes it all so powerful is that motion to vacate um, speaker McCarthy's done a fantastic job so far uh, I always want to be more aggressive and, and do more uh, but so far he has um, uh, held up those commitments that were made um, but that motion to vacate is, is what's ensuring that there's that check and balance and uh, keeping um, him uh, in line to fulfill those commitments. Uh, I, I, my phone cut out when when Matt was telling y'all about the Holman rule, but that's the tool in our toolbox that I am most excited to use, and that'll take place during the appropriations process. Um, Congressman, thanks for joining us. Uh, I have a question. One thing that we find, which is Congress within the market. Yeah, go ahead, man. That's what I said. I said congressman by accident. You misgendered her play, man. <laughs> you uh, I, I thought I said woman, but anyway. It is, it is. Congressman's gender neutral. We'll, we'll just uh, just call me they. I <laughs> love that yeah, attitude. Yeah. Sorry, That's yeah. the perfect answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, one thing you find that is prevalent within the MAGA base is this notion that they're generally speaking anti-war and, and, and America first. Do you think that the fact that Ron DeSantis has not been committal about this and has changed his position will affect his possibility of being in the GOP race and then later the presidential race? And I'm sorry, what position is that on, on Ukraine the, or what? On, on Ukraine and Russia. So the fact that he hasn't been committed, he's not committal at the moment and he's not laid right. down his policy and position. 
Right. Um, no, he, that's something that he's definitely get need to uh, will need to come forward with um, because I work with non-committal people uh, um, on a daily basis um, who won't commit to um, actually doing something um, about Ukraine and Russia or um, or just enforcing an audit of the hundreds of billions of dollars that we've sent over to them um, and are even um, wanting to send more money to Ukraine. Uh, so, no, I, I do think that he needs to come forward with that. Um, it, the whole this is another reason why I love President Trump, because if he were in office today, this would not be taking place between Russia and Ukraine. Um, we would be energy independent. We could export our clean liquid natural gas, our LNG, um, to to our allies uh, across the world and export freedom. Um, he he executed he executed so much peace through strength. And that is what we need. President Trump is a wartime president who didn't have any wars because he was so powerful and they knew not to mess with him. Let me go to Tom. Tom, go ahead. Well, uh, Congressman Bobor, good to uh, talk to you. Uh, safe Congress driving. Uh, Tom Fitton, which is it? <laughs> which it is to what? I uh, promise I've been called worse. <laughs> right. Um, I just want the record to reflect that despite there being a debt emergency, Virtually every member of Congress and the administration has fled Washington for the next five days. Yeah. Um, so just remember that when they tell you it's an emergency next week. I'm sure everyone yeah. everyone laughs in Congress about it. Um, you know, I'm gonna. I'm sure I've told you this probably privately, and I'll tell you. You know, just to be sure, I think one of the potential mistakes that I'm seeing happening now is that we aren't doing anything about the corruption yeah. and um, exposing it is useful and valuable. Uh, but right now people are being censored right now. They're trying to jail, jail Trump and other innocents. Well, now Tom, uh, now, now you're, yeah. you're the judicial expert here. What, what would you suggest that we do? Um, well, things that you already probably support impeachment. Mm-hmm. Cutting off funding for abusive prosecutions in the Justice Department. Right. Stopping censorship. Immediately cutting off funding for censorship operations by the federal government. So all of this is happening now, right? And my view is if it's not curtailed, that the election will turn out, um, you know, in a way that doesn't reflect the will of the American people or voter mm-hmm. intent because of the corruption involved and the rigging involved that we saw in 2020. And, uh, you know, it doesn't mean I want a specific outcome, but I want an outcome free and clear from government interference. And I'm not seeing any any urgency to take care of that and to stop the abuse of the American people now. I'm not saying there's not a desire, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I do know that when I've raised this earlier in 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 the year with with colleagues of yours in the House, uh, we'll Mm -hmm. cover that in appropriations. Right. Right. Well, I don't think it's being covered in appropriations now either. Uh, so yeah, that's so my concern. Th- thank you. That that's um, that's actually really helpful. Um, part of that is um, the Holman Rule that we've discussed, and you know, targeting individual bureaucrats. Um, and uh, and yes, in the appropriations process, I know in my office. Um, I have dozens and dozens of appropriations requests to defund woke and weaponized programs and um, even agencies entirely. Um, And and so, I mean, this is something that we're working on um, in the appropriations process. That's when the Holman rule comes up. Um, But 
also, um, you know, this is why we were trying to fight for some cuts in um, this uh, debt ceiling in this negotiation. Like, none of us want to increase the debt ceiling. I don't want to fund a tyrannical, weaponized federal government. Um, but I also can recognize that there are obligations that are made. And in that, you know, I, I would have loved to seen the Department of Education um, uh, uh, defunded in our debt ceiling uh, negotiations. Right. But unfortunately, right. I have too many weak colleagues in my own party who would never go for that. Um, Congressman, I'm going to ask you a quick question before we go to Joe. And by the way, whenever you arrive home, we have to jump off. You know, it's very casual. Just say, guys, I got to jump off. Um, the question is more general, and I want to make it more personal and moving away from politics. What do you think is the biggest risk? And I ask the same question to, to Congressman Gates. Um, what do you think is the biggest risk that the U.S. faces? The examples I gave is obviously the Ukraine war, tensions with China, and Elon's concerns with uh, Elon and others' concerns with uh, AI and AGI. Um, what keeps you up at night? Uh, well, um, gosh, when it comes to our, our federal government and our, our well-being, I mean, China is certainly a threat. Um, and um, my one of my biggest priorities is uh, American energy. Um, so I serve on the Natural Resources Committee, and um, I mean, this is imperative to our national security. Um, it's imperative to the debt that we're facing to, to lower inflation, um, to actually generate revenue again um, and, and be um, a strong country. So, I mean, I think all of that goes hand in hand. You know, we I can't even count how many bills we voted on in the last Congress um, to, to support Uyghurs in, in China. Um, but that's all virtue signal signaling. Well, China uses Uyghurs to to mine um, cobalt with their bare hands. They're using child and slave labor, and we're buying solar panels from them and cutting off American-made energy that's cleaner, more reliable, more efficient. So, I mean, this is one of the things that is top line for me. But I, I mean, you, you pose this in in a sense that this was more of a personal question and not political. So, I, I think as a mom of four boys as a brand new grandma, they call me Gigi. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the future of our children is, um, is really what motivated me to serve in Congress and is what's keeping me there. Um, there are sacrifices that are made. Um, I mean, my public life is blasted every seven seconds. Um, and you know, I mean, things get tough, but I, I've talked to my children and they know why I'm doing this, what I'm doing this for. And if I could protect America for them, then damn it, I'm going to do it. I, I'm going to fight for liberty and freedom and, and for us to once again be a, 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 a safe, secure, sovereign country that doesn't have a southern border wide open and fentanyl flowing in and our, our children dying. Um, I, I, want, I want to protect the pureness of Americans' children and and make sure that they have a great country to grow uh, Congresswoman, up. Congresswoman, let me ask you real quick, just a quick follow-up on that. Do you think a border wall would solve a lot of these issues? I will say I spent a week at the southern border while Title 42 was uh, expiring, uh, and I, I went over into Mexico. There were thousands, I mean, tens of thousands of migrants hanging out right over the yeah. border, waiting to cross over. And they will cross over, but obviously Texas has sent a lot of resources down there. Federal government has not. What do we need to do? Right. Do, do we need to put a border wall? Like what, what, what's, what would be the solution? Yeah. 
I, I mean, certainly, certainly a wall helps. Um, there's still going to be some, right? But um, I've talked to Border Patrol agents, and I said, hey, I'm from the federal government, and I'm here to help. Uh, what do you need? Oh, that <laughs> and, quote, uh, you know, the- Congresswoman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, so I got this pretty little pen that gives me the power to help. <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, talking with these Border Patrol agents, they um, they said, listen, we don't need infrastructure. We don't need more resources, more personnel. We just need the policy that allows us to enforce our job, enforce the law and do our job. These Border Patrol agents go home demoralized each and every day. They are unable to fulfill the job that they swore to do and to secure our country just because of policy. Secretary Mayorkas needs to be impeached. Um, you know, I I, I share um, Matt Gates's sentiments. Um, you know, they're, they're, this goes two ways. Like, I want to see these um, impeachment inquiries started. Um, and, and maybe we could convince our colleagues once they're started to actually vote to pass the dang thing. Um, but I don't want it to fall f- flat on its face and fail. And then the left take that as a, a victory lap and say, oh, look, uh, Secretary Mayorkas is doing a fantastic job. Joe Biden's doing a fantastic job. Nobody wants to impeach them. Um, well, I mean, honestly, these are a bunch of wusses who just care about their next election. And and that's all there is to it. It, it has nothing to do with what they believe is right. Um, but if we just got the policy right and we're able to enforce the laws that are on the books with our southern border, um, that would drastically reduce the amount of um, illegal immigration that's taking place. Uh, so, so I want to remind everybody in the audience, uh, we're, we're we're going through audience questions. We've asked countless audience questions at this point. So put your questions down in the hey, bottom Nick. right-hand corner. Um, but I, I, I also want to, I, I, like, I guess I'll, I'll go to, oh, he's still connecting right now. So I guess I'll, I'll jump to Joa. Uh, jump in real quick, Joa. Yeah, I just had uh, two questions, Congresswoman. Um, I would have loved to have seen a Trump-DeSantis debate. I think uh, he's already announced that that's not going to happen. Um what I know you've mentioned a lot of the things you believe Trump would be stronger on, and I agree with most of what you said. Are there any points for voters that are single issue voters like I like I am, where you think uh, DeSantis might be stronger? Well, what's your single issue? Me is just I want to stop CBDCs, but that's my personal. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean other people don't have their own. I, I think I think the only single issue that um, really gets people away from President Trump are are people that don't like um, how honest and, and brass he is. Um, I, I think that that is the one narrative that I hear um, that turns people off. Um, I personally love it, um, as do many of the people who are on here talking and uh, speakers and listeners. Um, but. Uh, if there's going to be a single issue, um, that would be the one that I hear of the most. Um, and they could easily perceive Governor DeSantis as, yeah, you know, I'll get shit done too, but I'll do it in um, a professional way without calling people names, even though he does call people names. He just doesn't get blasted for it like President Trump does. Um, 
So I, I think that's the one. But and then I got I probably got time for two more questions because I'm going back through silk. Hey, let, let me let me ask you a question and then Preston, I'll probably go to you afterwards. Uh, Congresswoman, my question is I, I like to ask non-political questions and this is more personal curiosity. Um, you know, I, I just and, and without getting political again. The U.S. just seems very, very polarized. You know, we do these spaces. We try to bring both sides together to debate whatever the, the, the topic is. And whether we're covering the Israel-Palestine conflict, we're covering the Ukraine war, we're covering the China tensions or other topics, uh, the, the most contentious topic has been U.S. politics, the biggest economy, the biggest power uh, in the world, is the most polarized topic we cover. I just – and I don't think that's changing. Like – I. I what it, can we change that? Is it systematically? Are we going to just be stuck? Is that how democracy works? Because we look like we're heading down. We're questioning the judicial system. Uh, we're, we're, we're talking about corruption. Uh, the three-letter agencies are, are getting are getting attacked left, right, and center uh, by both sides of the aisle recently as well. Um, genuinely speaking, could we see that change, or is that just democracy in action? We just have to live with it. Uh, I, I would love to see um, some of that change, and most of it um, is is what comes out of the media. That's what polarizes so many things, because the media is is telling you what to hate and what to fight over, um, and then they're they're distracting um, they're distracting Americans from the real issues um, or gaslighting them on on who the issues um, who like any crises that are coming up, um, who's to blame for those? Um, the left is so extreme right now, and the media has convinced um, millions of Americans that it's Republicans that are extreme. But you look at the left's policies, and it is all absolutely unhinged. Um, you know, they, they want um, a, a abortion on demand and with with no uh, limits as to when. I mean, there's uh, you, you go as far as post-term abortion. Um, they want a wide open border. They want amnesty for all. Um, they're soft on crime. And I, I, all of their positions are just so extreme, but yet they have the media and they're able to flip the script and and say that Republicans are extreme or only talk about January 6th and, you know, gaslight however they want about that particular day instead of talking about the riots of 2020 with the BLM riots in Antifa. Um, <laughs> and, and so I think this just to sum up this this answer, I think what we're doing here tonight can help depolarize some of this. Um, by by having real conversations that's not directed by a producer in, in a newsroom. Um, this is real. This is raw. This is Americans getting together, hearing different ideas and formulating their own opinions rather than being told what to believe. Um, and, it just... yeah, and, I, and I truly respect that. I, I, I really do, because you, as well as Congressman Gates, came up here knowing that you didn't have scripted questions. You didn't know who was going to be on the panel. And you just went for it. And this is exactly how American politics should and, be. And that applied not only that, they, they didn't even request it. Like that, you know, Lauren or Matt didn't say, hey, no. guys, we don't want this person on stage or you know, we have to check the questions. There wasn't even a request to do so. And they knew how these spaces work. You know, Congresswoman, you've been on here before. Matt has been listening uh, uh -huh. many times. So I, I, I hope this pattern continues. And I hope this does lead to changes. More people, you know, replace 
mainstream media in shaping the narrative without censorship, without bias, as much as possible. Yes. Uh, right. Jim. Yeah. So, Jim, you have worked with, uh, you know, you're actually, uh, you know, personal friends with Congresswoman Boebert. Uh, so I want to bring you in. Uh, you know, w what are your thoughts? Well, I certainly miss the Western Slope, Lauren. So, you yes, know, that's, the, that's the place to be. Hey, uh, do, you, do you feel like that there's a uh, change in, in the way that things are working in the House right now since all that went on in January? And, and you were the, probably uh, nearly the strongest uh, opponent to the old way and advocate for the new one. H how do you feel things have gone? I, I think they've gone good. Um, I, I, I say we're at a B. Um, I, I want to do more with what we did. I, I, I'm tired of just admiring the tools that we fought for. I'm ready to get some dings in them and, and put them to work. Um, there are, uh, but, but it's evident that the, that what we fought for is working because anytime something starts to go back to the way it was, um, we get together as a conference or a few of us go and, and speak to leadership or the rules committee and um, say, hey, no, we, we made a deal in the beginning of the year that we're not going to operate this way. And, um, you know, I mean, we're, we work all closely together. And so sometimes those conversations get heated. But at the end of the day, there's a, a, a record. They recognize that, um, no, this is what we agreed to. And we cannot go back to that because there will be consequences um, if, if we revert back to um, Pelosi speakership and strip individual members of Congress away from their uh, of their influence and authority that they have in the House. We empowered each individual member. And um, and so to, to take that away, you know, um, would be absolutely devastating. And there would certainly be a showdown if that were to happen. Uh, but the communication um, is is there. This Congress, unlike it was um, in the con previous Congress that I served in, um, because it has to be, because any five people can take down a bill, any five people can take down a rule and um, completely disrupt the legislative schedule for the day or the week or the month. Uh, so uh, there has to be this tight communication and agreements um, with what we're uh, moving forward on. So Nick, you know, in years, Jim, I'm um, oh. just going to give the, the mic to Nick, um, just a kind of final word, Jim, and I'll give the mic to Nick because the uh, Congresswoman has to jump out. Jim? Yeah. No. And in years past, Lauren, when we uh, had these fights, you know, after the Tea Party effort and that sort of thing, there was this massive tension between leadership and those who were opposing what was going on. Do you see that being a little bit less this time than it has been in years past when you're there? Yeah, I, cl clearly I wasn't there then, um, but I, I don't see that tension. And I think Speaker McCarthy has been very gracious, um, communicative. And um, he's, I mean, he has seemed very eager to work with us. Um, we'll, we'll see, you know, what this debt ceiling looks like. I, I don't know everything that's going to be in this deal. Um, I'm hoping it's not something that I have to vote against. I, I want to vote for the bill. Um, and so I hope that uh, they don't give us crap to vote on. Um, but no, I think that leadership has um, been uh, very tolerable. Uh, Congresswoman, I, I will, Nick, I'm going to give you the mic, and then we'll give the, and then you'll give the mic to Congresswoman to to wrap up the space. Uh, just for the audience, um, we're trying to support Twitter as much as we can, and one thing we're trying to do is the subscribe button. And I'm I'm mentioning it now because I forgot to mention it before. The subscribe button, I think, you should all activate it on your profiles. It's a great way for you to monetize your audience, 
and for Twitter to create a new source of, of revenue. So we've added it on my profile. You can go in there and subscribe to my account. It's a dollar a month and we'll probably donate that money as well. We're not doing it for the money. And we'll run exclusive spaces with a lot of the names that you see on the panel today where the audience can come up and ask questions as well. There'll be very small spaces just for subscribers. So go on my account, subscribe, and I don't mind chilling it because it's not for our benefits, more supporting Twitter in that case and giving value to the audience. So just wanted to mention this before, Nick, you wrap up uh, Congresswoman's appearance and the space as well. The Congresswoman, I, I, I do want to say uh, you have been one of the most influential members of Congress uh, this year. There are 435 members of the House of Representatives, uh, and you have made a huge impact this year. Regardless, left or right, that's that's a pretty objective statement. Um, but I, I do want to ask you real quick, and we do ask, uh, you know, a lot of our special guests, what are your thoughts on Twitter spaces in general? Uh, and, you know, do you is this the future of media? What, what's your opinion? Uh, it, it's it's almost the future of radio here. Um, you know, I mean, this is um, this is fantastic. Look, I mean, I've been driving around in my car with you guys and it's just like I'm talking to my radio. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I think these are very beneficial. Um, they're very convenient. Um, it's, it's easy to see who's on there and, and click and join and hop off when you got to go. Um, come back if you can. Uh, I, I'm so grateful that you guys host these Twitter spaces, and um, I, I hope they continue to grow and that you all see um, the success in them, because yep. I, I do. So thank you so much, Congresswoman, for just coming on here off the cuff and you know asking questions from our entire panel. So uh, we appreciate it. We really hope to have you back on soon, and have a safe drive. You got it. Thanks, everyone. God bless. Thanks, Congresswoman. Thank you. So was, I think we had a good space here, Mario and Soleil, man. What do you yeah, think? It's been 48. Like you guys, I thought today I can skip the space and finally get some sleep and, and you guys could lead it. Literally four minutes into the space, Mario wake up, Congressman Gates, and then later Congresswoman Bobert will be coming on and uh, another night okay. of no sleep. I, I, I want to give a shout out real quick just before you, you wrap up, Mario, to Joel Valdez. I mean, you are, you are Thank an you, amazing, Joel. amazing comms director. Anybody would be lucky to have you. Uh, we literally coordinated this four minutes before the space started. I messaged the back chat and was like, okay, start it right now. You know, we have Congressman Gates coming on in four minutes. And, and Joel helped us coordinate that. So Yeah, Joel. I, I, oh, yeah. I'm always trying to advance these mediums, whether it was Clubhouse or Twitter spaces. I wanted to get the congressman in on them early uh, just because I knew how much of value that they were always going to bring. And so, I mean, I, you guys you guys see it clear as day uh, who does better on these spaces. And it's because he uses the medium. Uh, and But he just really enjoys it. So, and, and I know that Nick and Mario are the top Twitter space leaders right now. And so anytime they have a space, always welcome to uh, jump in, bring in other congressmen. And who knows, maybe one day we'll be hosting it with Donald Trump. And let me say, make it happen, Joel. Make it happen. Let me add Slayman's name as well. I think the news is that... Hold on, Tom, two seconds. I'll give you the mic. But Slayman as well, just want to give you a shout out for, you know, I know you stepped in early, Nick. You've been there since the early days. But Slayman, you've been moderating a lot of the spaces without me. So shout out to you and Joel. I've just sent you through my... Slayman's a badass. Okay, okay, let's not push it now. And Joel, I've just sent you 
through my number as well. Not sure if you use WhatsApp or you can just text me if, if not. I uh, would love to jump on a call just to, 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 to have a chat and also to thank you for, for making this space happen and contributing to other spaces as well. So it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Tom, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I think the news um, from the space is that, and I, <laughs> and based on my intelligence, I think uh, uh, Gates is right. This debt limit negotiation is going to uh, end up in a place that most conservatives will be unhappy with, um, or or grudgingly accept. So, Kevin, Kevin, far less be happy with exactly, it. Exactly. Look, Kevin O'Leary said one thing: um, is that a good a good outcome of a negotiation is when both sides are unhappy. Now. A better outcome is both sides are happy, but that almost never happens. So if both sides are unhappy, I would consider that a good outcome. If one side is happy and one side is not, um, then it's not, in my opinion, a fair. Well, outcome. I mean, if it's if it's Hitler and Stalin, I think that's a probably good rule of thumb. But if it's light and dark, um, maybe not. Okay, uh, Chief. Any any final quick words, and then I'll I'll wrap up the space. No, it was awesome space. Um, yeah, it was really great having uh, both representatives very rare for public officials to uh, pop out these unscripted questions and really just, you know, hear from the people. So, you know, thanks to the co-hosts and where's to Mario for putting this whole thing together. And especially thanks to Boba and Gates for uh, hopping on and Joel for organizing this. Cool. Uh, Jim, final words. And there seems to be a trend of thanking me and Nick with that slam man. So please do that as well. It's funny. Jim, final quick words as we wrap up the space. First, I, I thank you. Yeah, and before, before words, Jim, uh, sorry, I, was, I said Jim, I'm going to give the mic to Kim. Just before Kim and Jim speak, um, I just want to tell the audience to make sure oh, you subscribe. I already said that. Um, comment. You've done everything already. We're going to see you again tomorrow. But uh, Mr. Mr.com and then Mr. Puff, uh, the mic is yours, Mr.com. Yeah, good, good space yesterday uh, about the DeSantis uh, space, and then today having met Getz here, that was really good, and Lauren, great uh, stuff to listen to, learned a lot, so fantastic. Puff? Yes, sir. Well, by the way, great work, Mario. Joel, as a former chief of staff on the Hill for about eight years, dude, I know what you go through as a comms director. It's amazing. Everyone should be following you that i it is it's huge so thanks for uh making all that work thank you so much brother i we appreciate got, we got that. really good times coming i actually there's some good things have been happening in dc and it's bad and it's good it's just interesting we're gonna have a fun uh year going through uh, the rest of the legislative session so thanks for putting this together. Uh, and Sully, what do you think yeah, let's do it. what do you think last last quick word what do you think will happen tomorrow man like we had an incredible space yesterday an incredible one today we seem to be having a pretty full-on week what should we cover tomorrow, and uh, what do you expect to have tomorrow? We'll have to get your thoughts, man, and then we'll wrap up. Yeah, I mean, first of all, these 48 hours of...